The podcast under the stairs. Void Diary entry number 30. Ready versus Jason. Place your bets. You're listening to Druid FM on 192 BC. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is Baz V Horror 20. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and we are concluding our look at the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and we're also going to throw a little bit of Freddy vs Jason in just, you know, for good measure. Um, hopefully you've been enjoying our look, or should I say Bazzy's look, at the, the franchise thus far. Um, it really has been one episode with praise and a joyous momentum and then another episode which was the steady downward spiral into despair we will see if looking at two attempts to kind of reboot the franchise and one kind of side movie side quest movie um, will cheer Baz up I don't know, I'm not feeling confident but we need to ask him and the only way we can ask him is by introducing him because he won't talk until he's been introduced so ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce to you the man, the myth, the legend the Baz Hola my sexy little, where the fuck is this franchise going, bitches? <laughs> How are we Duncan? I am doing fucking fan dabby dozy how are you doing? I am rock hard my friend, rock <laughs> Fucking hard. We we are almost closing out your second retrospective on a major franchise. It'll be all over at the end of the show. Yep, yep. I'll be spent. <laughs> I'll be lying there with steam coming off my naked torso and the remnants of my jizz weeping from the end of my flaccid cock. Oh fucking hell, man! How's that for a start to the show, folks? I'm off alcohol at the moment as well, and I, it, like when you talk like that, it just makes me want to drink and get naked. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I mean, um, who would have known? Who would have known at the start of this year you would have slammed arguably two of the most popular horror franchises um, out there? I mean, they are like they, they are the big two, and. Um, yeah, there you are, my, 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 my wee boy's grown up, and uh, <laughs> he's, he's 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 watched all the Freddy movies and all the Jason movies, and um, yeah, like like we said, uh, we will at the end of the year do your end of year assessment, yes. which will be your look at the Evil Dead franchise, which is only four films, which seems quite small in comparison to the work we've done on the other ones. Right. <laughs> It's like only four movies, uh, but we won't tackle another major franchise until 2016. Um, and what I might do with that one towards the end of the year is I might put up an option of three franchises and let the folks vote on it. Oh, I see. I see. I, so, I had assumed that it was going to be the Halloween one, but you may I, have something else up your sleeve. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, I was, I was going to do Halloween, and then I thought, 
I'd kind of like to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. Oh. And then we were just talking um, off air about the fact that we've covered two of the characters on my uh, tattooed sleeve yeah. of horror characters. There's one more in there, so what we might do is we might put up between uh, Michael Myers, Leatherface, and Pinhead yeah. uh, for Supremacy. And I will not lie to you, Baz, not one of those franchises is an easy ride at all. I have my same feeling about all three of them and that I like about two or three of the movies and the rest I don't like. Yeah. Well, Hellraiser, I think I like about five of them, if I'm being honest. Um, yeah, I had no idea there was that many in Hellraiser. I mean, we've spoken about Hellraiser before and that I have seen the first couple fairly recently, um, although it was prior to my involvement with the podcast Under the Stairs. Mm-hmm. Um my sister-in-law had bought me like a, a three-disc set, but I didn't. I think I knew there was one or two after that, but I didn't realise there was actually as many as there are. Yeah, nine in total. Yeah, yeah, that really, I was quite surprised by that. I thought there was maybe like five at the most or something. Yeah, it's uh, it gets and it, they all get pretty strange pretty quick. So, um, like as soon as you jump past, uh, as soon as you jump past, like the. The fourth one, really, um, they all become quite abstract and weird stories and ways to try and shoehorn the pinhead character in somewhere. Uh, and Doug Bradley keeps showing up. For some reason, Doug Bradley keeps putting on the makeup and showing up, apart from the ninth one, where he refused to do it. Um, so they cast someone else. And all I'm going to say is Pinhead puts on a few pounds in between parts eight and nine. So, so it was still Pinhead, was it? But it was just a different actor? Yeah, uh, yeah. Right. They basically recast them, and it's an awful, awful, awful movie. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't, <laughs> so, it doesn't sound good. Yeah, but we, we will eventually get there. But I think that's what I might do, is, is put the power in the people's hands. Because, Baz, I don't know if you've noticed this, but our fans, uh, our listeners out there, are actually a, a quite knowledgeable bunch. Yeah, they like torturing you. I yes. mean that's that's a given everyone likes. Uh, even people that are not associated with the show like torturing you. Yeah. Um but um, Wife's a big fan yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> easy now. Uh so you're hearing like a car battery and a whip in the background. <laughs> um but yeah, I think uh, leaving it to them would be quite interesting to see which way we go down because I don't really have a vested interest in any of the three. Um that it'd be quite cool to see what's the more popular suggestion so that, yeah. that, but that will be think, 2016 so yeah, yeah. I think for me out of the three of them the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the one I know fuck all about like I kind of know Michael Myers is the one with the creepy white mask and all that and I know Jamie Lee Curtis was involved in it and as I say I have seen a couple of the Hellraiser ones but Texas Chainsaw Massacre I've never seen anything of I know it's a character called Leatherface Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen the picture when he's waving the chainsaw above his head, but other than that, I know fucking nothing about that franchise at all. Oh, it makes me, it makes me want to try and sway things towards that. That first movie fucked me up when I watched it the first time. I bought one year like three. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, it was banned in this country. It was banned in this country. It wasn't officially a video nasty, but it was banned right. um, up until '99. I want to see, and I remember uh, circa 2000-2001 um, when I was working at the video store, um, like finishing work, it was like one Saturday night or whatever, and nipping across to the supermarket and picking up a bottle of Jack Daniels and going home, 
because I had an empty, but I couldn't get anyone to come round and watch movies with me that night. Uh, we used to all like have movie nights and that. Couldn't this get is like the saddest story that's ever been on the fucking <laughs> T-Bus. Do you know what I mean? You'd be well, expecting that music that they used to play on Radio 1 to start playing, you know, the fucking... But yeah, so I couldn't get anyone to come round. They were having a horror marathon on Channel 4 and they played Texas Chainsaw Massacre at midnight and I had pretty much arsed a bottle of Jack Daniels to myself and I saw that movie <laughs> drunk and that movie fucked me up. Um, and that way when I was like that I, you know like woke up with a hangover the next day and I'd recorded it and I thought you know I couldn't I couldn't be as bad as that so I watched it the next day and that movie fucked me up a second time it's just fucking weird it's a weird weird movie so um, yeah was we'll, that we'll the wait. first showing of it? On, on um, UK I think, TV. I think so, yeah. I think yeah. that was the first proper show on UK TV was on Channel 4. Props um, to Channel 4, man. They did a lot of good shit back in the day, Channel 4, didn't they? Aye, they really kind of, especially when it came to like more obscure, like not only horror movies, but like indie indie movies that Channel 4 was your, your haven for that before yeah. they got their hands on shows like Big Brother and fucking Benefit City or whatever else they put out, which is shite. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they were like, they used to be really good every October time. They used to be the channel to watch for horror movies. They would have like a month long thing of putting on really weird horror movies at ridiculous times of the night. And uh, yeah, I remember seeing that movie and just being floored. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it might, it might pop up, Baz. I dare say if it doesn't, as, as one of the franchises next year, it will eventually make its way to the top of the list. Um, and yeah, so I think um, this show's going to run long. The previous two have run pretty long. Is there anything you want to say before we take a short break and come back with our first movie review? Uh, yeah, I'd just like to take this opportunity to uh, draw our listeners' attention to our Twitter account. Ooh. Uh, for those that are not in the know, our Twitter account is at um, and over the past few days, uh, I've really been pouring my heart and soul into that Twitter account to try and get a bit of action going on it. So this is actually the first uh, Basby Horror episode that we have I've been tweeting exclusively from the at Putts cast account rather than my own account, which historically I've always tweeted from kind of thing. Um, and it seems to have gone quite well. We've had some good feedback involved in it. We've had a lot more followers. We broke mm-hmm. through the 100 user, the hundred followers uh, barrier Yay. this afternoon, I believe, Yay. Doug. Yes, I, is, got, uh, I got a nice wee notification on my phone to say, you have 100 followers. And I was like, oh, that's itchy. nice. So, um, yeah, so we're, we're, we're both trying to make a concerted effort to get a bit of action going on that. Our Facebook group that we have is, uh, is tremendously well supported by the listeners and, and we do, we have some great interactions on that. I mean, hats off to a, a large portion of our listeners get involved with the show and primarily through the Facebook page. Um, and hats off to them for that. They're brilliant in that respect. Uh, and I just felt that the, the Twitter one, it was me that pushed you to get a Twitter account yeah. for the show um, because I believe it's better for gathering in new listeners. I think it's easier for folk to kind of come across a Twitter account than it is, say, for example, a Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And um, we've, we've just been criminally negligent with it. So I get the fucking the gloves on at the start <laughs> of the week and I've been hitting that keyboard like a motherfucker. Um, and I've been very pleased to say we've a lot of... Um, 
a lot of the listeners that hadn't followed have started following it. I have just been following any with fucking horror in a title and a lot of them have followed us back. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was tweeting, uh, particularly on the first of these films, Jerry, a couple of the other guys that, that listening, they were chipping in through it. Uh, Jamie Wilson was giving us a retweet as well. Um, and it worked extremely well and I was very pleased. So thank you all listeners, but don't stop spreading the word. Get hashtagging, get retweeting, get folk following us, and we'll get the listener numbers up while we're at it. Fantastic. Yeah, everything that the Baz said, I agree and endorse 100%. But let's see if I agree and endorse 100% his views on this first movie review. Because, <laughs> uh, you see, that's that's what they call in the business a professional segue, Baz. Oh, that was uh, Lincoln like a motherfucker, <laughs> big man. Lincoln like sausages. Only Scottish people will get that reference, but whatever. Yeah, Lincoln Lake Park. Um, <laughs> Why are you thinking that? So I don't fucking know. obvious. I don't know. <laughs> you better get your game together if you want these Twitter followers to go up. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, we are about to take a short break. You're going to hear some promos for shows that we love. You're also going to hear the trailer for uh, our first movie review from 1994. It's Wes Craven's A New Nightmare. Myself and the Baz will be back to discuss that movie right after this. Do you like movie reviews that are insightful, thought-provoking, and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities? Then you've got the wrong show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.krugernation.com. You know those old-time radio shows with the married couples who bicker about the kids and the car and the neighbors? Our podcast is a lot like that. Yeah. Well, if you replace the kids, the car, and the neighbors with devil movies, theology, and vodka. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. And we are the hosts of Kiss the Goat, a different kind of movie podcast. Every episode, we review a devil movie. You know, possessions, exorcisms, the Antichrist, and we stomp a mud hole in it, even if we like it. We are huge fans of comparative religion, and we love to compare real belief systems with what Hollywood seems to think belief systems are. But don't think we're not civic-minded, because each episode includes our Satan in the News segment, where our fearless correspondent, Sin Fallon, documents the eternal struggle between good and evil. And, as high-functioning alcoholics, we give every movie its own drinking game, so that you can enjoy the movie just like we did, ripped to the tits. (laughs) And there is ever so much more to the show than that, and let me tell you, it ain't for kids. Hell, it ain't for most adults. But it might be for you. You won't know, until you listen to Kiss the Goat, exclusively on the Legion Network of Podcasts. That's Kiss the Goat. We're the lighter side. Of the dark side. <laughs> Mark it, common mark. 
and doing a film about my nightmares as I'm dreaming them. In order for the movie to continue, it, it was dependent on me having more nightmares. Well, fortunately, I did. I'm a little frightened by what Wes may have tapped into. I frankly felt that it was over when we did the last, the final nightmare. In a town where movies go over schedule and directors go over budget, something far more evil is out of control. suffered its own terror today as two of Hollywood's best-known special effects technicians were found dead. Part of the theme of the movie is becoming like part of the making of the movie. Can you come with me in my dreams? I think that only happens in the movies. What happens when the story dies, the evil is set free. Now that the films have ended, the genie's out of the bottle. That's what the nightmares are telling me, and that's what I'm writing. This is still a script we're talking about, right, Wes? It's kind of crossover, out of films, into our reality. The only way to stop is to make another movie. Oh, my God. The bad man's getting awful close. You're gonna have to make a choice. What kind of choice? Whether or not you're willing to play Nancy one last time. No! Mommy! Cut the effect! Isn't there somebody who can stop him? That person's you. Who I mean? It was you that gave Nancy her strength. Nancy. Welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for our first movie review of the show. This is Wes Craven's A New Nightmare from 1994, written and directed by Wes Craven and starring some names that you may be familiar with if you've been following us from the first movie. Uh, so we have <coughs> Heather Langenkamp uh, plays herself in this movie because like, I loved your confusion in your tweets actually oh, I thought it was, so confused, it was fucking brilliant uh, Miko Hughes Matt Winston Rob LaBelle David Newsom, Wes Craven you have uh, Sam Rubin Robert England you have John Saxon um, you have Cully Fredrickson there's, there's a lot of names in this and the synopsis is a demonic force has chosen Freddy Krueger as its portal to the real world. Can Heather play the part of Nancy one last time and trap the evil trying to enter our world? Um, right, so we closed the last episode out by discussing Freddy's Dead, yeah. uh, the, the final nightmare, and it turns out that when the studio did that in grand horror franchise fashion, um, they didn't actually mean the final one and they wanted to try and bring it back and they thought that the only way they could bring it back 
would be to get Wes Craven involved with the project again because he had started the the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise um, pretty much a decade before and this this was his return 10 years later back to directing the the movies and he took a really interesting kind of stance on the story he didn't just want to make another Nightmare on Elm Street movie because there'd been five of them after that first one which he didn't actually like Wes Craven's pretty pretty vocal on how much he doesn't like any of the sequels um, which is weird because three's the best um, but you know he kind of he had a distinct idea of how he wanted to do this and they start changing slight aspects about the mythos of uh, of Freddy Krueger so uh, 94 comes along this movie comes out and um, you sat down to watch it this movie was the last one in your box set wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was. Aye, the other ones I had to buy separately. So this is the last one in the box set, with a tear in your eye and a lump in your trousers, Baz. I'm sure you sat down to watch this movie. Let us know what you made of 1994's A New Nightmare. Ah, shall indeed, Duncan. Yep, uh, as you say, um, first up this evening, we're on to Wes Craven's A New Nightmare. Um, I've got to say, <laughs> straight from the off. What I loved about this film is I had absolutely fucking no idea what was coming in this <laughs> film. Um, obviously, I'd never seen any of the, the Nightmare on Elm Street films, but I was familiar with the kind of character of Freddy Krueger and, and stuff like that early on, you know. So while the whole actually all happens in your dreams thing was a bit of a kind of shocking revelation to me, um, the general premise, I was kind of on board. There was nothing really hammered me. But with this... I knew it was a kind of reboot, for want of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't quite sure how they did it. In fact, until I actually started sort of scrutinising my box set, I wasn't even sure if Freddy was in this. All right. Um, because Wes Craven's A New Nightmare kind of thing. It's almost like the new horror film from Wes Craven, but it's got fuck all to do with Nightmare on Elm Street, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I genuinely had no idea what was coming and, and as you say and as, as we start talking and, and anybody if they want to go back through my tweets will see the, the kind of confusion that I was suffering at the start of this as you say that this film chronologically in real time, time if you like was 10 years after the first one so part one was 84 this one came out in 1994 um, the film itself opens and I hadn't actually caught on to this until I actually started reading the synopsis on IMDb, but this is a sort of pastiche, if you like, of the the, the very first opening of the first film, mm-hmm. um, and that it focuses on somebody making a glove, and I hadn't picked up on that. I'd forgotten that that was that very earliest scenes in the franchise. Um, so yeah, so it, it kind of opens up with somebody they're, they're working on this kind of... Well, it's obviously it's Freddy's glove, but it, it looks different. It's not got the kind of bent copper plating and all that, and it, it looks vaguely kind of robotic, and it's kind of there's folk prodding at it, and it's kind of moving about of its own volition kind of thing, you know. And I actually thought, well, we're going to get some kind of Freddy Luke Skywalker hybrid kind of thing. Do you know oh, yeah. what I mean? It's like the Dallas Cooper actually cut his hand off and they've replaced it with a fucking. You know, as he reveals, I am your fucking stepfather. <laughs> then he cuts his fucking wee wanking hand off and he has to make himself a new one. Tragically, that's not the case. Uh, Wes, if you're listening, I think you missed a trick there. What this film needs is mere Star Wars. Not, 
going to lie is when it's the one thing that this franchise misses. Star Wars. <laughs> um, it should be fucking George Lucas's new nightmare. Oh, That'd be no. fucking amazing. Would it? Yes. Would it? George, Stop no. It. No, no. George Lucas systematically went through all the amazing qualities of the original three Star Wars movies and changed them all bad, so George Lucas can fuck off. We're not having this argument again. We are having this argument. Uh, have you seen any of the remastered versions of the, the original three? I refuse to watch them. Oh, right, so, so why do you refuse to watch them? Because they're not the original three films. So, so, so yes. Yeah, so all of a sudden, George Lucas isn't a great man, is he? Oh, no, that was a cheap market employee, as far as I'm fucking concerned. The original films stand, and the the three that came after them. I'm, I'm not going to do this, really. Wes Craven's. <laughs> so it opens with this, um, and then we see a figure, uh, the the figure that's sort of tampering with the wee hand. Uh, you don't see his face, but you see the kind of arm and that, and there's Freddy's kind of iconic red and green jumper. And mm-hmm. the, the character picks up like a, a butcher's meat cleaver and cuts the hand off. And then there's this really shit kind of squirting blood effect. And I'm like, well, that's fucking crap. It's 1994, do you know what I mean? Then somebody yells, cut. And this is the kind of little twist that they've put on this at the start. It appears to be that they're filming a, Fred, a Nightmare on Elm Street film. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this this was part of the film. Somebody shouts cut, and then everybody else comes in. And there's a couple of guys working, like special effects guys, they're working on it. And this actor goes away to get himself cleaned up, kind of thing. Um, and we then see this female character comes in, and I'm going, that looks like Nancy. <laughs> and then I would get her for a different angle. Well, right, it's not Nancy. Oh, but maybe this is a week again, another week in a pastiche to the original film. I've got somebody that looks a bit like her kind of thing, you know? Because then they start calling her Heather, and I'm like, it's not Nancy, that's fine. I know where we are now. So there's her, turns out her husband is one of these special effects guys, and she has a wee kid, we have a wee kid called Dylan, who's her son. And they're obviously visiting the dad on set, and then she find out after this Heather's actually appearing in the film kind of thing, she's one of the actresses because they're calling her to go and do something. Then the... The hat, the glove that we saw earlier, kind of starts to to move on its own volition, and then it suddenly it starts attacking people. So it attacks two of the the special effects guys, not Heather's husband, but the other two. They get attacked by the glove, which is kind of scuttling about a bit like something that John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. You, know, like, you know, when the head sprouts the legs and scuttles up, it's a oh, little yeah. bit like that. But I get that, you know, the effects were quite well done and all that, were much better than the previous ones and Larry. I'm, I'm going to stay on board with this. I've had a bit of battle with Jerry Esposito at this point about, oh God, no, I've just seen the fucking the thing hand. I'm done, kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I thought, no, clean slate. Let's just forget the last three. Let's fucking move on. Let's give Big Wes a chance here. <laughs> so um, I threw myself back into the film. Um, so yeah, so it scuttles off. And then it goes to attack her husband and she's screaming and then the next thing she wakes up in bed and she kind of falls out of the bed and I'm like, ah, so it's the original dream sequence bit kind of thing that we had in all of the films I see that they've done here. Mm -hmm. I'm still fairly fucking confused as to what goes on. And it was at this point, I think, that I went on to IMDB and I looked up and I realised that Heather is Heather Langenkamp. (laughs) And see... And then by this point, I started to look at him like, no, it actually is her. Yeah. 
And I was like that, all right, she's playing herself. And I'm like, that's a really fucking clever. But, well, I thought it was really clever. I mm-hmm. hadn't seen this coming at all. And I'm like that, all right. Well, like, we'll just kind of fucking, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. One of the things, when she wakes up, they're in the middle of a, an earthquake, because they live in Los Angeles, and apparently the earthquake's there every 15 minutes. <laughs> kind of thoughtless for people that live in earthquake zones, but anyway, they decided to go down this route. Um, but her husband, who's called Chase, which is a very 80s action star name, I thought. <laughs> if, if he perhaps had a twin brother called Colt, that would, that would have just been fucking ace, man. And maybe, and maybe a wee star, a, a sidekick called Ace. That oh, would just Jesus have been right. right. They could have been like a team. They could have been like Dream Warriors too. <laughs> Fall guy years. Fucking amazing. They're gonna get big fucking cold. What's say? Who was the six million dollar man? What was his real name again? Um. In the in the show, it was Steve Austin. Steve but I can't... Austin. What was the actor called again? Eh, uh, I'll pass. It was Colt Seavers and the Fall Guy, wasn't it? That was his name in the Fall Guy. Yeah. yeah. Tweet me, listeners. Tweet me and let me know who it was. <laughs> anyway, they could have got him in as well. Just He could have been the man called Colt. He's obviously got history in that. Do you know what I mean? It'll work brilliantly. And possibly Ace Freely from Kiss. As Ace, the sidekick. Oh, I see what he did there, you see, Buzz. You see, he's got the cackle and laugh. He'd have been the amazing week in a comedy. It could have been like the salacious crumb of Dream Warriors 2. Man, are you writing this down? Because we should fucking pitch this. <laughs> this is... This has got fucking length in it, don't you? Oh, I don't this know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that, Buzz. I, I, I'm just... I'm loving the fact that in previous movies you've complained about... Um, the continuity of of character, you know, like actor changes between movies. Um, the fact that in one movie it was not very clear to be able to tell where the story was going because it became quite muddled. And you've just pitched the most convoluted idea for a, a Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. So I'm just, I'm, I'm in awe right now. This movie appears to have turned your favour round. And you, you, you're so enthusiastic here. I, I, I was not expecting this level of enthusiasm. I'm, I'm in the zone, although the, the use of the term convoluted has upset me quite a bit and kind of harshed my buzz fairly seriously, but we'll, we'll fucking we'll skate over that and move on. <laughs> well, well what will happen is... A wee bit of listen- support wouldn't go amiss. <laughs> you will listen back to this episode and you'll get about two minutes of hearing your pitch and then you'll be like that. Actually, Duncan was right. No. That's, <laughs> never. that's literally never happened. <laughs> to anybody. <laughs> oh, oh convoluted is not harsh, but basically saying that no. Right, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> so, anyway, so we find out the base of the premise is Heather is playing herself, she's playing Heather Langenkamp. This is a number of years after the the official end of the franchise, if you like, with part six. Um, but it's still it's, it's what she's, she was known for. She's known as the actress from the Nightmare on Elm Street films. She's married to a special effects guy who works on the films and so on. Um, but we also find out at this point that she has, for the sort of couple of months prior to what we're witnessing, she's been receiving sort of crank phone calls and stuff and just things have not been great at home there's been kind of problems with folk trying to frighten her and and stuff like that kind of thing and she talks about somebody that sounds an awful lot like freddy but obviously people assume oh well it's just somebody trying to wind you up because you were you were in them in the films 
Um, the, the, the kid's also a bit of a fucking basket case. He seemed alright in the nightmare, but in real life, he's one of these disturbed little fuckers. He's like that wee kid with the sixth sense of him, but we're at the fucking sparkling patter. You know, <laughs> he's. A, I don't. I don't like him as a character <laughs> at all. The dynamic personality. He actually, at one point, when I realised that Heather was in fact Heather, um, I was looking at him and I'm going, "Is that the little one? At fucking part five, the dream child? You know, the wee odd kid." Yeah. Ah, I'm going like that. He looks a wee bit like him, maybe. And then I'm going like, "Oh no, wait a minute. This is about seven years later. That boy would be a teenager, Benu." Yeah. Unless he's like Ralph Macchio and he has that weird fucking fish <laughs> where he doesn't age. Gary Coleman. Yeah, yeah, like Gary Coleman. I'm assuming that was a bit of too much of a leap, though. I, 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 I don't think that's the case. Yeah, you would be right in not thinking that's the case, Buzz. Disappointed, Bill. I'm not gonna lie, but... <laughs> Mr. Trick. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Wes, get your shit together. Phone me, Wes. <laughs> we'll, we'll do lunch. Got some ideas. Right, <laughs> so, oh my God. Right, back on track. Well, this is going to go on for hours this episode, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> okay, now. Right, um, so next up, uh, Heather is going to appear on like a, a, a morning talk show, one of these daytime TV shows, um, discussing the sort of 10th anniversary of the, the original Nightmare on Elm Street film, and obviously they've got her back as one of the characters kind of thing. Um, I love and, this sequence, by the way. Yeah, I love this it's sequence. fucking great, actually, because we get to see Robert England. Um, the premise is that she doesn't know he's there, and Robert dressed as Freddy, you know, in his traditional outfit, kind of comes breaking through the background scenery, and she gives her a fright, and then she laughs when she realises it's him. And he's dancing about getting the, the crowd going, and we get the wee kind of one-liners and that. And, but it, it was really, really well done. Uh, it's, I think on some level it's it's almost it's almost like Wes Craven pointing out the fact that you know the character of Freddy has become you know this caricature is is no yeah. longer this scary presence and and to his credit Robert England does horror conventions all over the place and will still do the voice and the creepy hand and all the rest so you know for for fans on a whim you know he'll just do that and I, I think this is it's quite cool that they put that in there you know as a nod to what had come before ah uh, yeah oh no absolutely um, as you say at this point in time his fucking face was on lunch boxes and stuff like that mm, oh god yeah so um, so, so the, the, there's, there's, there's this sequence but the whole time Heather is still a little bit freaked out because she's obviously she's unnerved by what's going to get on in her private life at this point um, and there's, there's then a scene uh, kind of after filming and, and Robert England appears as Robert and you know and they're walking out and chatting and just again it just reinforces what I've been saying I just I think he's a fucking great actor that guy and nice. it's interesting to see it because he goes from the pantomime villain Freddy to playing himself, you know a, kind of a version of himself if you like and the difference between the two was really quite dramatic. And yeah. you realise just what he actually put into the character. I fucking love Robert England, man. He should just be in every... He can come into my new film. Like, we'll have him. <laughs> and, uh, and the boy at the sixth dollar, man. So this is like, uh, is the Bazzy's new, new nightmare. Aye, the newer, better nightmare. <laughs> I, I listen, he's he's a he's a face that will pop up in movies that we'll be watching ah. further down the road. Not playing Freddy, but um, and uh, yeah, I like him. I, I think he he he's a, a well rounded um, actor. I would really like to do Behind the Mask um, with you next year. 
uh, which I think is a fucking wonderful um, kind of later slasher movie. And uh, Robert England plays the almost the hero in the movie to some extent. Right. Um, and he's just wonderful, and he's absolutely wonderful. He's kind of he's um, can almost manifest in his inner Donald Pleasance from uh, Halloween, and it's brilliant to see on screen that you know he's he's on some level he's the guy tracking down the killer. Whereas you know, for many years he played the killer, so yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's wonderful. Um, and yeah, I think the the thing about that sequence is that when um, Heather starts telling him kind of her concerns, Robert England becomes incredibly sympathetic and uh-huh. very gentle and very soft spoken with her. And it's like you say, the juxtaposition of those two those two characters he's playing is it's like night and day in comparison. Yeah. It's fantastic, and, and and it's because you get it in such quick succession. You know, mm. so the the character him dancing with Fred is very fresh in your mind, and then as you say, you see him being very sympathetic and supportive, um, which I'm sure he is in real life. He's probably a lovely fucking guy. In fact, I know for a fact he is because one of my my, my favourite claim to fames at the moment is a while back when I got the box set, I'd put a lot of fuck it. I'm dicking about with Instagram. I don't use my Instagram a great deal, <laughs> um, but I'd put up a picture. Oh, look, I got some DVDs, and here's what you know, hashtag. Freddy Krueger or something like that, and, and Robert England liked my photograph. Ah, uh? oh, you're all right by me, Bob. <laughs> You'll do for me, Cocker. <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, so they, they, they him and uh, Heather sort of leave the the the, the television studio. They're chatting away, and I'll see you later on, Robert. Blah blah blah. And she gets this phone call, and she's invited round to the New Line Cinema offices. So. All the way through this film, you're getting all these references to real life, if you like. Obviously, New Line being the company that made it and everything. Mm-hmm. So she heads over and she meets up with some kind of exec that she knows from her days on in the film. And basically, he's saying that Wes Craven's working on a new Nightmare on Elm Street film. And he wants her back to reprise the role of Nancy one last time kind of thing, you know. Um, and they have a bit of a conversation, but she, she's not keen on doing anything. She basically kind of says no, and um, she explains that she's getting these phone calls and blah, blah, blah kind of thing. Yeah. But this guy the, that she's... Sorry. The, I was about to say the exec that she meets, uh, Bob Shea. Yes. And Bob Shea's the guy that owns New Line. Oh, right, okay. It d- doesn't surprise me because obviously there's other folk come in later on who I did get who they were, but I wasn't aware of that one. But yeah, yeah. I guess it doesn't surprise me. Um, yeah, well, Bob Shea... He during the course of as well, he lets slip that um, her husband Chase is working on this film already. He'd been working on the new glove, like mm-hmm. a prototype glove for it kind of thing. Um, but he told, he'd asked her to keep it a secret from her until they'd had this conversation, blah, blah, blah. Um, so she's a bit pissed off about this kind of thing. Anyway, so she goes back home and we get the first of these kind of sleepwalking scenes where her son and he's kind of saying things like you'll never sleep again and all this kind of thing. And it's kind of lending itself towards him not quite being possessed, but almost being a conduit for Freddy. Maybe mm-hmm. a bit like that guy in, in part two kind of thing. But obviously this, he's just a child. Dylan's just a, you know, he's six or seven in the film or something like that. She gets freaked out. She phones her husband, tells him to get the fuck back. He kind of drops in a little thing that his two colleagues hadn't turned up for work. Yeah. Which ties in with the, the opening scene where his two colleagues were killed. And as we know, obviously, of the previous films, that Freddy kills you in the dream, you die in real life. But it's like in a throwaway line at that point kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
He goes dead home, but he falls asleep um, in his truck on the way home. Uh, and we, get, we then get one of the kind of... Well, I was going to say one of the traditional Freddy scenes. It's not, because it's quite well done. Um, by about, I think, part four, I think it was. What's the one where the guy and the girl get caught in the loop? She works in the diner. And they end up just going round and round every time she gets to the house, she runs round the corner for the diner again. Is that part four? Uh, yeah, that is part four. Aye. Um, so one of my... But the, the character in that one, um, he just seems to blink when he's in the car and, and you're in the dream world, you know. This one, they actually do it properly in this. You see her husband sort of start to doze off and kind of wake up, you know, and he's veered across and he corrects himself again. And then you see him... Getting and doing, but then Freddy's hand comes up through the, you know, it, it doesn't. The fucking car doesn't turn into Freddy's head. Doesn't come out the fucking CD player in. It's just the claws come up through the, you know, the fabric of the the, the seat between his legs and all this, and then starts stabbing him and everything like that. This is what a fucking Freddy Krueger movie should be. Yeah, it, it's kept the premise. You know, you fall asleep, he gets into your dreams, and he fucking kills you. But it's not shite. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Why the fuck haven't they been doing this for the start? You know, I mean, it, it's all right. It's not shit your pants, scary, but it's a lot fucking better than oh god, look his face is coming out the gear stick. Do you know what I mean? No, oh, he's using his severed arm as a seatbelt. That's, that's just shit. This is genuinely kind of nasty. You know, you're falling asleep. You are fucked. I'm going to come up with my kill you. Like Stabby me fucking hands. And that's it. And it's not drawn out. There's not some ridiculous fucking plot line about it. It just hangs him up, stabs him, and he crashes the car. He's fucking dead, kind of thing. So obviously she gets notified. She goes to the morgue. Um, she wants to see his body. Um, and at first they just show the face, but then she pulls it back and sees that he has these sort of iconic four slash marks down his chest. And obviously she's very freaked out by this thing. You know, Christ, it's Freddy. Freddy's come back, kind of thing, you know. Um, then what? Sorry, now I'm reading this off the plot synopsis here because I did not take notes. And actually, the reason I didn't take notes in this film was I was enjoying it too much. Yeah. When I was watching it the first time, I was getting a bit disturbed because I was trying to tweet and all that for everybody to follow along kind of thing. So I, I thought oh, I'll skip the notes. I'll maybe do them the next time. But when I actually sat down to watch again, I did. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to give you a bit of a spoiler here. I fucking love this film. Oh, there um, you go. I really, really do. By the end of it, the first time I was like, that was fucking great, you know. And then I sat down to watch it the second time. And I thought, I'm not going to bother with fucking notes. Mm -hmm. I'm just, it, it's so far, it's the most returnable one that I've seen. You know, I would happily stick this on again. I'm not saying I wouldn't with some of the other ones, but I think if you were to say to me, like, Barry, go and pick one now and put it on, it would be this. Um, it, it's wonderfully watchable, this film, I think. Um, we then see, I think the next kind of main scene is that uh, she goes to meet Wes Craven. And am I right in thinking this is actually Wes Craven, isn't it? Yep, that's Wes uh, Craven. Oh, I thought so. Ter terrible actor. Terrible actor. <laughs> he's not great. But fair play. He's making the film as well. Do you know what I mean? Let's cut him some fucking slack here. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he's playing himself. And had they brought in... I don't fucking know who they would do it, but who's got a fucking beard that they could bring in? I keep thinking of George Lucas. Why the fuck would they bring George Lucas in? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Don't know where I'm going with that. I think I Rolf think the Harris. thing is as well. <laughs> no, not not what we know about Rolf Harris now. Um, <laughs> the I think the thing about it is that I mean Bob Shea isn't a great actor either. I think these things that they put into the movie are deliberate nods to fans. Like if you're a horror fan, you know who Wes Craven is. You yeah. more more than likely know what he looks like as well. So. Um, I quite like the fact that they bring him in, and yeah, he's a terrible actor, but he's in this movie he's playing himself. Yeah, he's a director, not an actor. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. So I mean, I agree with you totally. I think it's I I liked it. I thought it was a a nice mechanism that they'd used. It had never been done before in any of them. And by this point, I was really on board with the whole premise of this film. By this point, I was like, "This is it's interesting. It's fucking new. It's fresh." This may have been done elsewhere in other films, I don't know. I've not seen it done elsewhere, this idea of we're making a film about the making of the film type thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I just thought it was really cleverly done. You know, they tried... Oh, I don't know if they tried to re- Well, they kind of tried to reinvent it a bit with the second one. They kind of mixed the formula a wee bit in the segment. And I quite liked it, although from what you're saying, a lot of folk don't like it. Yeah. Because of the sort of change in Freddy's MO and that. But... The rest, they just stuck rigidly to this fucking formula that just got progressively worse. Mm-hmm. Because to continue with that formula, all you could do was make it more ridiculous and yeah. more cheesy and more cliched and just more shite in general. Um, and they've brought Wes back in here and he's got, right, well, here's my idea. And I would have loved to have been at that fucking meeting because folk just must have been like, that's fucking really out there, man. But that that could actually work. This is a genuine reinvention of the thing. And yeah. But at this point, when he appears in the film, and that, I'm on with this. I, I'm going to fucking let this film go. I like this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. So he explains. So this is where the, the sort of the the real world of the film, if you like, starts to cross over with the kind of fantasy world of the film because he starts talking about oh, been having nightmares again and blah blah blah. And there's this primordial force kind of type idea, this demonic spirit, if you like, um, which I think had been kind of hinted at towards the end of the previous films. Yeah. That um, Freddy was this, if you like, this conduit. Well, there was the dream demon's pish that we got in in one of the later films, you know. (laughs) Um, Thankfully, they don't fucking go down that road. No. Um, You know, so he talks about this, and, and she starts to question him as to when he started working in this film and stuff like that. And I think she's starting to realise, wait a minute, this shit started happening to me round about the same time he decided that he was going to bring Freddy Krueger back kind of thing. And she's obviously starting to piece things together now, you know. He also gives her, there's little bits thrown in about, um, you know, how he could possibly be defeated um, this idea of the stories dying and her being this gatekeeper character, which thankfully they don't focus on an awful lot because that went a wee bit Dungeons and Dragonsy for my liking. <laughs> I'm going to say at that point it was up there with Wizard Master. Well, it's not quite as bad as Wizard Master, let's be honest. There was a slight curling on my toes at that point. Going, oh God, no! Don't, don't, don't fucking ruin it. It's been good up to this point. Yeah. Do not make her some fucking Norse Valkyrie or some fucking thing, do you know what I mean? Thankfully they don't. Um, there's then more sort of sleep sequences 
um, with Dylan, and, and he seems to have almost like a kind of epileptic fit at one point. Um, annoyingly, one of the fucking tropes they used from a previous film was the tongue thing. Uh, which yeah, I, you hate oh, that. Oh, it's because they're so badly done. And in yeah. fairness, I don't think you can even do a decent fucking tongue-based horror scene nowadays. It's not the fucking part of your body. You know, it's like trying to kill somebody with your nipples. It's fucking pointless, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Unless they shoot fucking bullets out of them. Actually, what film was that in? Oh, it was one of the uh, Austin Powers ones, wasn't it? was it? the Austin Powers, yeah, the yeah. Fembots. Yeah, I would let that go, but beyond, like, I'm getting away. But you couldn't even do that with a tongue. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It, it just doesn't work. Stop fucking book the tongue. But the tongue comes out the phone and kind of drenches her a wee bit and she gets a thing. I could have really done without that. Um. <laughs> Anyway, they, they decide at this point that Dylan needs to go to the hospital. There's clearly something wrong when we meet this kind of doctor woman, and she seems to be a real being her bonnet about the fucking horror film. She reminds me a bit of my mum, to be quite honest, in terms of how her attitude towards horror films. Um, and there's there's then a kind of protracted scene set in the hospital. There's a kind of middle section of about 20, 25 minutes of this film that are set in this hospital. Mm-hmm. And particularly on my second watch, I feel this film could have benefited from not bothering its arse with this bit in the middle, to be honest. It's, uh, I think the film in total is about 1 hour 55, so it's nearly half an hour longer Mm -hmm. than all of the others were kind of almost religiously about 90 minutes. Um, And it wasn't wasn't actually, I sat down to watch this for the first time and I was kind of doing it relatively late at night and I'm going to be finished by half eleven. And then I kind of looked at them and laughed, fuck no, it's nearly two hours. Um, And I, for me it was maybe slightly overly long. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, and this bit in the middle here is where my attention started to wane for a bit and it did it both times. In fact, when I was watching it the second time, that's when I found myself fucking about looking at my tablet and stuff like that. Um, it it kind of finishes well. I'll come out to that in a minute, but the, just the whole bit in the hospital, I think they could have transposed the the actual sort of pieces of plot that are important to the process of the film could have been done. They didn't have to be done in the hospital and that. They could have been featured in elsewhere. And I, I just think it kind of derailed the film a little bit in the middle, which I think was a bit of a shame. Um, basically, the, the whole kind of point is that the kid's very sleep-deprived. There's this mention of something called childhood schizophrenia, which is some fucking thing they've trumped up for the film. Um, Heather is getting a bit more closer to the edge. She's sort of starting to break down. She can't really cope what's happening to the wee fella. Um, we get this scene where her fucking hair goes grey and she looks like Rogue at the X-Men again which again was annoyed to an earlier film didn't need it to be honest yeah. that, that annoyed me the first time they fucking did it to be quite honest yeah you didn't like that either did you no I didn't and I liked it less the second thing because um, my Heather Langenkamp was looking pretty good in this movie I've got to say behave yourself you know, no she was man she was ditched all that ridiculous 80s fashion the weird shit she wore in part 3 yeah, oh, I would have gone there. Back in my heyday, before I was a married man. So, sorry, <laughs> sorry, love, if you're listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but the, the one bit that is good in this is um, the, the there's, there's a character I've not actually mentioned. There's a character of a 
a childminder, like a, a nanny that works for them and who's very close to the, to be Dylan kind of thing. Um, and she's had a nightmare about him and going to see him at the hospital kind of thing. And anyway, she's sitting with him um, in the hospital. The mum's getting freaked out and talked to. She's had a kind of bit of a nightmare that she thought the boy was getting killed and that. And um, so she gets taken away, gets kind of sedated. And the, the babysitter stays with Dylan and then Dylan sees Freddy basically appearing behind her kind of thing and this is him starting to come through into the real world if you like mm-hmm. um, and you know she's like what is it Dylan what is lies behind you and she looks around and obviously there's nothing there and then she turns back and then we see Freddy and he goes in with uh, the knives into her back and you see her screaming and then everybody runs up to the room and you get this almost kind of exorcist type thing going on where she's getting tossed about in the air yeah. And obviously other people are seeing this now, so they think that Heather's less kind of crazy than she actually is. Um, and, and that bit was good. I really liked the way they did that. Um, I just felt that there was an awful lot of this fucking about the hospital to get to that kind of bit. And it didn't really move the story forward very much. It killed off that particular character. And it, so it got another kind of big kill in there without having to kill off the main players in it, if you like, kind of thing. Um, so I did like the end to this section, but wasn't so keen on the, the length of it. Um, there's then a bit where so he kind of, Wee Dylan basically runs out of the, the hospital at this point, kind of thing. And this is, the, the film's starting to sort of pick up and ramp up in terms of what's going on now. Freddy's basically breaking through into the real world, kind of thing. Um, the wee fella runs away at the hospital and then there's this kind of scene a bit like the, the video game Frogger, if you, anybody can remember that, where he's trying to cross a road with hundreds of cars driving in either direction. Yeah, fucking hell. You remember Frogger? Ah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> a blast for the past. <laughs> um, but there's also a bit, and there's one of the few bits that I really kind of girned it in this, there's the Freddy cloud. So we've not been cursed with anything like the fucking Freddy Witch of the West. Or the <laughs> Freddy Mobile or the Freddy Shark or anything like that, but we do get the Freddy Cloud where a kind of giant Freddy appears in the sky. Could have done without that, but right, we'll fucking we'll let it go, kind of thing. Um, I think basically the whole point of this is, is to get them back to the house because basically they kind of run over. She gets horrendously knocked over, but still manages to get up and fucking run after them with a slight limp. Um, and then they, they get back to the house, kind of thing. And some of the other characters we met at this point, John Saxon had appeared in the films earlier yeah. um, at the when her husband was getting buried and stuff. We would go by John Saxon as John Saxon was in it quite a lot earlier on. Uh-huh. Um, he's waiting at the house when she gets she bursts into the house looking for Dylan. He, Dylan's gonna stand in there. John Saxon's there. Um and she's saying, you know, it's Freddie, Freddie's trying to kill him, and, and he comes away with this, oh yeah, right, can I line? And you're a bit like, like, well, you've been really fucking nice up to this point. Why are you acting like a dick now? <laughs> then he comes away with this, why are you calling me John? And basically he is now the dad. He's got yeah. three cop shield and everything, you know. And he's like, and he's calling her Nancy and stuff like that. So it's like there's been a kind of switch in reality and they're now back in the film, if you like, kind of thing. Um, and again, it... it it's quite confusing, but they, they handle it quite well. I've, I think in some of the previous films, there was no attempt to explain or move from one 
kind of reality, if you like, to the other. They just did what they fucking wanted, and you had to accept this because it's all about dreams, you know? Um, whereas with this one, the, the, they don't really explain it, but the, the way that they do, the, you know, just the way it's put across, well, that's quite cool, right? So it's switched back, and Freddy's kind of trying to come out of the bed. And, and it's a bit like the scene in the first film when he's coming out the wall, but he's coming up from under the bed kind of thing, and he's trying to claw his way out the sheets. And um, there's, there's quite a good scene where she, Heather eventually kind of gives in, if you like, and yeah. she calls him Daddy. You know, I love you too, Daddy. And at that point, Freddy just kind of bursts out kind of thing, you know, as if to say that she's accepted this, I'm through now, you know. Um, and she's kind of realised, I need to accept this and just fucking go with it if I'm ever going to defeat him kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, I think this is the point where, um, is this the bit where he jumps out the shit? No, I think I've actually missed a bit. There's a bit where he jumps out a cupboard at her. Yes. And he's like, miss me? And it's the, I think it's the first time I've actually jumped. <laughs> it wasn't quite a shit moment from Wreck or anything like that, but there was a, oh fuck Christ, because the Freddy that we saw earlier, yeah. when it was Robert being Freddy, you know, on the, the talk show, just looked like Freddy Krueger that we've always known, but when, the, when Freddy himself is actually um, coming through, he's quite different. I know, and I'm assuming this has been done because Wes Craven's looked at the films that have gone previous to this one, you know, you've taken my creation, this iconic mm. horror character, and just turned him into a fucking dick. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> He's just a fucking laughing stock, and I'm not having that anymore. People need to be frightened of Freddy Krueger. Yeah, you know, there's that aspect in the fact that... Um you know, this movie moves more down the fact that Freddy almost being, you know, the embodiment of some sort of demon. Yeah. So they give him that more kind of... They make him more bestial looking. You know, uh-huh. like the ears are more pointed, the the scars are more severe, the, the, the facial features, the, the grimace and the menace are, is there and he looks evil. Yeah, um, yeah he absolutely does. And, and there's none of this fucking wisecracking shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, either, which I've got to say I was not fucking sad about um, <laughs> to see the back of that it was funny when you saw Robert doing it you know let's do lunch babe kind of crap yeah. you know that was funny because it's like you say it's, it's him playing up to the character for the audience whereas the actual Freddy in the film isn't he's very kind of uh, menacing and, and you know genuinely quite frightening and it's what I've kept moaning about yeah the the Jason films, particularly the, the Kane Hodder ones, it was a very menacing, brooding character that you just can't escape from, and I never got that in any of the Nightmare on Elm Street films until now. In fact, there's a scene coming up with Dylan where he's kind of chasing them, and it, it is that old oh, fuck, you know, you better get away, son, type thing, you know, that you get all the time in the Friday the 13th films, but you just fucking don't get Nightmare on Elm Street, but it does happen in this. And I was loving that, I've got to say. Absolutely loving that. Yeah. Um, this kind of leads up to, I think, the bit that you really don't, don't like. And I kind of get why. <laughs> um, basically, they end up through a series of events, which you can't really be fucked talking about. She crawls in a big tunnel made of sheets. Um, but she ends up in this kind of dreamscape 
type slash vision of hell type thing. Yeah. It's like, kind of like a temple and there's flames everywhere and there's little kind of uh, furnace type things everywhere, you know, and obviously it's some kind of reflection of Freddy's mind or something like that. Because it's kind of familiar feeling, you know, there's wee thing, the columns are kind of red and green and all that and it, everything seems to kind of centre around Freddy and his persona. Um, and basically she's down there now, Dylan's been taken down there, she goes after him to save him, and basically this is where she battles Freddy kind of thing. Freddy's trying to kill the boy, she's trying to stop it basically. And as I say, you get these kind of chase scenes that you've not really seen much of before in this franchise, and, and the ones that you did weren't particularly well done, like in the first film, you got it a little bit, but it was always fucked up with the Mr. Tickle arms and shit like that, do you know what I mean? There was always something that kind of ruined the the suspense of the chase, if you like. Mm-hmm. Whereas it doesn't happen in this, there is this, you know, he's injured in the leg, which slows him up, which allows the kid to kind of escape and stuff like that. And yeah, I just, I was, I was just, I really liked the way that they did that. I appreciate the setting. Yeah when he spent all that time trying to break through the real world, why not just have done this in the real world? You know, rather than having to go to this nightmare scape or whatever you want to call it kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it kind of finishes up, um, wee Dylan crawls inside this furnace type room, if you like, it's like a little brick room with a kind of furnace opening with his, he gets in there to hide. Freddy's trying to get in to get him. Um, and he, Freddy gets kind of caught in the, the doorway and he can't quite reach him with his claws but then he starts to do the big long arm thing <laughs> and I'm not that enamoured with that fucking particular power of Freddy's if you like Yeah. but <laughs> of all the films this one has done best than this I think I would agree with you know that I mean it's still not fucking great but it's done a lot better than the previous ones Um but basically, they end up through a sort of chain of events. Dylan manages to get out, his mum pushes Freddy in, and they basically crank up the fucking heat, and, and Freddy gets burnt to death. And there's a kind of... There's a rather... It's not required. There's this scene where basically as he's burning, he sort of turns out the devil, just mm-hmm. very briefly, this kind of demonic figure, and I just thought, there wasn't any need for that. So, yeah. I mean... Uh, Obviously, it's kind of tying back to this primordial force thing that Wes Craven mentions halfway through the film. Um, but just they could have totally missed that out and nobody would have given a fuck. Do you know yeah. what I mean? They're try, uh, they try and sell it too hard at the end. People would have rolled with the fact of, you know, it's a demon. Yeah. I because mean, I've mentioned it in the movie before. I, I'm exactly, with you. They, they, exactly. they, they basically they play it too close to the screen at the very end and I think that's one of one of the other reasons I think the ending hurts this movie uh-huh. so. and I mean to get to this fucking point most people will have sat through six fucking previous films of this do you know what I mean yeah. so suspension of belief is not going to be a fucking problem at this point let's be honest do you know what I mean <laughs> um, so yeah so I didn't I didn't dislike the ending as much as you do that bit at the very end yeah, I could have fucking done without that. There was no need for that. Um, and to be honest, it, it kind of cheapened the whole thing a little bit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a very kind of brief sequence at the end with her reading her son that kind of story again at, at the end, you know. Um, and, it fin- and there's none of the bollocks 
Freddy pulling her through a keyhole or anything like that at the end kind of thing. It just finishes there kind of thing. Uh, but basically she's reading the script for the start of the film kind of thing yeah. at the end. Um, and that's a new nightmare. I know that there's quite a lot of bits I've, I've kind of missed out of that. Um, I don't really want to sit and go through every fucking plot device in it kind of thing. Suffice mm-hmm. to say, I thought this film was fucking great. There you go. There you I, go. I genuinely, genuinely thought this film was great. This is what I think a Nightmare on Elm Street film should be like. Yeah. Um, all of that kind of comedic fucking stuff then the repeated tropes that were put in there before are gone, or if they're not gone, they're hinted at in a nice way, mm-hmm. you know, in a kind of warm, cuddly kind of way, do you know what I mean? It makes you yeah. oh yeah, that's that's that bit, yeah, they have that in every film, oh, I see what he's done here, you know? And I just thought it was such a departure from the previous fucking crap. I'm doing that, I did like the first three films. Um, I don't think they're brilliant films, but yeah, I did enjoy them. The third one in particular, I'm, I'm very fond of. I thought that was really good. Um, but I mean, the, 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 after that, the, we've talked about this in the last episode, you know, just a steady decline. And the way it fucking ends up is just abysmal. Mm-hmm. And bucking hats off to them. They, they went to Wes Craven. They brought him back. I would imagine he was fucking disgusted with what they'd done with this franchise up to yeah. now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he was... He's still very vocal about it, Baz. He's not yeah. happy with what they did. No, I don't fucking blame him. I would be raging as well. You know, to create a character like that, um, that that went on to become... Now, I appreciate it really took off in the later films. You know, the, the first... It didn't become a, a huge horror superstar in the first film. But, you know, the, the groundwork was there. The character was there. And just... They just fucking ruined it. And he's come in and gone, right, well, fuck it. Let's just go right out to left field here. We'll flip the whole thing in its ass. We'll have people playing themselves. We'll have Robert England and Robert England in it, do you know what I mean? And it was just a great idea. There was a story. You know, it actually fucking made sense. Um, and it was faithful enough to the whole premise of Nightmare on Elm Street that it is another Nightmare on Elm Street. And to be honest, at the moment, at the moment, this is dueling valiantly with part three as to what is going to come in at the top of my list. Oh, what the fuck, man? <laughs> yep. I know people out there are going to be turning off in the No, no, th- this one is not universally hated. There's a lot of people... I mean, I've said to you before, this is the one that kind of gets my interest back into it. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's as good as you think it is. Okay. I've... I've I've some concerns, um, kind of, and it's, but it's, it's going to come back to other movies in the franchise have done these things before, but I almost forgive them because of when the movies came out, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. So there are there is some kind of weird casting choices here. I don't like the kid in this movie. The kid's really quite off-putting to me. Um, is Yeah, I just don't think he's a very good actor. Um, I don't. I don't like the ending. I've said that to you. I think the yeah. ending's too too much like trying to take a sledgehammer to to knock an attack in the wall. Um, it just feels too blunt force. Well, the rest of the movies played off this really cool idea of being not not necessarily subtle, but it's built up 
at a nice pace that then just feels like it's like it's like a money shot too far if you know what I mean yeah, it's just yeah. like like one one too many things happening at the end that it just kind of feels like overkill but out with that I, I think I think it's a I think it's definitely I mean I've said before like three's my favourite then it goes two then it goes one then it goes new nightmare so the only four right. that I really care about in the in the franchise mm-hmm. um, the rest of them I hate so and I, I, yeah I like it I mean the, the, the thing that's worth noting is that that um, Wes Craven does come up with a an idea which you don't generally see in horror movies to you know yeah. set it on the movie set and have himself in it and the actual actual actors and stuff like that. And there was a movie a couple of years before called um, A Cat in the Brain from 1990, which right. is di- directed by um, a director that I have so much love for, and I've been doing like a mini retro with uh, some friends uh, during the shows, Lucio Fulci. Did this movie I've called? Heard you talk of him. Yeah. yeah, and Fulci actually plays a director, plays himself directing a movie um, where the killer in the movie is killing people off. Um, and there's there's another movie from the eighties called Stage Fright in which someone, you know, it's like they're putting on a play and one of the people in the play. Well, someone wearing the mask in the play is a killer. And these sort of things. So what I like about it is Wes Craven kind of takes those elements that have been done in other movies and then twists them and fits them and gives them the Nightmare on Elm Street treatment. And it just works really well. It's a really interesting take to to kind of reinvent the story. But at the same time, this movie, when it finishes, it finishes. You know, it is like, once again, the, the, the option could have been there maybe to do another movie, but if that other movie didn't happen, then, you know, they've finished the movie off. And yeah. a way which feels yeah. like a full stop again, which... Uh, I quite dig as well. I'm glad. I'm glad you dug it, man. I really am. Um, you have suffered through a lot of shit in this retro. So to come back with a movie which is jostling for your favourite position there makes me really happy. I'm yeah, glad you dug it. it. It was a genuine kind of pick me up after the last one. I mean, even when I actually listened back to the last show, you can just you can hear it in me. <laughs> it gets progressively worse, and it's really fucking hard to maintain enthusiasm for films that are just fucking shite. Do you know what I mean? Um, And I wasn't expecting to dig this as much as I did. Um, I was keen to see, you had told me the premise before that it was the Botways craving back to try and reinvent it. You know, I I knew that much about it. I thought, well, that'll be kind of interesting at least. Um, And yeah, I think if one word, to sum it up to me is kind of clever it was clever the way they did it Um, to me it seemed original I wasn't aware of anything else similar Um, and that just really got me on board and it kind of ramped up as I say they could have done without that 20 minutes in the middle I think Um, but it just made it a bit shorter and a bit snappier Yeah, I I get what you're saying about the ending Um, the film itself is you know, like I say, clever up to this point, and yeah, the ending's maybe a bit OTT and kind of maybe detracts from that a bit. Uh, like you say as well, I I noticed a lot of the, the sort of scream type tropes, and you had explained to me before it that you know it made scream after this two years, 
Yeah, Scream, two years after this. Scream was this film that relaunched the slasher genre that flipped it over and started it all again, kind of thing, and get people into it again. And you definitely can't, you know, there's the, the phone ringing is a big part in this. And just the general feel and tone of it. And I think even without you having said that to me, I think I would have probably picked up on that myself. Yeah. Um, it's this idea of it, it, it goes further and creates this kind of meta horror approach, especially in Scream. Scream's very meta horror in that it is aware of it exists in a universe where it's aware that horror movies exist. Yeah, aye, this um, is what the kids are talking about. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, God, don't go there and shag your boyfriend because folk get killed in horror movies when they do that. You know, aye, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, they even, I mean, they even reference, like, right at the very beginning when Drew Barrymore is trapped in the house and her boyfriend's strapped to the chair outside and they ask some specific questions about horror movies and, you know, the one that ultimately ends up getting her boyfriend dead is the one that you didn't know about um, from back in the day when you posted Friday about Friday the 13th yeah she says who's the killer on Friday the 13th and she says Jason Voorhees and um, he goes that's not right and she goes I know I've seen that movie a hundred fucking times and he goes uh-huh. well if you know that you know that in the first movie it's Mrs Voorhees that's the killer um, so you know, you know I, I had seen Scream as well yeah you did, that's I what, still that's, didn't have a fucking clue when I watched that, that's what, that, yeah that's what made me that's what makes me smile that was one of the the things that I thought at the time I was like we'll see if it sinks in and it, you know you just never caught on to it but if you ever approach that film again I think from watching the movies we have watched if you ever yeah. go back and watch Scream again you're going to get so much more out of that movie man honestly it's, it, it was made you know it's there first and foremost for people that want to watch a horror movie but there's so many references to to specific horror movies in that or like things that you know from the horror the horror genre uh-huh. um, that you know work really well in fact Wes Craven has the fucking cameo in Scream um, oh does he? yeah when uh, when the Fonz the principal played by the Fonz um, is leaving and he looks at the janitor and he says uh, see you later Fred and it's Wes Craven the janitor wearing the fedora and Freddy Krueger's jumper mopping the floor Um <laughs> <laughs> and there's just like shitloads of that sort of stuff throughout the movie, uh, but yeah, he he goes, he kind of tries a lot of things in this movie, I think, which are basically the groundwork for him moving on to do his work in Scream, and it makes you know it, it makes sense when you see it that way. Like I say, I think it's I think it's uh, it's an interesting take back in there. It's enjoyable to watch. I don't think it's an amazing movie, but I I I, I can sit and watch this one easily. There's no. Yeah. There's no, oh, I have to sit and watch this movie again. Um, and I watched this one. I haven't. I didn't watch part uh, four um, or part five before recording. I didn't watch part six. Um, and I watched obviously this one before recording. But yeah, this is. Um, yeah, I think it's. I think it, it's a testament to. Wes Craven's an interesting director. I think he, he has made a lot of terrible movies in his career, but every now and again he reminds you why he is considered one of the masters of horror he's almost every decade um, that man has released a movie which has reinvented horror in that decade and basically set off a a train of people emulating and copying him uh, for like the next 10 years and this was no different this one has him just getting all the places right so Scream reinvents the genre Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think the the most annoying thing about it is I think to get to really get something out this film, you have to have sat through the shit that went before it. Oh god, yeah. Do you know it's, to actually go, but you know it does that, and then you're like, ah, yeah, 
that's just yeah. such a good reinvention compared to everything previous. Uh, you could watch it without having seen them, I think. Yeah. You probably could, but you get so much more when you've actually sat through the yeah. fucking dross that yeah. led up to it. It's, it's, a, it's a knee-jerk reaction. Um, the instant knee-jerk reaction to part six, I think. I think it's Wes Craven just, like, his dismay at how they finished that that franchise off and being offered the opportunity to come back and what would you do if you were doing another movie and he just answers it very very strong you know you've, you've wasted your time going down this road of making him a goofy character he should be back to be more menacing we need to bring this back in but we'll add this twist of our characters in this one are actually the actors um, and Freddy is not a character in a movie if anything else he is this kind of bringing it back to this idea of is this sort of malevolent spirit that can hunt you down and you like you you accurately said he's not the scariest character in in horror history i don't uh-huh. think I, I know a lot of people that are terrified of freddy but i i was never one of those guys um but they did they really try and make the character menacing in this one which is more effort towards doing that than the last three movies tried previous to it. they really go out their way to try and make you scared of them so yeah i mm. I, I appreciate that is there anything else you want to say about this movie before i grade you and we uh we go on and talk about another movie which is tonally so different from this <laughs> i don't think so no i think it's time we move on my friend let's hear my grade right yeah um, you you did you did uh justice to that movie and then some my friend you will get an e plus for for that review Um, now I want to cast your mind back Baz yeah cast your mind back a fair few months ago Mm -hmm. we watched a movie called Jason Goes to Hell yes we did at the end of Jason Goes to Hell Jason was killed again yeah, but he hadn't gone to hell, but he did but, get killed. Yeah, well, well, he's, he's, the spirits came up and dragged him down at the ground, remember? Yes, that's right. And uh, his mask was all that remained. And at the end of that movie, uh, a, a kind of knifed glove come up <laughs> through the ground, grabbed the mask and pulled it down with a laugh. Uh-huh. A maniacal, Freddy-sounding laugh. And at that point, speculation was that we were going to get a very imminent Freddy vs. Jason movie, which wasn't as imminent and kind of took them the best part of a decade and a bit to to actually finally iron out the kinks to make the movie happen and Freddy vs Jason came out and uh, it's it will be interesting for me to revisit this movie because I saw it the first time I saw it I quite liked it the second time I saw it I really didn't like it so this will be the third time I've ever seen this movie and it on some level, from a Freddy point of view, un- undermines a lot of what they do in New Nightmare. Oh, but right. the the issue you've had with effects and, and stuff like that are not present. The effects are pretty fucking sweet. Yeah. Um, and you get to finally see two massive horror icons square up face to face. The only problem is you didn't get to see Kane Hodder. Um, Kane Hodder, unfortunately, finished off his last performance as Jason X. When this movie came up, he wasn't recast, so they bring in a fucking giant to play um, Jason Voorhees. And we are going to talk about that movie, and I can't wait to finally sit down and review Freddy vs. Jason on the podcast Under the Stairs for Baz v Horror. We're going to take a short break. You're going to hear some promos in the trailer for that movie. We're going to return and uh, kill um, <laughs> kill this review. <laughs> 
uh, with either a machete or some uh, knifed fingers um, right after this break. You're listening to the podcast under the stairs. 72 movies that shocked a nation and made an infamous list the video nasties. Hi, I'm Duncan McLeish and you can join me and my co-host Andy Blockley as we chat about the 72 films, reviewing them all from the video nasty list live on our podcast. Tell them about it Andy. Okay, 1982. 20,000 films were seized in London alone because they were too nasty to be watched. Come and find out why. That's right. The show's called Doing the Nasty Podcast. You can find it exclusively on the Horror Delia Network of Podcasts. Come and check us out. Welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for our second movie review of this Baz v Horror 20. This one, um, well, we're we're jumping away from the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, kinda for a little bit here for this review anyway. Um, this was the long gestated project, um, which was kind of set up at the end of Jason Goes to Hell, and became an absolute production nightmare was in limbo for, for many, many years and then finally surfaced in 2003. It's Freddy vs. Jason. Uh, let me give you some information about this one. This one is directed by Ronnie Yu. A man, by the way, Baz. Uh, yeah, I am not familiar with this dude at all. Ronnie, Ronnie Yu um, did a, a movie called Bride of Chucky, which I've reviewed oh, before. Right, yeah. Which I didn't like. Um, okay. I really didn't like that movie. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really the only one that I know. I, I know he did some like Asian cinema beforehand. Um, I think he did. Uh, he did that movie. Uh, what's his face? Fucking the one that I did see, the martial arts one, Fearless, Fearless, uh, from 2006 with Jet Li. And uh, it's not a very good movie either. Um, but th- this guy Ronnie Yu is quite famous. Um, for saying that he did not like Freddy Krueger or Jason at all. Right. No interest. No interest in either one of them. Really, really couldn't give a fuck. Couldn't give a tiny fuck about either character. And it pretty much shows when you see the fucking movie. Yeah, and the, um, the studios went after this guy. Yeah, he was the one that was ultimately picked at the end because I think Bride of Chucky had been seen as somewhat of a success. 
Um, and I know plenty of people that like that movie, and I know plenty of people that like this movie. I, I, I really don't like this movie. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, he, yeah, he famously didn't like either character. Um, there's great, uh, there's great uh, documentary. Um, that Never Sleep Again documentary that I keep talking yeah, about, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, where he basically says such, you know, I, I, I don't really have an interest in either character. Not really interested. And he was the one they picked. Um, so, oh, let's get into this one. So the writers, um, it's funny, IMDb credits four writers, but I happen to know that there was like dozens of writers involved with this project. This went through... Rewrite after rewrite after rewrite after rewrite, um, and changed so many different ways, and ultimately ended up the way it is just now. Um, the movie stars Robert England as Freddy Krueger, Ken Kurtzinger as Jason Voorhees. So this is now, bye bye, um, Mister uh, Kane Hodder, um, who who was actually kind of. Uh, it was a bit of obviously fan controversy because they expected Robert England, who was Freddy Krueger, yeah. to go off against Hodder, who was the longest serving Jason, but they, the studio decided no. Uh, Monica Kina is in this movie, Jason Ritter, Kelly Rowland. I, I did enjoy your tweets about the, the realisation that Kelly Rowland was in this movie. Yeah, I, I was like, that chick looks really like Kelly Rowland, man. Do you know? And I was quite surprised that I knew Kelly... Kelly her name is really hard to say. I was uh, I was quite surprised I knew who she was. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I actually knew the name of a member of Destiny's Child other than Beyonce. There you go. And then, uh, I was like, me and Bear like that. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and this will be my last podcast, folks. Yeah, I used the word B on air. I am taking myself off there forever. Hey, Chris Marquitz in this, Brendan Fletcher, Catherine Isabel. Did you did you know who did you recognise Catherine Isabel? Um, she was the smoking chick, the one who had the dishy boyfriend. No, I didn't recognise her at all. Right, she um, she's kind of famous in the old. Uh, horror community you have seen at least two things with her in it where she played um, one of them a very prominent role and the other one a slightly lesser prominent role she is uh, is indeed um, you may remember I told you to, well in fact after last year's uh, Baz v Halloween you watched a certain little movie called American Mary yes that's her that's American Mary yeah, Catherine Isabel, yeah. Ooh, and never picked up that at all. And, and uh, you, like myself, enjoy the, the TV show known as Hannibal. Yes. Right, Mason oh, Berger's sister? Ah, oh, I was going to Marco. say, is it Freddy the Reporter? No, no, no. no it's Margot. Margot, yeah, that's Catherine Isabel. So oh. this, was, this was when she was a bit younger, like, this is 2003, so... Um, yeah, yeah. She'd done Ginger Snaps by this point, if memory serves, which is an excellent movie that we will cover at some point. Um, but yeah, so so Catherine Isabel's in this movie. Um, there's other folks in here. Uh, the synopsis, Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees return to terrorise the teenage po- population. Except this time, 
they're out to get each other too. Um, which is, yeah, that's kind of what, nah, that's what the movie's about. It's actually quite an accurate synopsis. Um, I really don't want to shit in this movie. I, like I say, I know plenty of people that like this movie, but I watched it for the third time yesterday in prep. I watched it along with your tweets, big man. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I went the way to the- do it, my friend the full interactive audience participation experience uh, I had a, a, a one way ticket front row seat to to the Baz V Horror Show and I'll tell you I enjoyed it I enjoyed that, it that's uh, over here we like to call that the Baw Deep experience <laughs> the Baw Deep experience and it was worth every fucking penny every uh, inch every, every <laughs> throbbing veiny inch of it dear god right um, so you watched <laughs> You watched Freddy vs. Jason. Yes, I did. Um, this was our small stopgap before we tackle our final movie in the franchise, which is the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Yep. Let us know what you made of Freddy vs. Jason. And, and I think we should also note that this is the last time, the last time, Robert England appears as Freddy. Yes, indeed, Duncan, indeed. Um, and you, you and I had actually discussed previously uh, maybe what order we should do the, this last couple in. Um, yes. Obviously, the last one that we've just finished talking about there, um, the new nightmare, it is a very you know, while it changes the tone and it flips things about a bit, it does follow nicely on from the previous six kind of thing. But I suppose these latter two, you could mess about with. But to me, it was only right that we finished England running it. Um, like many other people, I think I would have liked Mr. Hodder uh, as my Jason in this movie, but alas, mm-hmm. it wasn't to be. But yeah, I think it's only fair that we finished off with Robert and then we can. We can deal with this other one shortly. Yes. Um, As a whole, the concept of this film had me slightly concerned. And there's a reason for that. Um, You know, and I think I've mentioned it before, um, I'm quite, well, I was a very big comic book fan in my younger days kind of thing. I kind of tend not to read them so much now, but I do tend to. I like to dip my toe in occasionally, but I I was obsessive with comics, particularly Marvel. Um, when I was younger and during the kind of 90s which would be in my heyday of collecting Marvel they, there was a period where they lost all of their really big exciting new creators both in writing and in kind of art side of things they'd moved on to form their own company called Image Comics and Marvel went through this odd period where it was mediocre storylines you know, they weren't doing much with the characters and there was just constant team-ups. Yeah. And you would get, um, like, a crossover, what they call limited series, so maybe just a four-issue set of comics. And it was, you know, the fucking Avengers versus fucking Power Pack. And it just really obscure. It was just anything to put two groups of people together that hadn't been in a comic before. And it was a really tawdry fucking mechanism, basically, to try and hook people in. And quite often it was to try and get fans of one comic to buy another comic as well, kind of thing, you know? Yeah. There were, in 99% of cases, fucking inferior quality, to be quite honest. Um, And this film, the the idea of this film, Freddy vs. Jason, just reeked of that to me. Yeah. um, From the... You know, before before I'd watched it. So I was slightly concerned. I did, however, approach it with a a fairly open mind. Um, But I, I was a little bit unnerved about the whole idea of the thing. Um, and it did settle me down quite quickly, I've got to say, we had the New Line Cinema logo comes up, and then the old iconic 
came in over yeah. the top of it kind of thing and it it's funny I sat up no I didn't quite sit bolt upright but I, I did kind of sit up and go oh look, look there's, there's the thing to the Jason films it's been quite a while obviously since I've watched one of them and it was odd it just it, it totally took me back to when I was going through that franchise so that was quite cool I liked and that, that. The- the, the, the fact as well that, I mean, it's New Line Cinema. New Line Cinema never had, you know, a Friday the 13th yeah, movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the, the fact that, you know, it, it's made its way over there and now you've got what is the, the classic emblem of the start of a Nightmare on Elm Street movie and you get that. Yeah, and with you, actually, the, 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 the start of this movie, the concept, the general idea... It's actually a pretty good one for it. I mean, it makes it kind of makes a lot of sense to me mm-hmm. how they set things up at the very, very start of this movie. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I yeah. mean, it is, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, it kicks in right up to that point when the credits kick in, you're like, right, we're, I'm, I'm ready, let's roll. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the opening sequence in the actual film, I quite liked it as well, I've got to say. Um, it focuses on Freddy. Um, but it's kind of it's Robert England. It's pre the burning at this point, and it, it's a little bit of a kind of flashback, um, and we get a little bit of Freddy's history, his kind of origin, if you like. And kind of interestingly, it's a bit that we've not seen before. For the very first time, we see Freddy be one of the kids. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty unsettling, I've got to say. Again, fucking, and I keep banging on about this all the way through this franchise, but hats off to Robert England. Um, I, have, I have a great deal of respect for that guy having watched these films. Um, yeah. The films are of wildly varying quality, we all know that. Um, you know, I'm a fast approaching the end and I'm in total, totally on board with that. They are of wildly varying quality. But he is the one constant through these films um, and I think he's great, I really do. Um, and again, this is a kind of new side to it and you see this really seedy, creepy kind of scene with, with a wee girl. Um, yeah. you, you don't see anything graphic in it. I don't think 2003 they were quite ready to cross that threshold yet in a kind of mainstream horror, but... Um, it's very well done, and I like that. I like I've liked the origin stuff we've had in the previous films, and they they picked a little bit that we hadn't seen before, and I, and I kind of appreciated that. Um, I think this has obviously been primarily done because Freddie kind of narrates over the top of this scene, yeah. um, and I'm assuming this is done to kind of give an introduction to the character for those that maybe haven't sat through all of the films. Or, or indeed any of them, I suppose. There is, obviously, I think, with a lot of these franchises, they do have to bear in mind that it would be beneficial to make them standalone entities as well. You know, you want somebody to be able to sit down maybe with part five or something like that because they've gone to the cinema, you know, with somebody that's into them or something like that. It kind of makes sense of it. So they've, they've kind of encapsulated it with this little Freddy monologue thing, um, which was quite well done. And it's interspersed as well. With some of the iconic scenes from the early films, we see, I think, yours and I's kind of favourite one, the, the walking from part three, you know, when he's got the wee boy with the, the puppet strings. Oh, yeah. Um, so we get a clip of that, and we get clips of various other ones um, from the previous films. And, and it sets the scene quite nicely. Um, and he then kind of sets the scene for this film, and it's this premise that um, Freddy is no longer a threat anymore. He's basically kind of trapped in hell and can't get out because everybody's forgotten about him now. None of the kids really know about him. There is no fear of him and he can't use that um, to enter enter into their dreams and, and terrorise Elm Street anymore. 
which does kind of fly in the face a little bit of part six you know when you've got the one the one with the boy coming out the airplane at the start and all that because that kind of implies that it was late anyway i'm not going to get too hung up in that kind of thing um and then freddie then t- tells us about this plan he's got basically searched one end of hell to the other and all this blah 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 crap um, and he's found somebody that he can use to get back in and it's jason Voorhees. and his plan is to get Jason back to life, get him into Elm Street, killing people, get them all terrified because they'll think that it's Freddy back and they'll all be terrified of Freddy again and he'll be able to use this as his in kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like you say, like you've just said a minute ago there, Duncan, it's actually not a bad premise for bringing the two of them together and leading into this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will say... It took me my second attempt at watching it before I fully picked up on that. Right. Now, it may have been down to the fact that I was tweeting during my first viewing. Um, As I've said before, sometimes that can distract me a little bit from the film and sometimes I miss wee bits. It may have been down to that. But also, prior to my second watch, I think after my first watch, I did, I was suffering, I was really quite tired when I watched it the first time around as well. Um, and I felt by the time I'd finished it, I didn't really understand quite a bit that had gone on. And it was, it was down to distractions from tweeting and being a bit overly tired kind of thing. So I, I'd read the plot synopsis as well before I watched it the second time. Mm-hmm. And things made a lot more sense at that point. So, But you're right, it, it's not a bad premise. Any premise to get these two on the screen at the same time is going to be slightly tenuous, let's be honest. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This isn't a bad crack at it. You know, they've at least made the attempt at a story, you know, yeah. a kind of plot theory, if you like, kind of thing. And and I'm on board with that. that. That shows a bit of effort compared to some of the previous films. Fair enough, do you know what I mean? Um, which we then cut to a scene, and this is straight out of Friday the 13th by this point now. So it's a, it's a camp counsellor, she's down in the jetty at Silver Lake, she's flashing her boyfriend, her tits and everything. And I've got mm-hmm. to say, I was quite enjoying that. That was the, <laughs> I didn't realise quite how I'd, much the gratuit, how much I'd missed the gratuitous titty shots in Friday the 13th. <laughs> Turned out quite a lot. So... Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, so hats off to them for that. She dives into the water, um, her boyfriend hasn't appeared out of the woods, she gets a bit freaked out, she kind of runs off, and then straight away, you're like, oh god, we're back, it's Friday the 13th again, kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. She runs into the woods, we get the little false start kind of brights that Friday the 13th was always excellent at, you know, the bit where she bumps into a tree and she thinks it's him, but it's not, it's just a tree, blah, blah, and then sure enough, there's Jason, and he skewers her. Um, with his big machete on a tree kind of thing, you know. Um, and then there's this rather odd scene where her face kind of morphs into different people. Yeah. And I was kind of like that. Are they meant to be characters that we know? But then I actually, just before my second watching, I was messing about in my, my Blu-ray menu thing and I happened to watch one of the little sort of behind the scenes footage things and they were talking about that scene in particular and apparently they had all sorts of plans for this scene there was going to be different folk running through the woods at different times and blah 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 and then the whole fucking lot get cut Mm -hmm. and then they brought it back in at the very last minute 
and they, by their own admission, it was a kind of shit attempt at it. They had this kind of plot idea based around numerous people all kind of morphing into different people and that, and then they binned it, and then they kind of grabbed the scraps back out the bin again and just stuck it in. And I think that's why, for me, it didn't work particularly well. What did work better was just right after that, we see Pamela Voorhees come back. Yeah. Now, tragically, it's not the... And her name does escape me. Who was the one? Uh, Betsy Palmer. Yeah, it wasn't Betsy Palmer. Um, I'm assuming she'd be a fair age by this point, in fairness, because this... She was approached. She was approached. Oh, Yeah, she was approached. She turned it down because she said that the role was too small. She would like she was like that. If I'm coming back to reprise this character, I don't want it to be like three lines at the start of a movie. You know, I I, I want something a bit more, and they couldn't guarantee that for her, so they just recast it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, so it's her, and, and she basically what becomes apparent now is that what we're seeing this whole scene with the counselor and all that getting stabbed is in fact a dream. So we're in Freddy's mm-hmm. dream world. And Freddy is masquerading as uh, Mrs. Voorhees to reanimate Jason. So she says, you know, you can't be killed, Jason. That's your gift kind of thing. You can't be killed. Come back to life for me, Jason. Come back and kind of avenge me. Remind them who I am. Kind of, you know, and you see Jason's body reanimating in his grave and he breaks out his grave and he stomps off like he always does. Mm. And, uh, and then she kind of morphs as she's shouting this, make them remember me. And she kind of morphs into Freddy's face. Um, at that point and that bit was quite well done um, yep. the previous bit I don't know why they brought that back had they just stabbed that girl and left her hanging on the tree had her top Jason you know from beyond the grave if you like fair enough but they didn't need the face morphing but I thought that was a bit much uh, so that's so that's so now we have the situation where Freddy's in hell but he can't really get back and Jason's back and he's heading off to Elm Street um, which must be a bit of a fucking joint for him, I've got to say, but we'll, we'll skip over that. <laughs> and how does he know where Elm Street is? <laughs> well, there, there's, yeah. you can pick holes in this till the cows come home, let's be honest, don't <laughs> um, Yeah, so anyway, well, Jason just sets up. I'll just, I'll just go a wee walk to Elm Street. I think it's, you know, just like clippy, I'm sticking his tongue out through his hockey mask, licking his <laughs> finger and putting up to find out which, you know, charting it by the stars and that, hitchhiking up the road to put his hand out waiting for a trucker. Oh, oh, fuck. A big fucking sign at the side of the road. Springwood, 2,700 miles. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Oh my god! Oh god! I, I, I mean, the, the thing, the thing to note as well here is obviously like Ken Kurtzinger playing Jason is a fucking giant. I think he's like six six. Yeah. Which yeah, which is a ridiculous height, and I, I mean, he doesn't have the the muscle mass of Kane Hodder, but what he does have is this very huge kind. Of, even the way he moves is very zombie like. I always thought that. Like um, Kane Hodder's portrayal of Jason at times with like the sharp head movements and all the rest was less zombie-like, right. even though it was like a zombie character. And when you see the new Jason, the, the very, very tall Jason, he has a kind of almost zombie meets Frankenstein sort of kind of plodding walk that he has. Um, and at the beginning, that, that, that thing, that's one of the things that stands out to me is just how fucking tall. I mean, Jason was always, he was always an imposing character. But in this movie, he's fucking a giant. It's like a giant, giant Jason. And um, I'm not against that. I'm not against that at all. Um, 
because like when we saw in the remake uh, they went for a very tall actor as well not not quite as tall as this guy but they went for a very tall actor again I, I, there is something quite freakish about that height that kind of works for me but um, like this was the first time we'd seen like an uber tall Jason and I, I, I think it really works quite well we'll talk about later on when we have like Jason and Freddy on the screen together and there's just this fucking huge height difference where basically Jason looks down and Freddy's constantly looking up at him and there's that kind of almost that kind of David kind of Goliath sort of battle it's like an uphill struggle so to speak over you know almost like a like brawn over brain yeah yeah I just think that's pretty cool yeah yeah I wouldn't disagree mm-hmm. um one other little bit I'm going to throw into this, this is my little disclaimer, um, I had a tweet last night, the initial scene with Freddy smoking a cigarette, which was a new thing, Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> and I had tweeted about Freddy being on the fags, and then I put in a little disclaimer after that, that, that was fags in the UK sense of the word, meaning cigarettes, and not yes. any form of homophobic slur, and I put Baz's friend to all the lovely gay folk in my tweet, my wife then pulled me up because she thought that was condescending to gay people, right? If I have offended any gay people by either of those tweets, I apologise profusely. It was certainly was not intended. I think I think by now our listeners understand that we are one hundred percent pro you. Like basically, whatever you want to do, we are with you one hundred percent. It's short of mass murder. <laughs> Fair play. Yeah, but yeah. you 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 live your life as you want, and uh, the podcast under the stairs does not judge. We love we love everyone. We love We're an you inclusive. All. We're an inclusive podcast, and sometimes that means that we get into your business a little bit too much. Yeah. Uh, kind of like that way. If there was a couple sitting in a cinema and there was empty seats all around, and you sat right down beside them and just started helping yourself with the popcorn, um, that is kind of like the podcast under the stairs. That's how I envisage envisage us, Baz. Like when you're sitting down to watch a movie. We're kind of there in spirit, sitting right beside you, even when you don't want us. Yep, staring at your bra strap. Baz, oh no. Um, sexual harassment nah, suit that this podcast did not need. That's why we'll not be back next week. I'll be, I'll be trying to, I'll be trying to pull some sort of case evidence to to claim that you're not a sexual deviant, and I'll be losing that case. Yeah, it'll be a hard fucking job. We've got anyway. hours and hours <laughs> recorded to you. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we've also let's move got on. about an hour of this one, and we're not out the opening scene yet, Duncan. So let's crash on here. <laughs> let's crash on with wild abandon, right? So that's set the premise. Um, next up, we start meeting some of the teens. Um, the main one of which is a character called Lori, who is played by the actress Monica something or other. I think Monica. Monica Keenan. Keenan. Yep. Um, oh my God, she's hot. She is a smoking hot piece of ass. I don't care who knows. Um, I was a huge. I actually thought she looked vaguely familiar, but when I was scouring about <laughs> looking for naked pictures of her, and then on IMDb, oh, Jesus um, Christ. <laughs> I jest, I jest. No, but when I was looking through her sort of filmography, I mean, she's been in a lot of stuff, but yeah. nothing jumped out at me. She just seemed vaguely familiar. So yeah, so you've got her. You've got the character of Kaya, who is played by Kelly Rowland, who, as we've mentioned just previously, there I did. I kind of said, oh god, she looks really like Kelly Rowland, and then realised it was in fact Kelly Rowland. So I'm going to refer to her as K- Kelly Rowland of Destiny's Child fame. Uh, we have the character of Gib, who's the other female, and the one that you mentioned, Duncan, that apparently has been in Hannibal and in American Mary. Um, they're at a kind of house party, um, two guys turn up, one is Gib's boyfriend, 
and he's, he's the archetypal asshole boyfriend. Like, I've never been so happy for somebody to get killed as this guy. He is a prick. He's also brought along his slightly dreary sidekick, Blake, who seems to think that drinking fucking moonshine out a hip flask <laughs> and talking about feng shui is the, is the way into some of these knickers. Oh, uh, God. No, no, where I grew up, Blake, son, I tell you that. No, where I, well, if where I grew up, that would have got you slapped and maybe stabbed. Yeah, you, you never use the word feng shui. No. Uh, any, <laughs> just, just as a rule, you don't use the word feng shui in Scotland because people won't know what that means and they'll assume you're calling them something. Yeah, in a foreign language, I'd stab you. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so, this is our kind of... What we've seen in all the Freddy and in the Jason movies is the group of teens, so it's, it's very familiar territory we're on. Um, Gib basically gets bullied into going upstairs and sort of date raped by her boyfriend, which is kind of weird. Um, it's maybe not quite that bad, but he is a very aggressive guy. Um, and we get this whole kind of, he, he basically asks her upstairs to have sex. Um, and she stops to grab a beer and he shouts, you know, don't make me ask you twice. I'm sorry, if I shouted that at my fucking wife after trying to entice her up the stairs, I would end up in fucking hospital getting my balls extracted from my spleen where she'd kick them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but anyway, Gib rather rather recklessly goes up the stairs. Um, so they're up the stairs and weirdly having sex with the door fucking wide open. You know, you're at a house party, shut the door, you dirty little bastards. Um... <laughs> And then, so they finish, and he basically continues treating her like shit, so she storms off to have a shower. While he's in the shower, uh, while she's in the shower, rather, he reaches over to get a beard, rolls back, and there's fucking Jason standing above him, and Jason gives him a bit of a stabbing. And uh, I've got to say, he really goes at it, this Jason. Yeah, it's, um, it's, yeah I love how you say it, a bit of a stabbing. Uh, see, see, when I think... Yeah, see, when I think a bit of a stabbing, I think someone with maybe like a pocket knife, like a couple of quick shivs ah. in the side, and then that's it done. You've got to remember, Jason has a rather large machete, yeah. and he doesn't just stab him like a couple of times. I think we're into double figures. In fact, so much so that the guys inside start to come through the bed. The bed, yeah, I did notice that. I picked up on that. Or the fucking cow's liver or whatever it was they were using to represent his in it. <laughs> That's um, not the best bit though, Baz, because the best bit's the bit that happens right after that. Yes, where um, basically uh, Jason puts down his machete and folds the bed in half, folding <laughs> the guy in half in the process, but in the wrong way, because the guy's lying on his front, so he basically gets folded shut backwards. Oh, such and, a- such an amazing kill, yeah, such an amazing kill. it, it was kill. good, and, and it was very reminiscent of some of the ones that we saw in, in some of the Friday the 13th films, and obviously it's kind of an homage to that. So fair play to New Line Cinema. They are... They were very kind of reverential to the character of Jason. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To the point that, so one of my comments, and, and it's in my notes as well, for the at least the first half, if not the first hour of this film it's almost like two films spliced together one minute it's a nightmare in elm street film then it's a friday the 13th film then it's back to nightmare you know and it just goes between whatever character it is because there's not much interaction between freddy and jason until the latter kind of half hour of the film yeah 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 um and both kind of 
themes, and you know, both styles are very reminiscent of their franchises. So it, it jumps between them. And I've got to say, I quite like that. that you know, there could have been a danger that maybe New Line would have just tried to shoehorn Jason into a Nightmare in Elm Street film. And they've not, you know, his scenes in the first part of the film are classic Jason Voorhees scenes. In my, in my yeah. mind, anyway. You know, no, that, no, I would, I would, I would agree different. with you. You know? I think I think it's I think it's the difficulty of trying to pull a movie like this off. It's like you see the same with ensemble casts, even in kind of later day comic book films. Like I mean, one of my biggest gripes with a movie like Avengers um, is that because each character has their own fan base, the movie feels the need to constantly give you five minutes of this character, then five minutes of yeah. and then what's this character doing, and all the rest. And I, I sometimes feel that we sometimes get cut short on what one character's doing for the sake of showing another one on screen. I get the feeling it was the same with this. I mean, you have two of arguably the largest, in fact, it's not even arguably, it is the two largest pop icon horror characters of all time. Yeah. is Freddy and Jason. And they both have very, very split down the middle fan bases that you need to give the fans what they want on both sides if you don't, you risk alienating them, which I don't think was ever the intention. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, genu- I genuinely think they approached it with this sort of idea that <clears throat> we understand these are two huge beloved characters, so we will try and give you Jason as you know Jason, yeah. and we will give Freddy as you know Freddy, and we will try and... D- that, that's the one thing that kind of stands out to me, you hit the nail on the head, is how much Jason time we get at the start in comparison to Freddy, who only really starts making an impact in the last half an hour. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so there, that's our, our first real kind of kill, if you like. So that's the first of the teens gone. That's uh, Gibbs' boyfriend, he's dead. Um, she then comes out the the shower room to see this, you know, and she's skating about in pools of his blood and stuff like that, and then they all go run screaming from the house kind of thing into the street. And there's an excellent fucking bit where there's a cop car coming up the street, and obviously they're all standing in the middle of the road screaming to get it to stop, and he winds down the window, the cop winds down the window and says, you know, can I be of assistance? And <laughs> the character I give, she's covered yep. in blood, she just sticks her hands through the window and goes like, what do you fucking think? <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. Do you know what I mean? I've been waiting for that line for about fucking two years in all these horror films. <laughs> yeah, he fucking hell, would you think, dickhead? I'm drenched in my boyfriend's blood here. Um, so I really like that. Um, there's then, there's a kind of scene uh, at the um, at the police station. Uh, and Laurie kind of falls asleep. Laurie's the kind of main female lead in it. Um, she kind of dozes off and we see Freddy appear a little bit to her in the dreams. And she starts to, you know, there's people in the dreams telling her, um, you know, his name's Freddy Krueger. And this is Freddy starting to seep back into their dream world, the dream world of Elm Street, if you like. Um, mm-hmm. And there's an excellent fucking scene where she comes across a little girl kind of cowering. You know, she's kind of... It's, Classic Freddy, you know, she looks as if she's woken up, but she's not really, she's still in the dream world. Um, and she goes up the corridor and there's a little girl, and the girl very slowly turns around and her eyes have been gouged out, and it's the wee girl from the opening scene. Yeah. Um, but it was really, really fucking creepy, like insidious creepy, you know, just the way she yep. turns around and she starts talking and that. And that fucking blew me away, actually, because there's been nothing like that in either of these franchises up to this point. That genuinely, oh, Christ, kind of 
you know, freaked out feeling, and that totally fucking nailed it, I've got to say. Yeah. And that was really good. Um, yeah, and then they meet up in school, we find out that Blake was also killed, so basically after they'd all got home after the police station, Blake had begun an argument with his dad, he nods off. Um, Freddy tries to kill him but can't, Freddy realises he's too weak in the dream world at the moment to actually do damage, so he kind of makes this coming, I'll leave some of them for Jason just now. And Jason, basically when he wakes up, his dad's beside him and here his dad's been decapitated and then Jason kills him. So that, that's mm-hmm. the second one going. And the girls at school the next day, they're saying that it, the police are trying to point the finger at Blake as if it was a kind of murder-suicide type thing. Yep. Um, I can't remember if it was at this point, or maybe skip by it. There's another scene which is set in a kind of mental institution and we're introduced to two other male characters uh, yeah. who are kind of long-term inmates in this institution. Um, and one of them sees the reports on the television about this murder um, in this house and gets very agitated and he's trying to get out. And it turns out he is uh, Will, who is or had been the boyfriend of the Laurie character. Yeah. Um, and he was mentioned in passing earlier on by Kelly Rowland of Destiny's Child fame when she said she was basically trying to get Laurie to go off with the Blake guy kind of thing um, and she says you know you need to go over it you were 14 fucking time with this guy Will was about blah 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 and basically this Will guy had ended the relationship very abruptly that's all we know up to this point um, but that Laurie has always kind of pined after him kind of thing and then when we see him he's in this mental institution with this other boy who I think he'd known previously to it kind of thing um, and basically they've been you know kind of forcibly detained if you like there for a, a period of a, a number of years in their own medication and that and this hypnosil drug comes back into it yep now yep. that was obviously mentioned I think and that was part three wasn't it it was dream that's that's right. that first get mentioned yeah they're in the same institute as part three. Oh, I didn't pick up on that aye they're in the, the same institute it just right. looks a lot better now yeah <laughs> but yeah yeah so the same, same one. they're all getting administered this hypnosil which as we know from previous is this amazing drug that can suppress dreams and so on but obviously they don't know why they're on it mm-hmm. anyway uh, this Will character he's very frightened by what he's seen on the news he's worried about this lorry girl and he decides that they're going to try and break out so him and his little sidekick through a convoluted thing I'm not bothering they managed to escape to this place and head off in this kind of fucking weird stoner Scooby Gang van thing that's all <laughs> a shag pile in the back and everything, do you know what I mean? It's, it's a bit fucking bonkers. Uh, I was absolutely desperate because like, on the side it's got like a fucking, <laughs> like one of those topless fantasy drawings, you know, like the yeah. female Conan with her tits hanging out and a dragon. And I couldn't make out what it said in the bonnet. If any of our listeners could tweet me and tell me what was written on the bonnet of that van, I would be eternally grateful. Um, yes, yeah, so they've escaped, so they, they head back to Elm Street, basically, to try to try and, and help out and figure out what's going on, kind of thing. Um, where are we now? Um, yeah, there's then a scene at this kind of rave party out in the... The middle of a cornfield, basically. Yeah. Um, so there, there was another actually there was another couple of characters were introduced briefly. Um, so it's not just the one group of teens; it's actually about two or three little groups of teens that kind of come together. Um, there was another two, one of whom 
The boy's name escapes me. Let me quickly fly down my Wikipedia page. Um, he was the character Linderman, Charlie Linderman, right? Chris Marquette. Yeah, yeah. And I thought at first it was that Miles Teller, you know, that was in Whiplash and the Fantastic Four. He but, does, he does bear a, a scary resemblance. I, 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 like, fucking hell, Miles Teller, isn't it? And then I'm like, oh, no, wait a minute, he looks exactly like he does now. And yeah. this film's about fucking 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and then I don't, I'm a huge fan of the film Fanboys, the Star Wars fan film. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm the same. Chris Marquette's in that. He plays one of the boys in that, um, and that's where I knew him from. But yeah, he does it look scarily like fucking Miles Teller. So there's him, and there's this other character whose name I can't remember, and I can't even be fucked looking it up, but it is the most blatant ripoff of Jay <laughs> from Jay and Silent Bob <laughs> to the point that how Kevin Smith did not sue the shit out of this is quite beyond me. But there's there's a what do you call it? New Line Cinema um, has this weird relationship with Jay and Silent Bob, which really? yeah, it's really fucking like not not in terms of like it's it's, it's weird to say like see um, Scream Three, the movie Scream I Three. I've ever seen it, but right, okay, but right. Uh, in Scream Three, Jay and Silent Bob have a cameo, and that's a New oh, Line right. Cinema movie. Right, and okay. Yeah, so you know, it's they've they've got a, a you know, and that's Wes Craven as well, and you know all that stuff. It, the, the it would not surprise me. It would not surprise me, because um, by this point, Scream Two would have been Scream Three wasn't out by 2003 memories it would not surprise me if it was just a you know a given we're going to create and uh, yeah but as in terms of pop culture that we've moved away from the idea of Cheech and Chong being the stoner sort of guy your your average stoner in a movie now looks like Jason Mewes yeah um yeah. and that's just the way they go I'm with you though I mean it's you could maybe take some of the ideas but this guy looks like a really shit stunt double like you know, uh, like just like just like but it's right down to the the hair's the same way. He wears the same sort of beanie, the same sort of shirt, the way he talks is fucking like Jason Muse and it gets to the point where like you're not just playing paying homage, this is just lazy. Yeah, I totally the yeah. lazy and shite. <laughs> anyway, so the, the, they've all headed off to this kind of outdoor rave in the middle of this cornfield, which is a bitching fucking place to have a rave actually, if you're into that kind of thing, but whatever. Um and <laughs> So all of the kind of characters start to coalesce together at this rave party. But then the character of Gib, the girl with a shitty awful boyfriend that's been killed. Yeah. She's obviously a bit fucking messed up. Um, she gets drunk and wanders off. Um, and she appears to go into this kind of, like these big corn silo type things you see in these kind of American farms. Um, and then we find out that she's actually passed out and she's in the dream world because Freddy comes after her. Um, because there's also a bit where there's a character moving through the corn and this is Jason, but he comes into it just slightly after it. There's a couple of fucking drunk frat boy kind of things that he takes out. So Jason yeah. is there, but the scene with Gib is actually in the dream world. Yeah, because she thinks she sees her, her dead boyfriend yeah, and she starts... She starts Starts following. following. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she ends up in there, and Freddy turns up. 
Um, and he's obviously gaining more power now, kind of thing, because more folk are starting to hear about him and it's creeping out of the dream. So it's a bit more like the Freddy that we're used to. So he's in the dream way and he's chasing you about, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and she ends up kind of hiding in this, like, fucking high school locker type thing and the door gets pulled off and Freddy's just about to fucking kill her and then she kind of screams and blood spurts out and Freddy's really like what the fuck's going on kind of thing and then her body basically starts to disappear and what it is is basically Jason had come across her lying comatose in the middle of getting date raped by this glow stick covered fucking raver guy who's come across this unconscious girl and decided he's going to start fumbling about her. Some of the sex scenes in this are really fucking uncomfortable in this film, I've got to say, by the way. This is coming from you. Yeah, I know, I know. um, But the fucking feminist, the the tiny, tiny little feminist that lurks inside me was fucking outraged with some of the, the treatment of the women in this film, I've got to say. Jason obviously turns up this fucking... Raver guy is ecky dude is nut and trying to fucking into this poor unconscious girl. He basically sticks his machete through him and into the girl, and then he kind of throws the boy over his shoulder as if he's bailing hay. Um, but obviously, Gib has now been stabbed, so she fades away in the dream world. And this is kind of, I had glossed over this in the first watching, but in the second watching, I picked up this is actually pivotal to the whole film because this is when Freddy gets pissed off with Jason, yeah, because he's now starting to steal his kills, if you like. Because mm-hmm. Jason's killed her body in real life before Freddy could kill her in the dream. And the film kind of turns on this. The the whole uh, sort of premise of the film now turns. And it's no longer Freddy. Freddy was using, he was manipulating Jason um, mm-hmm. for his own ends for the sort of first half of the film. After this, it really does become this Freddy versus Jason. Because up to this, I'm going like that. It's a stupid name for this film. It's not Freddy versus Jason at all. It's almost like a team up kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that but then, all oh, right. So this is where it turns kind of thing, you know. So that's Gib. She gets killed. Uh, Jason goes on the rampage out in the fields. He gets set on fire and all this kind of thing, and he's. Yeah, he walks. He walks up to the, these two guys that are are kind of wasted, and one of them kind of gets in his face. And Baz, I would ask you if you were out at a rave in a cornfield and you were a bit drunk, and a guy with a large machete and a hockey mask who is clearly about a foot taller than you, and kind of looks like he might be decomposing, walked up to you, would you start poking him in the chest? Um, no, but for a very different reason, Duncan. <laughs> Oh, why? Why? Well, my reason would be to do with what they're drinking. They are drinking a beverage called Everclear. Ever, right. Everclear is a, a drink that you can buy in America, um, <laughs> and it is it's cor- clear corn liquor. I think it says on the 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 label for it. It's basically pure alcohol. Oh, um, right. To the point that there is a ninety, there's a hundred and ninety proof version of Everclear. So that's. What? 95% alcohol. Jesus. And I actually, after this, I was, there's a, you can look it up on YouTube, you can see guys chugging shots of it on YouTube. And these are hardened fucking spirit drinkers, these guys, and they are struggling just not to die. So, had I been out in the cornfield drinking ever clear, <laughs> I wouldn't be poking Jason in the chest because I would be lying in the fetal position trying to stop my brain coming out my nose. <laughs> Because the guy starts poking Jason in the chest, Jason just grabs his head and twists it right round. Yeah. Like 180. 
and then just kind of pushes the body over and then the other the guy, guy throws the Everclear on him which he then lights and that yeah. I think that's why they're saying it's Everclear because obviously it's highly flammable because it's basically pure ethanol ah, uh, right. so that's that so if you go back to the States for fuck's sake never try that stuff I think the normal basic shitty version is 45% do you know what I mean? Which is stronger than any of our whiskies and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, no, the real, the, the, the one that you can get is about nine. How that's a fucking legal, I've got no idea. Do you know what I mean? Never mind gun control America. You need to get 95% Everclear off the shelves. Before, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Before you start tackling the fucking gun lobby. Because it's, it's probably killing as many people as guns. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Just want to state that we don't have statistics to back up Bazzy's claims. No, as a theory. <laughs> working theory. So yeah, so Jason is now a light. Yeah, and everything, even the machete. Yeah. Even the machete's on I, fire. I, that's what I tweeted. He's like a really ugly looking Beric Dondarrion from Game of Thrones. But <laughs> all that, <bro. laughs> even more decomposing than Beric Dondarrion is. How come I can see Beric Dondarrion? No fucking problem. I can't get Kelly Rowland to do it. I don't know. Idiot. Oh, Duncan. I'm no cut out for this. This is not my forte, public speaking. I'm glad we established that two years into your run. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so basically... Uh, yeah, so then um, Jason, go, uh, Jason goes on a bit of a rampage and he's killing kind of various ones out in this rave thing. Um, they then end up back at home. So the group's been whittled down a little bit. Um, they're trying to figure out where to go. Some of them are nodding off and uh, Freddy's kind of creeping into their dreams. Um, they then they kind of twig that they need to get back to this institution that Will and his friend had been kept in to get this hypnosil stuff and they head off back there basically to get it kind of thing um, during the course of this there's just a, a dreadful scene where the little J rip off uh, he decides obviously right you've broken in to a secure mental institution <laughs> to steal drugs because you're being pursued by not one, but two homicidal monsters. <laughs> one of which is in the real world, and the other which will kill you in your dreams. <laughs> and the young shite Jay from Jay and Silent Bob stops to have a joint. I think he terms it a jaybreak. Yeah, oh, fuck to, this guy. Um, to the little fake Miles Teller, who's not interested, he fucks off. So this guy decides to go to chill out for a bit, have a couple of joints, have a bit of a good time. And this weird caterpillar thing comes through the door. And yeah. it's supposed I think it's supposed to be some kind of Freddy caterpillar because his face has that kind of yeah. weird, weird effects on Freddy's face, like to make it look as if the skin's burnt away. Is it supposed to be? Is it supposed to pay homage to Alice in Wonderland? That's what I take away from it. You know the the curious caterpillar, the one that smokes. I've never seen that. You've never seen Alice in Wonderland? No, it's a bit like the Wizard of Oz for my liking. All right. <laughs> well, there's a caterpillar in it, and the caterpillar poses questions. Well, what do they call that? A, 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 is it shift pipe or I can't. I don't know how you pronounce the word. But is, is oh, that a shisha? 
shisha pipe. Uh-huh. Um, and that's basically that. That's what the caterpillar smokes in Alice in Wonderland. Uh-huh. And I just assumed that this was some weird take on Alice in Wonderland where someone thought they would make a Freddy pillar and he would smoke the shishta pipe yeah possibly because he, he is taking hits to a wee bong <laughs> yeah and then blown smoke in his face it is arguably some of the worst CGI I've ever seen in my entire life that is fucking honking because it then basically drops down off the ceiling and crawls down his throat to kind of possess him in some kind of way yeah. kind of harking slightly to like the, the premise in Nightmare on Elm Street 2 but nah I didn't like this bit at all it, it looks shit that thing as well it looks no, really I mean, bad. It um, looks really, really, really bad. I mean, I don't understand. Kind of like the big Fred, big Freddy Jobby that tries to eat the girl in that <laughs> part five. <laughs> it's just, it really doesn't, it really doesn't make much sense to me because no, no. Um, why do we need this convoluted way of Freddy taking control of, like a stoner? Yeah, exactly. Surely that's an easy target. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the upshot of it is that. Um, the stoner guy faces off against Jason. Jason turns up and kind of chases them all out of the place. And the stoner guy takes Jason down by tranquilizing him. Um, yeah. But it also gets cut clean in half. But thankfully, because that'll put the end of the Freddy Caterpillar thing. So he dies, but he also knocks Jason out using these tranquilizers. And we then find there's then a scene where Jason and Freddy kind of face off in this kind of factory setting so it turns out we're back in the the nightmare realm again because we yeah. find out shortly after this is that basically the scooby gang have now got jason bound up in the back <laughs> of the, the back of the fucking shagging wagon thing that they're driving about in so basically jason's asleep so now he's dreaming so him and freddie are facing off in this dream and the, the, they're having they end up fighting and, and freddie's kind of getting the, the the he's getting the upper hand in the whole thing. It's in the dream world. Yeah. So this is, this is Freddy. This is where Freddy controls everything. Yeah, but there's some really bad kind of tropes in it. Um, obviously, you know, it like cuts Freddy's arms off and then Freddy grows them back again. Well, that's fair enough. And that stuff we've seen before. But there's then this bit where Freddy starts bouncing Jason about this factory like a <sighs> pinball, and then it starts making the noise of a pinball machine, and he throws in like a wee pinball pun like oops tilted or something yeah. like that honking absolutely <laughs> honking because he's doing it with flicking bits of his body and like he does a wee pelvic thrust and Jason bangs off another one it's awful and it's fucking disrespectful to Jason bodies as far as I'm concerned and when did when did Freddy Krueger become like some sort of dark Sith Lord where he can just start yeah. pulling objects from the ceiling yeah. and you know I will use the force to cr- you know he does at one point he aims up at this giant boiler that's at the ceiling and pulls it down on top of him and then you get this fucking horrible line where he walks over at him and says why won't you die and then you think well, you were the guy at the beginning of this movie said to Jason, your ability is you can't die. Why is this a surprise to you? <laughs> yeah, I never picked up on that, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> well, why is, this, why is this now a surprise to you? And it's just, it's shite. And Freddy's like fucking, he's like clawing away at him like some sort of fucking martial artist, which comes back later on. And it, to me, once again, is... Like we've seen some creepy Freddy like you were talking about the girl with the eyes missing and that whole set yeah, up to that yeah. even there and I think it is a shite sequence and we kind of we never really broached it but when Kelly Rowland's character falls asleep looking at the plastic surgeon oh. magazine and you know 
got your nose. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, the idea of someone's nose getting ripped off is pretty fucking horrible, but it's bad CGI and a bad line. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's this like horrible line. And it's like they haven't learned their lesson from the, the, the kind of last run of Freddy movies. Yeah, because as well, that ties into the fact she's obsessed with getting a nose job. And so yeah. suddenly it ties in, I'm going to fuck you up by what you are interested in. You know, like yeah. the comic book fucking kill that we got in part six. Do you know yeah, what I mean? it's just, and you kind of think to yourself, you have had, almost, in fact, you have had about a decade between um, A New Nightmare and Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah. This is, you know, ten years have passed that you should have been sitting there and wondering why has this, why has this character lost this appeal and what, you know, and trying, Jason in this movie is doing, like, like you were saying, doing all the heavy lifting, he's doing the really brutal kills, mm-hmm. he's doing all, you know, he's doing all this really, uh, kind of, he's walking while on fire and all the rest. He is quite menacing in this movie and once again, the, the counterpoint to that seems to be Freddy cracking jokes which aren't funny and then that pinball sequence is I mean I saw it again like I say last night on your tweets that pinball sequence is is a fucking travesty yeah. like, it really just destroys all momentum this movie has going for it yeah it's, it's almost quite belittling to the character of Jason as well yeah. and that bugs me do you know I mean, that really fucking bugs me anyway um, towards the end of this it, Freddy discovers Jason's fear and kind of vulnerability of water, if you like, and he kind of exploits this to reduce, and he turns Jason back into the weak kind of child Jason that we've seen in the past. Yep. And he's going to kill him. And, but then Laurie, she uses the tranquilizer thing to put herself into the dream world. Because the plan is that she's going to bring J- uh, Freddy back from the dream world. Because one of the earlier scenes you see her, she grabs his ear. There's one of these weird fucking kissing scenes that we've skipped by as well. I'm like, why the fuck are you doing that? And it was really weird, like, because it's basically her best friend saying to Will, who was the love of her life, you know, why are you going where you could fuck me and all this kind of thing, and then they go to tie her up, and then her dad character goes to French her, and she freaks out. Then it turns into Freddy, who makes him another three attempts to fucking French her. I wish they would move away from this fucking tongue into death trope that they're obsessed with anyway during that course she ripped his ear off and brought that back into the real world where yeah so we've seen this before this idea of uh you know nancy did it she went into the dream world yep. and brought freddie back where's where they could tackle him you know on a kind of level playing field if you like so this is why they've got jason tied up and through a, for, for numerous very tenuous reasons they're going back to crystal lake to do this Mm-hmm. Um, so she goes back and uh, and kind of wakes, but this kind of wakes Jason up. He kind of attacks the, the the ones in the the van. The van crashes. Blah blah blah. Anyway, they all get out, and um, we're now at what I think is supposed to be the Crystal Lake camp. Is that right? Yeah, and they've somehow so so Crystal Lake must be quite close because they've driven there. Yes, ah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, so, um, you know, so they're, they're fighting at the thing, and this then basically turns into this big fight now between uh, Jason and Freddy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, this coupled with the previous scenes that were set in the, the factory, 
I think I'd really start that. I don't dislike this film entirely, but the last half hour, 40 minutes, it's almost like the Avengers. It's just this one massive fight scene. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Between the two of them kind of thing. Now, I suppose it's Freddy versus Jason. It's probably what folk were looking for kind of thing, but I don't know. It just The premise at the start of this was quite good in the way that they laid it up, and I think they just got to this fight bit far too early, but then decided to drag it out for 40 minutes kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and the fighting goes backwards and forwards, do you know what I mean? One minute Freddy's kind of winning, then Jason's kind of winning, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it basically ends up you've got... They're hacking lumps at each other down a fucking jetty. And Laurie and her boyfriend kind of spraying them with... and uh, Spraying the entire area with petrol, which they then set alight kind of thing. Uh, and it explodes and it, and it hurls their bodies into the water kind of thing, you know. Um, the... I'm trying to think, is that how they finish them off in the water? Is it that um, final explosion that's supposed to come? No, the, the, yeah, the explosion, the explosion kind of happens, and um, Jason disappears into the water, and then Freddy. We think, uh, Freddy we think it looks like Jason, but it's not. Yeah. It's Freddy. With the machete. See the feet in the machete, but then as it pans up, it's it's uh, Freddy. He's only got one arm left, and he's about to kill the two teens with the machete kind of thing. So he wrenches backwards. Jason's crawled out of the water with his arm with a clawed glove on it and stuck it through Freddy. Um, and who then falls out of the water dead, kind of thing. And you see Jason start to sink down. Aye, because then when, when, she, when he's stabbed, when he's stabbed with the glove, that's when Laurie grabs the machete. Oh, and says, that's right. Well, welcome to my world, bitch. That's um, right. Which is our big case. Yeah, yeah, our big kind of this is our one liner. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. It chops his head off, and then the bodies fall into the water, and they they go away into the sunset. And that and that that's the end of the movie. But surely there's not another clip after that, is there? Yeah, surprisingly. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's and this again is very reminiscent of the Friday the Thirteenth ones. You get this very final scene where it's looking across the lake in the morning. There's the mist and all that, and then you see Jason rise out the water, kind of thing. Fair enough. Jason's immortal, we all know this. They made a big deal of it at the start of the film, and he's basically clutching Freddy's severed head. Which I'm not quite sure how he's managing, because Freddy has no hair. But he is holding <laughs> Freddy's severed head in, the, in his hand, kind of thing. He's yeah. got all his fingers back as well, which were chopped yes, off. Yes, that's true. Sure. Um, and it looks quite cool, and it's an alright ending until it pans down and Freddy winks at you. Fuck you, Freddy. Um, it's, yeah, it's such it's such a cop out ending yeah. because it's like we can't have either character die and we can't have one character winning over the other. Yeah. Both characters have to both survive at the end because we want to leave the door open for both potential franchises without upsetting the balance of who's the better character, yeah. Jason or Freddy. So it's funny because my wife actually asked me she was watching it in the middle section the second time around. She was like, "Who wins?" And I kind of went, "Well, kind of neither of them." Well, no, that's not really true. Kind of both of them. <laughs> you know, there isn't an answer to that. And it's for the reasons you said, you know, they, they can't kill one of them off, you know. Yeah. Um, and you can't really have this answer, who's the better one, because then you're just going to alienate all the fans of the one that lost. Because other horror mates are going to be like, I told you Jason was fucking better, you wee dick. No, he's no. <laughs> ah, he is, because Jason fucking kills him. The fuck you, arsehole. Freddy's shite. 
you know, that's how it would go in like Castle Milk. <laughs> um, so there's that, and then that's where the film finishes. Um, a few kind of points, general things I'd, I'd scribbled down in my notes as we were doing it. Um, I mentioned, you know, the first hour or so does almost play like two different films, and I can appreciate that, you know. But to me as well, there's a bit of imbalance between the two characters, and it's primarily because Freddy can talk. Uh-huh. And you, it took me a wee while to twig it, but it just started to feel like more of a Freddy film, and it's because Freddy's interacting all the time. He's talking, you know what he's thinking, and you never get that with Jason. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Just because of the nature of his character. Um, the interestingly. Um, I think this film has settled the argument in my head as to which of these characters I prefer. Not necessarily which franchise I prefer, but which of the characters I prefer. Oh, right. Um, uh, are you going to disclose just now? or? I, I think I will. I think I will. Uh, whether it was subconscious or not, I'm not sure. But just during that, during the fight scenes, I just found myself rooting for Jason the whole time. Yes, Baz. Now, I'm I'm not saying that Friday the 13th franchise is better, or, you know, the films are better, because there's some fucking honkers in there as well, do you know what I mean? And there's a lot of stuff I like in the Nightmare on Elm Street films. The characters, of the two characters, I just find myself, I am, but there's a level of empathy with Jason. He is a kind of tragic figure to an extent that Freddy is not Freddy was a fucking child killer that yeah. got murdered. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, fuck you. You know you do. Jason wasn't. He was an innocent little child that was basically bullied and victimised because of his deformities and stuff. Um, so there's definitely a level of empathy there. But I think as well, just the why the wise cracking. It's like when they're fighting, you're like, shut up, Freddy, you wee dick. You know what I mean? <laughs> fucking <hurt> Jason. <laughs> you know, you I found myself kind of reacting like that subconsciously. So yeah, I think I probably come down for Team Jason. Hashtag Team yeah. Jason. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm so happy right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I I mean, I saw this movie at the cinema bars. Yeah. And there was a whole hell of a lot of build up to this movie. In fact, I, I recommend it for you, if you haven't done it already, to seek out a particular um, event that happened at Las Vegas, um, where both, like, you know how they do, like, uh, boxers will have, like, conferences at Vegas for an upcoming fight. Aye, before the fight, yeah. Yeah, they Don't have one. Stare at each other and all that pitch. Yep, they have one with Freddy and Jason. Oh lord! So it's it's pretty funny. It is pretty funny because it's got Robert England thrown himself into the part. It's very reminiscent of a new nightmare where he's on the TV show. Oh, uh-huh. you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very it's very much him. You know, going. You know, his problem is he's a mama's boy. You know, this sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, like, really playing into it, and Jason not saying anything, and they get a bit physical. But and it was to bum up this anticipation of what was going to be the fight of the century in cinema, and. Um, there kind of lies my problem with a lot of this movie because this movie to me you hit the nail on the head the last kind of 40 minutes is just an extended fight sequence it becomes more of an action movie than a horror movie really yes Um, I wouldn't disagree yeah and I I then start to think to myself at what point when Jason grabs someone and threw them did they fly 
you know, yeah. fucking a mile and a half across yeah. the fucking field. Eh? <laughs> never, never, never happened before. Never happened before. Now all of a sudden happens. Um, when did? When did uh, other than when Freddy was invisible? When did Freddy have this knowledge of martial arts? <laughs> when, when, <laughs> yeah. no, when, when was he this badass fighter? And how have those powers transferred? Out of the dream world. There's, there's a wee bit of the wrestling creeps in as well. At one point, your elbow drops him. It does. It does. Fuck's sake. It does, it's yeah, times like, your size. If you elbow dropped him, you'd bounce off him. But yeah, it, it does all this kind of like knocking the gas canisters across at him, and then two seconds later, he's on top of some sort of scaffolding. So he's obviously using his ability there, but when he gets his leg gets caught in the thing, he can't just materialise somewhere else, or he can't use his he can't use his claw hand to cut himself free and you know there's just so many bits that annoy the fuck out of me in this last 40 minutes mm-hmm. of this this movie that I just kind of feel to myself it kind of loses the purpose of the movie because the, first and foremost Freddy and Jason are horror characters and I know the argument will be put forward and it's very difficult for me to uh, come back on that the last couple of Friday the 13th and the last couple of Nightmare on Elm Streets were more on the idea of, you know, unstoppable killing machines and once they get started they don't stop and blah 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 and less scary movies and more about the character. Yeah, and I can't, I can't argue that. But they bring in this kind of Hong Kong director who's famed for doing action, eh, like martial arts action, and this bleeds over in a way which I don't think fits the movie. I don't like the idea of Freddy being the kind of jovial, wisecracking Freddy of the later movies. I'd much rather he was the Freddy from part three, you know, who has the occasional one-liner, but it's still pretty fucking scary. Where are the great Freddy kills in this movie? There aren't any. Other than yeah. the, the, the the kid he carves up when he sees his brother. Um, but even then, he burns him in some goofy way to let him know that Freddy's back, which is shite. Mm. Um, the Freddy caterpillar is awful and the CGI in this movie is terrible the CGI drops of blood are oh when they dissolve away aye awful like awful so the CGI is not great that that face sequence which I hadn't even focused on at the beginning with Jason and the face morphing which never made sense you've now explained why Uh it doesn't make sense to me but even that is pretty Pish done and there's no there's no reason for it to be so badly done because when you see Jason's mother morphing to Freddy that is seamless yeah 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 so the tech is there it's not as if they were in a position where they didn't have the tech it just feels rushed and unnecessary Um, there's not really any character in this movie I like at all like really like I I don't even like Laurie she's nice to look at but before you say anything but I I don't even really like her as a character I I, I don't really like any of them as characters at all Um, and that that comes down to that's a big issue for me because in especially on Friday the 13th movies there's always one character you kind of gravitate to and I just I I don't really like any of these characters so when they're kind of dispatched very much like that asshole boyfriend at the beginning that you refer to as that prick Mm they're all in that camp for me they're all in camp prick Um, and yeah I, I don't really I just don't I, I just don't like the movie. I don't think it's an awful movie. It's not an awful movie. And I know that um, our good buddy, uh, Wildman Willis, had been um, tweeting you uh, yes. to uh-huh. say that you know, he really enjoyed it and he appreciates it from the, the kind of 
comic book background that he grew up with, that idea, that the very things that you were saying sometimes didn't resonate with you, resonated with him. Yeah, so from, uh-huh. from his point of view, when he saw this movie, you know, this was like, this was brilliant for him. Um, and he made a valid point. He was like that. Well, parts four, five, and six of A Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, they're not good. And I would agree with that. I hate those movies, but mm-hmm. you, may, you may have heard me talk about them on a previous episode. <laughs> I don't like those movies, right? Um, but then I think to myself, I think how menacing and evil at times the Freddy character was in A New Nightmare. Mm-hmm. You know, how they got certain bits, the, the, the demon side of things, they got certain bits right in that that made them scary, and it's almost as if that movie never fucking happened. Right. Um, and I don't like that. I, I don't like that. I, I don't understand why they're that. Part of me is the fanboy in me would have loved to have seen Kane Hodder in this movie. But I'm, I'm not hung up. I don't think that. I think Jason's actually pretty cool in this movie. Um, I think he certainly has the better scenes, which as a Jason fan, I'm, I'm kind of on board with. But yeah, it just... I just don't like it. <laughs> I, 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 it's not, I don't hate it. I just don't like it. No, I, I definitely wouldn't say I hate the film. I mean, it's yeah. quite well executed, and the kind of the modern acting and that that's in it. You know what I'm like about it. I tend to prefer the more modern ones myself. You do, yeah. Um, and yeah, and I, I, I think that the way they executed it at the start, I, I was really quite enjoying it at the start. Uh, just that last bit, just it kind of ramped up towards this. Well, it should have been an epic fight, but they stretched it out far too long and kind of stopped giving a fuck about any kind of plot at that yeah. bit. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, I, I soured a bit towards the end. I'm like you, I don't hate it. Um, it's better than a lot of the other ones, um, oh, God, I would yeah. say. But um, yeah, I kinda, my interest dipped fairly heavily towards the end of it. I love this story that comes about this movie as well. That there's a particular sequence where Kelly Rowland drops a a particular homophobic slur that I really don't like as a word. I really hate it. Oh, the F word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the two writers of this movie um, have come out vehemently to say that that was not in the script. That's something she ad libbed, and I think that's <laughs> I right. think that's. I think that says a lot about her as a person. Um, I think that says a lot about the filmmaker that it was left in. Yeah. Because it's like, it's so out of place for the rest of the movie, um, and not fucking needed. I mean, you, you could she could have used the word paedophile because that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't I, I really that's one of those words I I'm I'm, I'm, I'm iffy with us. It's a trigger. It's like a certain P it's word. Like that cat word, don't. Yeah, that you, yeah that you don't like. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's not in the script. <laughs> so she may have. I wonder have if that's true, and I wonder if they just wrote that and put it in, and they're now so ashamed. No, they've just been blame on Kelly Rowland. They've they've been what do you call it? They've been active in saying about that. They've done every interview with them. They say that they did not. Uh, that was not in their script. And she's never made comment on it, but she's Kelly Rowland's part of, you know, one of the biggest pop groups of all time. Yeah. No need to no need to justify it. She probably even can't remember being in the fucking movie. Um you know, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So yeah. Um like I say, it's for for the avoidance of doubt, Baz, mm-hmm. we we will we will now we will now move forward before I give you your grade to say that this is the end of an era 
right. as, as far as as far as we're concerned because we will now until the next Friday the 13th movie comes out we will now no longer be discussing Jason in terms of a, a movie this yeah. is his last role See, it's, it's been quite a long time coming for me this film as well because obviously yep. this could have quite happily rounded off our retrospective on uh, Friday the 13th but because I hadn't seen any of the Freddy films we felt it wasn't prudent to do it so yeah, yeah it's been I've been waiting a long time to see this film I suppose yeah and also this is the this is the end for Robert England we now no longer have Robert England as Freddy so yeah. moving forward we will be after this very short break we will be tackling um, the remake um, which came out te- uh, five years ago, I think it was 2010, uh, the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street, where Jackie L. Haley um, stars as Freddy Krueger, which is, you know, what'll be interesting to see where you land with that, mm-hmm. because you've just said you have a great admiration for Robert England as an actor because because of his work as Freddy Krueger. Yeah. You know, you yeah. really. It'll be interesting to see how those allegiance, because you've not grown up with him. No, I know. Short period of time with him, so yeah, and a lot of folk, well, a lot of folk didn't agree with me on how highly I rated the Friday the Thirteenth remake, and I just I appreciated the modern filmmaking techniques a lot more because, mm-hmm. like, I keep we always keep saying I've not got these allegiances or you know fondnesses for these films that a lot of you do have kind of thing. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm very interested for this next one. It's going to be a good one. As 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 indeed for your grade, sir. Mm-hmm. You will be happy to know that you are regaining some of the, your credibility. <laughs> you're, you're, you're bringing it back. You did miss a couple of elements out in your review. Um, right. I, d- I did note that there was a certain cop kill using electricity, which wasn't mentioned in your review. That's a great Jason kill. Yeah. Yeah, Baz, I can't give you. I can't give you an A plus. No. But okay. I can give you an A. I'll take an A. I'll take. And it. you want to know why you're getting an A? Why? Because you told me that Jason's your favourite. <laughs> that almost that almost that almost won you everything I almost almost wanted to just give you fucking like comedies for Baz v Halloween as a you know as a, as a happy thank you very much for validating my opinion um, but I can't do that Baz that would be fun for our listeners um, we have one more movie to review uh, and that is the end of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise until the new one comes out yep um, and I'm kind of this is this is a landmark thing for us, Baz, because we're closing out the second franchise and the last franchise out with Evil Dead, which is a different sort of show um, that we're going to be doing for Baz v Horror in 2015. Yeah, uh, sad times, sad, sad times, but we must approach it with uh, the same vigor and enthusiasm that we approach all our reviews. In order to do that, we need to take a short break first, um, where promos for shows that we love will be played and you will hear the trailer for the 2010 remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Myself and, more importantly, The Baz will be returning right after this. And we interrupt this Baz V Horror for a very special edition of Bazzy's Basement. Now, as we are wrapping up this um, rather interesting look at the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise with the Baz, we've decided to to go out with a bang on this final episode and uh, we announced a competition on the previous Baz V Horror. The prizes were a poster for our overseas listeners and those within the UK had the chance to uh, pick up a, a copy of Tenebrae, uh, the Blu-ray from Arrow Video. So uh, we had a multitude of questions, Baz. I mean, like, literally loads. Yeah. 
I know. And you know, I actually came up with a better idea for the, the competition, but I'm going to save it for the next competition. Ooh, teasing it. Yeah. You're teasing, bastard. Okay, so um, what we're going to do is we're just going to fire into these questions, Baz, because yeah. there's, there's fucking loads of them. Right, so the first question comes from Chuck Knight. It says, Baz, you sexy deviant bastard, Jay. Hello there, almost, Chuck. <laughs> it almost sounds like Chuck knows you really well. Uh, I have a two-part question. A, what horror movie have you tried to watch and have never been able to finish and why? And question two, what horror movie was so hyped that you thought it would be impossible to watch but found it the easiest? Hmm. Right, um, for the first question, what horror movie have you tried to watch and not been able to finish and why? The one that leaps to mind straight away with Paranormal Activity, although I did finish that at a later date when I had to yep. do it for Baz V Horror, but I very famously on my first attempt at that <laughs> had to turn it off. Um, the only one that I've never been able to finish isn't even a horror movie it's The Wizard of Oz which we've spoken about before as well Um, (laughs) uh, what horror movie was so hyped god that's a well I I think that one might not be too bad because I think I think I might answer this for you it might be a Serbian film yeah, possibly. Yeah, because that movie was like, remember the build up to that and Actually, how well, you felt. Well, oh, right. possibly oh. that, but I think I would probably say uh, Martyrs. Oh right, because yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Martyrs was up there with a Serbian film, and I had heard people talk about these films with this. Oh my god, it's the worst thing you'll ever see. Um, Serbian film though, I'm not even saying Serbian film just because I fucking hate that movie. Martyrs and the other, I'm not saying Martyrs was an easy watch, but Martyrs is a fucking amazing watch. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, it was hyped up to shit, but I got through it, no bother, and I was I was happy as fuck when I got to the end of it because it's an amazing movie. So Martyrs for that one. Fantastic, great. So um, Chuck then posed another question. Um, which is a play on a previous winning question from our two-year anniversary show, which uh, Misty put up. Uh, it says, would you rather fight one horse-sized Duncan McLeish or 100 Duncan McLeish-sized horses? And how would you fight them? Uh, well, now, um, I'm going to say, it's, again, it's a moot question, this one, because <laughs> anybody that knows Duncan McLeish knows that Duncan McLeish already is horse-sized, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> And let me tell you, there'll be no fucking fighting getting done, if you know what I mean. Oh, I love you, Bass. I love you. Love you too, hey, Duncan. You've, we, we've never been out, like, on the piss, but I would happily take you along as my wingman if I wasn't married. Um, definitely, definitely. Uh, I don't know where I'd end up and I don't know what I'd end up with, but I'd happily take you out. I, um, I'd take you along as my fluffer. Oh, dear God. <laughs> oh, nasty. Right, uh, question number three from Andy Clark. Uh, it says uh, oh forgot about this nearly bought a copy in the Arrow sale at Fright Fest I think he's referring to the Tenebrae Blu-ray um, it says okay here it goes Baz out of all the horror movies you've watched so far which character would you slap fist do a shot with run screaming like a big beardy girl from so you need to tell us what one you would slap what one you would fist what one you would do a shot with and what one you would run away like a beardy Screaming girl from right, okay, they hit him one at a time. Right, so of all the horror movies so far, which character would you slap? That prick from August Underground. (laughs) 
Good answer, good answer. What one would you fist? That prick from August Underground when he was lying <laughs> on the ground after I slapped him. <laughs> Who would you do a shot with? Kevin fucking Bacon, of course. Oh, of course, like, the, the Bacon. The man. Yeah, he looks like uh, back then as well, when he was all rocking and young. Oh, and yeah. Flared jeans, I'll tell you. Um, uh, what one would you run screaming like a big beardy girl from? Yeah, the fucking head case and Poughkeepsie tapes. Yeah, I think that's probably a good answer as well. Uh, Andy then follows up with another question. He says, wine gums or jelly tots? Wine gums, that's a ridiculous fucking question. Jelly tots are for <laughs> kids. It's a man's show. <laughs> Yorkie cover wine gums. Don't move it, yeah, fucking. Anyway, uh, Jason Dennison. Um, uh, good listener Jason says uh, I'm nearing the big 4-0 and found out that I will be gracing the earth with my first child firstly let me congratulate you Jen- uh, Jason Dennison on that one congratulations on the great news that's, that's awesome another another new child to mould in, the, in the, the, the spirit of the baths oh. uh, it says how early <laughs> how early is too early to teach him or her as I call it Ola Bitches the legend of baths it says never too early, Jason. In fact, I would possibly suggest that you maybe speak to your wife's bulging stomach and then, you know, give the pre-birth fetus the legend of the baz. Well, there you go. Then you know you grow up right. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is not a, a, um, a question, but more a comment from Andy Clark. He says, by the way, the two-year anniversary show was banging. The message from Andy Blockley damn near killed me. I was laughing so hard, which is apt. Because the next question is from Andy Blockley. And this one is War and Peace, so brace yourselves. It says, Rach wanted me to ask you um, a famous question that Dennis Pennis once asked Steve Martin. Why are you not funny anymore? Uh, oh, I think, oh, oh, oh. Uh, it's a good job you're hot, hen, I tell you. <laughs> uh, Andy goes on to say she's a harsh bastard um, Nora, she's just livid because you took the Yankee divan lounger to the rubbish dump while she was away on her hen weekend oh dear that was never a good idea I initially tried to pretend it had been stolen but she was having none of it I even staged a, a burglary but one of her nosy neighbours told her that they saw a man in a vest wearing a couch of Mark's disguise loading into the back of a rental van uh, I would have been in the clear if not for that fact and the same neighbour also noticed my horsetail butt plug shimmering in the wind oh yeah I want I've that take... back by the way Blockley <laughs> I don't know you wouldn't to you hopefully not to use Baz <laughs> I'm just putting that there uh, he's taken to regularly straighten it with GHDs and adding expensive hair serums to keep it in tip-top condition so the bloody thing is annoying and eye-catching. I knew he shouldn't have removed it prior to the burglary, but he was so ingrained in his physical being that he did not he didn't feel like a complete human being without it. Alas, here is my question. Considering it's your fault I'm wearing said butt plug in the first place, Baz, cast your memory back listeners to the very early Baz's basements. Um, it's only fair that you now Help him wean himself off it. Um, <laughs> as it's having a clearly negative impact in his life. Not to mention the crippling piles. See the images I'm getting right now. Oh dear. Uh, local kids are calling me horse boy. And I've even taken to eating sugar lumps as a pick-me-up when the gravitas of my addiction hits home. Help me, Baz. Right, Baz. How does he get over? How does he get over? 
his addiction to the 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 horse butt plug. Uh, I don't think there's much you can do here, Andy boy. You're too far down the rabbit hole, mate. I think just fucking embrace it. Buy yourself a saddle and go fucking nuts. <laughs> you know what I mean? The piles, however, I probably can help you with. Being a sufferer from many years, in fact, I was 17 when I got my first hemorrhoid. Oh, my fucking dead grandfather left me them in his will. G- geranium oil. Now, oh. now, <laughs> do, now, my friend who's into homeopathic medicine taught me this, but don't dive straight in. You need to mix the geranium oil with a base lotion. Just a, a regular plain hand lotion that you go to the body shop or something. Do not, whatever you do, put neat geranium oil on your hemorrhoids, because I can assure you it stings like a motherfucking son of a bitch. There you go, advice from the Baz. It puts the lotion on the skin or it gets the piles again. Um, basically, Andy, that's a reference to Silence in the Lambs, by the way. Um, Andy says, uh, P.S., he, he believes that Rachel's comments, the ones at the start about why you're not so funny anymore, Baz. Uh, she says she's still smarting from the comments you made about her on the Love One episode. And I'll be I'll be fair to Rachel here. You were kind of nasty, Baz. What did I say about her on the Love One's episode? She, she, doesn't, she doesn't like Eva Green and Penny Dreadful. Oh, I know, I, I know, fair enough, but she's wrong about that, so fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> right, the next question is from Verbal Cat, um, who is a listener from one of the other shows I do, the Midnight Horror Show. Um, doesn't often contribute to the page, but uh, when she does, it's always interesting. Says, so Baz, if Hannibal has captured you, what part of you would he cook for a dinner party? What side dishes would he add? Now, see... This appeals to the wee foodie wank that's in me, Duncan. <laughs> As you know, my friend, I am the son of a chef. You are indeed. Um, and I even did a little bit of chef training myself when I was younger. A bit of chefing. A bit of chefing. A bit. I've not been known to turn my hand to it. Well, verbal. <laughs> that is indeed your real name. Um, <laughs> I don't know, there's probably a couple of things. I think I would probably invite them to dine on my hemorrhoids just to get them out. Oh, Do you know what I mean? You could possibly form some form of blood pudding. You know what I mean? A bit like a black pudding type blood sausage type idea from them. Um, and on the side, possibly a little tapas dish. Made, oh. fr- made from my cheeks. Beef cheeks are very in at the moment. They're quite the trendy thing. Perhaps the old Hannibal could do something with my cheeks. And I've got... Although he might need to shave them first. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure if anybody can do anything with my cheeks, it's the old fucking Hannibal Lecter. Mads Mickelson, Hannibal Lecter, I have to say though. Oh my god, I don't that know. That man can cook. I don't know if I'm hungry or if I'm feeling slightly nauseous. Or I'll just be honest with you. Hungry or horny, or, horny. or all three, all three, <laughs> potentially. Uh, right, next one comes in from some listener called Corinne McLeish. I don't know who she is. Who? She says, Corinne McLeish. Nah. Never heard her. It's uh, a nasty bit of work. Uh, yeah, the, the sort of person that you wouldn't like to take home with your mother, if you know what I mean. Um, she says, have you had any nightmares or the jitters after watching any of the Baz V horror films? Um, I, <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually had a nightmare um, as such, but I did, as we discussed on the show, I was very freaked out um, around about this time last year when we did the Paranormal Activity retrospective for Baz V Halloween. Um, to the point that I was, if I was in the kitchen um, and I was doing the, I I would turn around and look behind me and stuff like that, and getting that way, I didn't want to stand with my back exposed. Mm-hmm. So that that's the nearest I got. I was wide awake when it was happening, but I was 
jittery is not the word, I was, I was a nervous fucking wreck to be quite honest, uh, but they, well, by about halfway through those films. So, yeah, I can I attest that, to that. I yeah. remember speaking to you, and you were just not—you were not having any fun at all. No, and I wasn't very happy about the whole fucking situation. <laughs> I couldn't wash my dishes at my sink. <laughs> I was thinking in Poughkeepsie as well. You could—you could have got to bed without making sure the cupboard door was shut. <laughs> yeah, that was another one. Actually, yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. there you go. Um, the, this same person as Corey McLeish asks, and also, what will you and Duncan's? What will you and Duncan name your first child together? Bazcan. It's fucking obvious. Bazcan? <laughs> yeah, right. just sounds stupid, so it's Bazcan. <laughs> <laughs> Bazcan. Just for that, Corinne McLeish, I'm going to make him fucking name your next child Bazcan. <laughs> Bazcan's amazing. Eh... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Right, next question comes in from long, long time listener Vanessa McHenry. She says, "Yeah, <laughs> she says, Barry Lowe, if you were a ghost hunter, <laughs> would you want to be in an abandoned mental institute or a gothic mansion? And would Duncan McLeish be one of your cohorts or a tortured spirit?" Um, I think. Vanessa, I would probably have to go for the gothic mansion just because I've seen too many fucking films recently about abandoned mental institutions, mental institutions um, that I'm getting slightly phobic about them, I think. <laughs> There's the whole gothic mansion, Dracula with the big collar thing, I can live with, I'm alright with that. So yeah, I would have to say the gothic mansion. As for Duncan McLeish, um, I would like to think he would be a cohort, but I think he'd be more of a torturing spirit. And that uh, he does love to torment me, so he's he would probably just be hiding behind doors with fucking practical jokes <laughs> on like ghosts on a string and stuff like that to try and freak me out. I, I, I was kind of thinking for for a wee second there that maybe I could be like a Houston type character from Grave Encounters, coming with my permatan. <laughs> I don't know. Get an exam, you look too well. <laughs> <laughs> Right, oh my god, here's a blast from the past. You ready for this one, Baz? Mm-hmm. Your me- boy, your wee laddie, Graham Humphrey oh, says... Oh, scamp. <laughs> says, Barry, out of all the movies you've watched for the show, which gave you the most grey hairs? Oh, wait. Ah, oh, yeah, see what you've done there, Graham Humphrey. No more fucking... Oh, <laughs> I was going to say no more homework for you. No more pocket money for you, sir. <laughs> Both, no homework or pocket money. Yeah, and uh, like activity because it turned my pubes grey. Oh dear God, Baz. Oh. <sighs> uh, right, question number fifteen came in by email yep. um, from a, a listener called Peyton Chiselspit. Now, I'm not entirely sure if that is a real name, but uh, this listener is on. Cat, a- that's definitely their real name, eh? <laughs> Listen, me and the cat go way back, right? <laughs> we go way back. We, we've done time together on the Midnight Horror Show. Me and the cat go way back. I've never heard the Peyton Chisel spit before, but his question... Um, I'm going to say right now, actually, Baz, I have exempted his question from the overall competition because I think Ooh. it is one of the greatest questions ever posed to you. Right. Um, if I didn't know any better, I would have thought that you had made up a fake account of Peyton Chisel Spit so you could win yourself an extra poster. Because um, it sounds like it was written by you, I swear to God. Your, your twin, your, your biological mental twin, uh, is somewhere Separate over in California. 
Yep, and it's called Pete and Chisel Spit. And this, just on the merit of how awesome this question is, you're getting a poster. The, the competition will still run with the prizes, but you're just getting a poster because this is fucking brilliant. So it says, <laughs> uh, Peyton says, Hey guys, I have a question for the Baz. I watch horror movies naked. Good this offers man. me many benefits. I can comfort myself at jump scares. I can touch myself freely when the leading ladies are on screen. Oh, yeah. I get excited a lot in movies. The best part is that I have developed a rating mechanism based on my nudity. So this rating system is out of 100. So 1 to 20, he will have a flaccid cock. 21 to 40, he'll get a twitching. 41 to 60, he'll have a semi. 61 to 80, he'll have a full-on erection. And 81 to 100 is ejaculation. And if the movie trailer is awesome, but the movie is not, this is called a premature ejaculation. Will Baz watch the next Baz v Horror section naked and using my scoring? And he just wants to advise you that if you want to do that, uh, you might not want to try and do it in a cinema or theatre. He was arrested back here in California and nearly went to jail. Lucky his pop sorted things out. Much love, Peyton Chiselspit Third. So what's the actual question? The question is, Baz, will you and the next Baz V Horror, will you watch the movie naked and give us a special scoring system using his scoring as to how much you enjoyed the movie? You're goddamn tootin' of all, Peyton, sir. I like <laughs> the cut of your jib, you saucy little monkey. So yes, sir, I shall. <laughs> oh, this, this episode's going to be interesting. Uh, right, the last question comes in from the Jamza, Jamie Wilson. Uh, it says, Hi Baz, in a wee bit of trouble here. Good to get a second opinion from yourself. Have a dental problem. Dentist took out the wrong crown and has left me needing to get a plate. Do you think I need to involve a solicitor? As I don't want to be left... Um, I don't want to be left a happy Scotsman. I respect your recommendation, whatever it is. Feel sorry for you in, the, in that moist basement, but I'm sure you'll keep well warm in the corner with a wee rag to cover you. Um, Baz, yeah. should you go to a solicitor for this clear, clear, blatant dental malpractice? I would, uh, I would have to say, Jamie, that my advice would be yes, go to a solicitor and stop asking the idiots that do the podcasts that you listen to. Do not come to us for legal advice, mate. We are really... <laughs> really not qualified <laughs> so yeah my advice would be yes go and talk to this listener right now and stop emailing us <laughs> you know what I mean email this. feel free to email once you've spoken to your solicitor but do that first <laughs> oh my god so that's the that is the questions down right Baz now uh, we have we already some award- sort of legal medical disclaimer before our podcast by the way that that any medical va- advice given by the podcast under the stairs staff cannot be taken as certified medical advice. Please, I think we should them. just have that as a, a blanket disclaimer for anything we say on this podcast. Yeah, definitely. Like any bit of it, any bit of advice at all should be taken with you know more than just a pinch of salt. Um, so <laughs> and that's all the questions then. And like I say, Peyton is winning a poster for potentially the best question ever submitted to any show ever. <laughs> um, that's that's absolutely fucking amazing uh, I, I was laughing so much I've already emailed them to say best question ever um, but 
we have some serious decisions to make here, Badge. You yeah. have two prizes to give out. You have one to give out to listeners in the States. That is a numbered podcast under the stairs poster. It's limited. There was only 75 ever made. And when they're gone, they're gone. Designed by the great horror artist Graham Humphreys. With uh, myself and yourself, our visage on the poster. Indeed. Um, so that's the first prize for international listeners. And for the UK-based listeners, the chance to win Tenebrae the Blu-ray, the most recent Arrow video version of it, so it's got slightly different artwork from their older version. So yeah, Baz, tell me who you've picked and why. Um, For the Arrow Blu release of Tenebrae, with the tiny slight difference in the cover that means everybody has to get and buy it again, (laughs) that one is going to Mr Andrew Clark for his uh, slap fist shot run screaming question because I thought basically because it allowed me to vent my fury at the pricks from August Underground again <laughs> so Andy you win the Blu-ray my friend thank you for that well done Andy and for the poster for the poster this is going now I'm not sure if this is a male or a female verbal cat I think it's a female Ve- well verbal cat I loved your question about Hannibal I thought it was actually it was a novel one but never been asked that before it actually has to do with horror and it's quite clever and I enjoyed answering it and appealed to the foodie in me as well so Verbal Cat wins the poster Congratulations folks so when this show drops I will contact you to get your address details and those will make their way out to you so uh, thank you very much for taking part in this Bazzi's Basement and uh, this will resurface probably again at some point when we do another competition although you have a novel way to do things so uh, I look forward to that Oh yeah! Can't wait to see where we go with this one. Um, however, Baz, we have dark, one more dark path, my friend. <laughs> a dark path. We have one more movie to discuss on this Baz v Horror. We need to bring it home with the most controversial of all. Uh, this is the one people have been like emailing me about, sending me messages about. People want to know what your take is on the Friday the Thirteenth remake. Not Friday the Thirteenth, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. You've got me doing that. I was really I good. Know. And you've got me doing that. Um, so yeah, people want to know what you make of A Nightmare on Elm Street 2010 and all will be answered and revealed right after this. Flesh Like Smoke is the toothsome new shapeshifter anthology from April Moon Books. Curated and edited by Brian M. Sammons with illustrations by Neil Baker, Flesh Like Smoke is a collection of 16 tales of visceral horror from today's most talented authors. Some of these tortured souls lash out against their cursed existence, while others relish the taste of animalistic power. Ranging from gut-wrenching terror to heart-rending pathos, Flesh Like Smoke will leave you salivating for more with every turn of the page. Flesh Like Smoke is available in paperback and ebook format from Amazon.com and AprilMoonBooks.com, as well as other online purveyors of fine literature. Hurry to sink your claws into a copy before the next full moon. Kruger! What do you think I did? I didn't do anything! 
and he's burnt. Welcome back. So this is the final movie review of this Baz V Horror. And not only is it the final movie review on the show, but it's also the final in our Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective. We are Praise Jesus! <laughs> you sound quite keen to be done with this, Baz. Yeah, that's not a reflection on the franchise, I don't think. I just... I found this with the Friday the 13th franchise as well, Duncan. It's just, it's it's a lot to do in a short space of time and it just gets really fucking workman-like kind of thing towards, yeah. do you know what I mean? Just want to, want to go and watch something else, man. I, on the other hand, think it completely reflects the, the franchise, um, which just descends on a shite. Anyway, uh, this, the, the listeners will have just heard the trailer for this movie review that we're doing. It's A Nightmare on Elm Street from 2010. This is a remake directed by Samuel Bear. Uh, the movie stars Jackie Earl Haley making his debut, and I think he's not going to be recast as Freddy Krueger. It's got Kyle Gallner, Rooney Mara, Katie Cassidy, Thomas Decker, uh, Kellen Lutz, Clancy Brown. I love a bit of Clancy Brown. Uh, Corey Britton, who you noted you've no heard from things. That's the red-headed mum. Yeah, she was uh, Raina James in Nashville, which was my dirty secret shame. Yeah. Quite, quite like Nashville, <laughs> I've not seen the most recent season. So no spoilers on the Facebook page. <laughs> but yeah, she was Raina in that. Um, she was in something else as well, actually. She's um, in American Horror Story. No, she wasn't. That's what it is, yeah. She was in American she was, Horror Story. the very first one. That, she was the wife, she wasn't was she? The, that's right, in the first season of that, yeah. Ah, there you go, there you go. Well, she's in this. Yeah. Um, and I'm not reading any of the other people on it, fuck it. Um, obviously, the movie is based on the characters created by uh, the late, great Wes Craven. And uh, there's other people involved with the project, but who gives a fuck about them? The synopsis for this movie is... the. Sp- <laughs> The spectre of dead of a dead child rapist haunts the children of the parents who murdered him, stalking and killing them in their dreams. Yeah. So, Baz, so we're kind of familiar with that premise. Yeah, kind of, kind of. <laughs> yeah, it's almost as if we'd watched one of these movies before. Um, yeah. So this is the inevitable remake reboot. Um, and 
like I've said on previous shows, this one did fairly good business, actually. It, it was at number one in the the box office. Uh, the first week it came out, quickly dropped out after that, um, but more than made its money back. However, what did not happen, which a lot of people expected, there was no sequel. They didn't do anything with it. And they're doing the inevitable reboot again. Um, which I think they're aiming for possibly next year, which is worrying. Um, but this one was a first stab at it to see if they could resurrect what it was that made that original movie so terrifying and such an ingenious movie. How did you get on with A Nightmare on Elm Street 2010? Well, let me tell you, Duncan. Yeah, so, um, as you say, this is the last one we've watched, and of course it's the first one uh, not to feature Robert Englund. Uh Um, And also, quite poignantly, it was the first one that I watched after the tragic death of Wes Craven himself. Yeah. So um, there was something that you'd actually retweeted a, a tweet at me uh, when somebody had asked. Fangoria. Fangoria were asking yeah. uh, which one they liked the least at the franchise and Wes Craven had replied saying the remake. Good luck, you, Wes. <laughs> so, Love Wes Craven. Um, Love yeah. Wes Craven. So, uh, yeah, so again, I, I was quite looking forward to this one, um, probably more than... A lot of our listeners would have been, um, and the, for the same reasons that I was excited about the Friday the Thirteenth remake when I got to it. Um, you know, as I've said time and time again on this show, I don't have the emotional attachment that many of you do to the franchise or mm-hmm. the character. And sometimes I find the kind of the dated effects and you know just the aging of the film a bit tiresome, and, and I don't really get into it as much as somebody who maybe saw it at the time does. And in that respect, I quite enjoyed the Friday the 13th one. So, yeah, I, I was quite excited to see where this one went. But, I mean, I, I was aware it was very poorly received amongst kind of horror aficionados and, and the type of people that listen to this show. Uh-huh. I, th- I think with the glaring exception of Jamie Jenkins, I'm led to believe. Yeah, she champions this Jamie's movie. Jamie's a bit of a cheerleader for this one, yeah. Yeah, she really... She really and I've heard her points in it and she has heard my points in it and we sadly do not meet eye to eye on it but yeah yeah I I can see exactly where she's coming from I take all her points on board I just I can't forgive this movie for certain things it does and that's what strips it down yeah, yeah. and I, hopefully this time I, I lodge a better defence of my point at the end of it than I did with the Friday the 13th remake which when I listened back to that, I was like, that. I'm not really defending this very well at all. <laughs> um, so hopefully I will make a better job of it this time. I've came prepared, Baz, so... <laughs> you got oh, your yeah. comprehensive notes, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I, I dragged the office into the boardroom today and did a, a, a three-hour PowerPoint presentation on it, so I'm, I'm ready. Nice, nice, man. Um, yeah, so straight from the start, it fucks with the formula a little bit, this film, in that the opening credits appear before any any scenes in the film, whereas in just about every other of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, you always got the, the sort of initial dream scene and the initial viewing of Freddy before it cut into the credits. So this one fucked with that a little bit, which I've got to say, it set me on edge. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, just calm yourself, don't get ahead of yourself for your film. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Um, during that, obviously, there were some names coming up on the screen. Um, now, the first one was the fella, uh, Jackie L. Haley, who, yes. who was playing Freddy. Um, and the name doesn't spring to mind, but then as soon as I saw him, 
I remember that it was the the fellow that played Rorschach in Watchmen. Yes. Um, I, I mean, he's, he's. I don't think I'll offend the man by saying this. He's a bit of an odd fish. Um, <laughs> is Mr. Earl Haley. But I, I did really. I, I loved this portrayal of Rorschach in, in Watchmen. I was a, a Watchmen fan long before the movie came out, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of folk complained about that, that it stuck too religiously to its base formula, if you like, but I appreciated that, you know. Um, and Rorschach is, it was one of my favourite characters in the whole thing, and I think that guy really fucking nailed him. Funny, um, funny, funnily enough, Baz, I was just going to say, that is one of the very few comic book adaptations, I know it's a graphic novel, um, but that sort of adaptations that I actually really like is The Watchmen. Yeah, Watchmen really, really Watchmen dig that movie. Great. Yeah. Really dig that movie. Um, so there's that, um, and I thought, well, okay, uh, if it's not if it's not Robert England, I, I don't really give a fuck who it is. Uh-huh. Do, do you know what I mean? Uh, to me, and and this is I think where this franchise differs greatly to Friday the Thirteenth. And Friday the Thirteenth, we had different people playing Jason, but you could do that because you don't yeah. see his face for any length of time. You you know. There's changes in Jason throughout that franchise, and you like some and you dislike some, and everybody's got their favourite, but it's not a big fucking deal. Freddy Krueger is Robert England, and he has been all the way through. I know they changed his makeup in that slightly, and, and the kind of the effects that were used for him in New Nightmare, but it's still fucking Robert England. It's continuity, it's isn't it? Yeah. Like, and and a Friday the Thirteenth, the the continuity was a bit loose between the movies. But between this one, fundamentally, if you exclude if you exclude the second one, which really did kind of jump the shark to an extent in terms of adding extra to the mythos of the character, which doesn't happen in any other movie at all, yeah. um, they are quite consistent. You mm-hmm. know, what I mean, Freddy is quite a consistent. Yeah, it gets a bit more cheesy as time goes on, but they kind of stick to that. You know, what I mean, by the time you reach Friday the Thirteenth Part seven or eight that he's now a zombie and they've moved away from all these different things they never really explained why he doesn't die and all this shit mm-hmm. so I mean uh, and he doesn't have Freddy uh, Freddy has a voice Jason doesn't have a yeah, voice yeah exactly exactly so yeah so as I say that so that was Jackie Earl Haley he's playing Freddy and I also noticed in his IMDB thing he was also involved in the Robocop remake so he's writing about these fucking classic remakes as Mr Earl Haley I've got he to plays, say yeah if memory serves he plays like a military villain in that movie mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a wholly unremarkable role to be fair mm-hmm. Another name that appeared, however, is Michael Bay. It flashed <laughs> up on the screen at the start uh, of this. He was obviously involved somewhere. I don't think he directed it, did he? No. It's Platinum, no. Platinum Dunes, Baz. Platinum Dunes is a production company that Michael Bay owns who went through a string of horror remakes in the 2000s. Um, and they were also involved with the... the Friday the Thirteenth one that you saw as well, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so they they were behind they were behind that they did it in conjunction with New Line Cinema, so yeah, um, so yeah that that was that's their involvement. Yeah, fair play. So, so that was the credits. There was a couple of names in there, obviously, that set me an edge a wee bit, and then we get into the film itself, um, which opens in in the kind of the diner, um, and we're introduced to a character, Dean. Um, and his girlfriend, Chris, comes in, blonde-haired girl. And to this extent, it mirrors the first film quite a lot because it focuses on a female character who dies about half an hour into it, or maybe not even that. 
And then the other female becomes the lead and, and takes it through, which obviously we had in the first one, the, the main role being Nancy, obviously. And we meet Nancy as well. She's working in the diner as a waitress, uh-huh. uh, not in a cocktail bar as the Human League would have you believe. <laughs> um, nice, nice. <laughs> how's that for a segue? Um, yeah, so, so Dean, he, he's, you don't really know what's going on at first. He's really, really tired. He falls asleep. Um, and then he kind of goes looking for the, the waitress who appears to be ignoring him um, and he runs into Freddy um, and he gets slashed at and when he wakes up kind of thing his hands bleeding um, you don't really see an awful lot of Freddy from memory serves right at, at this stage you, you know it's Freddy but you don't you don't see a great deal of detail um, and his, his girlfriend Chris comes in um, we're introduced to Nancy who as I say is the waitress and there's a, another table uh, well, a couple of guys, Quentin and Jesse, who have varying levels of involvement in the film. So they've kind of stuck roughly. I think some of the names are different from the original film. Um, some are, but you, it's got a similar kind of balance to it. Um, Chris goes to the toilet, and Dean um, again falls asleep. Uh, and this time he has a, a far more kind of intense reaction uh, interaction with Freddy, um, who basically gets a hold of him. And as Chris comes back from the toilet, she sees uh, Dean standing there, and he's got a knife to his own throat, kind of thing. And he cuts his own throat open in front of her. And I've got to say, the first kill was brutal. Yep, it was uh, really well executed, really kind of jarring, almost. Um, especially, I would imagine, to somebody that's not seen. The films before and don't really know what's going on you don't normally see a guy hack through his throat like that and the effects were top notch I've got to say at that point um, but we had seen Freddy um, in, in all his glory, thankfully the Mr Tickle arms were nowhere to be seen <laughs> which is a big plus for the remake I've got to say they really got that right um, Freddy himself uh, he, he looks quite well, it doesn't look that different. You and I were discussing this off camera. The basic problem here is it's not Robert England. Yeah. End of story. Um, you know, we expect Freddy Krueger to look like Freddy Krueger. And he doesn't. In fairness to them, my wife actually, when she was watching, she said, it looks kind of funny in this film. And said, well, it doesn't really look funny. Freddy's a burn victim. Yeah. They've used modern kind of makeup and prosthetics to give that effect. He looks much more like a burn victim. Yes, definitely. The original one does. Definitely, a hundred percent. Yeah, but in that, he loses looking like Freddy Krueger. That's Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I just that stuck for me all the way through the film, um, and that that's no reflection on the guy that was playing him. I've got to say, um, I thought he did a good job of playing him, but unless they were going to bring Robert England in to do this, it just wasn't going to do it for me, you know. There, there are, there's quite a lot of changes in the character of Freddy as well. Um, not all of which are bad, I've got to say, but but this the physical resemblance, I struggled to get over it, especially having watched so, so many of these films in such quick succession kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we've, we've lost um, Dean by this point. Um, the next scene then it can opens at the, his funeral and as I say at this point we're focusing more on the character of Chris the blonde girl um, who appeared to have been Dean's girlfriend at the start of the film 
Although it's revealed that she'd had a relationship previously with Jesse, who was one of the other characters in the diner, who's a bit of a dick, I've got to say, <laughs> at this point, and pretty much stays a bit of a dick for most of it until he dies, really. Um, and there's a couple of wee things happen at the funeral, uh, including Chris starts to get very quick glimpses of Freddy. Um, she also sees this young girl. Um, who we find out shortly after this is actually her as a young girl so it kind of it, it's brought in the trope of the young children and the skipping and, and the, the song and everything that we're familiar with but in the previous films those kids didn't actually have anything to do with it other than they were singing the song they were almost like a harbinger of Freddy Krueger you know when these kids appeared you knew Freddy was about to appear kind of thing you know yeah it was, it was to do with like we spoke about this right back at the very beginning this movie you know, like when they when people say they're remaking a movie and they're making it more in line with the novel. Yeah, like, making it more like the novel. Kind of what this movie does is makes it more in line with what the original script was. Because in yeah. the very original script, Cherry, uh, Fre- Cherry, listen to me, Freddy wasn't just a child killer, but he was a child molester. Yeah, uh-huh. um, and they cut that out. You know before they made the film so certain aspects carried over and those those little girls with the skipping ropes I think are, are an indication of that that just stuck in the movies you know of them being not just a killer but like you know a kiddie mm-hmm. fiddler so to speak yeah and so so to me like you're saying that you're 100% right and those movies they're used more for that you know this idea of Freddy is coming they, they are the harbinger of Freddy mm-hmm and that you know in the remake because they're deciding as a plot device there's going to be this strict thing that Freddy is the child molester as well or isn't or, or, or is he we'll get to that um but the fact they're going down that that takes on a different entity in the movie did you prefer it that way or did you what was your opinion um I'm going to come on to that. All right, cool. I don't want to kind of preempt myself here because there's quite a lot to talk about. I think in this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will come back to that. However, um, but then it moves on from the funeral. Um, Chris is at home. She, uh, sorry, but just before she leaves the funeral, she sees a, a photograph, which ha- is of Dean as a child, um, and she's in it in the background, and it's the little girl that we've seen. At the, at the side of the grave earlier on kind of thing um, and she doesn't understand this because she only met him or she believes that she only met him uh, at high school yeah. so that, this this photograph doesn't seem to make sense and that comes in there later on she then goes home uh, there's a few minor interactions uh, her mother goes away uh, she's a flight stewardess she goes away to work for a couple of days so she's like, Chris is left in the house on her own um, Jessie appears at her window. It's just been a wee douche. It's her ex, but you know, he's the, he's the ex. Her current boyfriend's just died. He's clearly just trying to finger her. Do you know what I mean? You're, <laughs> you're a wee dick. And he's quite fucking blunt about it. Do you know what I mean? He's like, you going to let me in? And surprisingly, she goes like, I'd have been like, oh, fuck off, mate. Do you know what I mean? I'm mourning my boyfriend. The last one was my fucking creepy ex coming up trying to get caught wet. Anyway. Um, they're sort of discussing this, you know, these dreams that they're having and so on. There's more comes out that. Anyway, he agrees to stay with her because she's a bit frightened, kind of thing. Um, she then is a dream sequence where she is up in the attic, um, looking for stuff. Uh, 
there's a number, there's a scene where a dog, you know, Freddy keeps coming out of these dreams and, and it sort of culminates in her getting attacked up in what she thinks is the attic by Freddy and he says, do you remember me kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and we then get this remake of the kind of uh, the exorcist type levitation scene that we had in the first film. Um, and she's getting bounced about the room basically and then gets stabbed and falls onto the bed covered in her own blood kind of thing. Um, the stabbing bit and that was good, but the actual, the kind of, the, the exorcist type bit, I genuinely don't think was as well done as it was in the first film. I agree. Um, and I know we spoke when we covered the first film, you told me that the, you know, the revolving room and everything they used to capture that in, in the first film, fucking 30 years before. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it looked better. And this is where this film falls down. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Where it, where it should have put that first fucking film to bed, it fails to do so. Do you know what I mean? And, and the effects are one of them. Another one, round about this same point, the character of Nancy, she's at home, sitting in her bed, she starts to nod off, and then we get the recreation of the wall scene, the very yeah. iconic wall scene. And it's... I mean, the, the, the flying round the room one... It still kind of looked alright, it just wasn't as good as the first one. The wall scene in this film is shit. Yes, Baz. Uh, it really is. Um, no, not even in the same fucking league as it was 30 years previously in that first one. Now, I did say I thought that effect in that first film was brilliant. Aye, it's and a that, simple effect though. Yeah. That, I think that's what it is. It is a guy pressing his face against a particular material uh-huh. which allows his face shape to go there. And I think to myself, Baz, how much can that cost? Yeah, not a lot exactly. of money. Surely not a lot of money. Surely costed cost more than getting someone to digitally digitally put that face in an absolute the effects remind me of um the haunting. The really shit ghost effects in the haunting from the uh, nineteen ninety nine. Right. Uh, the Liam Neeson uh, horror remake movie and the ghost effects are fucking awful in that. And that's then. That's nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, and it just looks—it looks like a like some sort of kid at high school doing a computing course yeah. had knocked this thing up. It's fucking no, awful. It, it was really poor. And on top of that, they insist on making Freddy's actual face appear and the claws appear, and there's there's no fucking need for it. And then they just ruined it. So quite early on, the two of the direct takes from the original film fail, you know, really quite badly, uh, in my mind. Um, so now Chris is dead, so Jesse was there, he's covered in her blood, he kind of takes off, goes <coughs> to Nancy's house, tells her what's happened, and then he gets arrested uh, and ends up in jail kind of thing. And we've seen a similar uh, premise in the first mo- the original movie as well, one of them ends up in jail. Um, he then gets killed in jail. Um, uh, typical for Edison, he basically falls asleep, strike himself, he can't, falls asleep, and he gets killed in the dream kind of thing. Um, Elsewhere, so Nancy and Quentin, who was one of the other kids at the the diner earlier on, he's he's got a bit of a thing for Nancy. Um, And he's also the high school principal's son. Um, So they're kind of talking about their kind of, he's researching sleep deprivation and all this kind of stuff. Um, And they come across this photograph uh, in Nancy's house, which appears to show all of them together as young children at this nursery school, preschool uh-huh. thing. Um, and her mother 
the old Raina James from Nashville, she tells them after it gets kind of dragged out of that basically that they had known each other, that they'd gone to this preschool and that there'd been a man there who was the gardener, Fred Kruger, and he lived in the place. And um, he basically kind of, she basically implies that he had molested some of the children. Um, but then she then finishes off by saying that he fled the town and that was it. it was, that was the end of it. And she never ever told her because she didn't want her having to live with the memories when, when she'd clearly kind of blocked them out kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's, there's this mention of a magic cave. Um, and we, we see flashbacks at this point as well. So you see... Uh, the character of Kruger before he, he's disfigured and all that kind of stuff, playing with the children and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, sorry, I'm just checking through my notes here quickly. Um, yes, yeah, so basically they, they say you know he got away and that was it kind of thing. That was the end of it. Um, well, there's then a scene where Quentin is at swimming practice, which was this was a bit odd. That, that's never been a premise that they've used before. Falling asleep in a pool. I'm not sure how possible that is. <laughs> Certainly not in the middle of a fairly intensive swimming training session. Do you know what I mean? It's not like so you hear the folk shipwrecks and they end up falling asleep eventually after three days of bobbing about in the water. This is in the middle of a fucking high intensity swim training coaching session. Do you know what I mean? Um, anyway, he does. Uh, and the upshot is he's going to transport it out the dream world and he witnesses what actually happens to Kruger and we see him getting chased. He's on foot and he's getting chased by all these cars out to this kind of abandoned industrial site. Um, and he kind of barricades himself in this room. It's kind of boiler room type thing. So this is reminiscent of the boiler room in the house that we saw in most of the previous films. But it's not. It's like a kind of some kind of chemical plant, abandoned chemical plant or something like that. Uh, but that's where we get this industrial backdrop that much of the, the, the dream, um, the dreamscapes are set in kind of thing, you know. And basically Kruger, we see Kruger getting burnt alive by the parents. Um, big Raina James, she's not too keen on it happening, but she lets it happen anyway. It appears to be Quentin's dad, the principal, that um, he's the kind of the ringleader and he's also the one that throws the the burning kind of can of petrol thing through the window that, that burns him. Yeah, he's, he's the fire starter, Baz. He is. Twisted fire starter. fire starter. <laughs> Fucking hate the pred- prodigy, man. Absolutely. Oh, get off my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, they then go and confront the dad and they basically say, you know, we know what you did. And they said, you know, we did it to protect all of you and blah, blah, blah. Um, so they set off, they're going to go and find the... They want to find this preschool place to sort of investigate for clues there to see if there's anything that they can do. Um, they stop off, they're trying to get... Um, the, the boy Quentin's on kind of prescription medication and he's using this to keep himself awake and he's run out. So there's a scene then at the uh, drugstore um, and Nancy, she, she kind of gets attacked and, and cut quite badly in it and all this. She ends up in the hospital. Um, and there's the bit where they're trying to put her to sleep. So there's little bits taken from the previous films, kind of scattered all through the thing. Um, they, her and Quentin eventually escape from it. Um, and they set off and they find this um, 
this preschool nursery place that they'd gone to kind of, so they start exploring and they basically find the kind of basement where Kruger had lived and they'd stated this earlier on that he did sleep in the basement in the place that's where he lived kind of, I think it was like a wee part perk of his job or something but while they're exploring they find hidden behind a screen that there's an- another small room and this has been this magic cave that they talked about yeah when they'd confronted Quentin's dad they had uh, Quentin and Nancy had kind of jumped to the assumption that when they had accused Kruger of these things when they were young that they'd got it wrong that they were just kids and that they'd made something up or they'd got something wrong and the parents had taken it the wrong way and killed an innocent man and I've got to say at that point I was really panicking quite badly about where this film was going because I thought if they make Freddy Krueger into an innocent victim driven mad for revenge I will fucking spew <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> at the end of the day I don't care how you play it but you cannot make Freddy Krueger a good guy <laughs> you know what I mean it just cannot fucking happen. Just imagine you having the dry heave watching it. Aye. <laughs> uh, 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 and then a big projectile right off my fucking telly. Um, it just can't be done. It absolutely can't be done. Um, and then, like in Friday the 13th, there was occasionally little glimpses of a kind of tragic figure in Jason Voorhees, but that was all the way through it. Yeah. You know, he was this disfigured little boy that was bullied and all that and drowned tragically and everything. He's driven this through this love that he had for his mother and all this kind of stuff. So there's a little glimpse of that. There's never any of that with Freddy. No. You know, even without the the kind of pedophile elements that are in this film, in the previous ones, he was a child killer, but he just killed kids. Do you know what I mean? The nearest you got to it was because they'd taken his daughter away, but it, it didn't get... Like, you didn't feel any sympathy for him at all. Yeah. In the car, and I was genuinely panicking at this point. Oh Christ, no! And then I kind of—I was thinking about what you'd said. And I was like, "This will be why I don't hate this so much." Yeah, <laughs> it's, I, it's one of these things. It's like a, a to me, it's a needless subplot which doesn't need to be in the movie at all. Yeah. Well, going back to where I was, then so they found the, the, the preschool place. They found his wee room that he lived in, and they find this secret bit at the back, and they realise that this was this magic cave that they talked about uh-huh. for kids. And they also find a set of photographs, and we don't see what's on them, obviously, but it's implied that it is pictures of Nancy with him when she was wee, and he's doing stuff to her or whatever. Yeah. Or she's, you know, the, the graphic images. She's very, very upset about. And so that then confirms, no, no, he's not coming after us because we lied and he got killed. He's coming after us because we told the truth and he got killed, kind of thing, you know. Um, and that he'd brought them to this place, he kind of led them there because he wanted them to remember, you know. So we do get very irrevocably put down, you know, Kruger's evil, you know, he's a yeah. And I, I was much happier with that. God only knows what I would have done if they'd gone the other way, but thankfully <laughs> they don't. Um, and we then get this kind of idea that we've had, and quite a few of them were basically um, Nancy's going to go into the dream world and attempt to bring him back. 
and so the screw get the team and then bring them back to the real world where they can fight them kind of thing and uh, in the process Quentin finds this old paper guillotine that manages to snap the blade bit off to make a makeshift kind of machete slash sword type thing <laughs> um, so she then falls asleep she goes into the dream world kind of thing she's confronted by Kruger and um, there's a kind of number of scenes but there's a v- there's a scene where basically she's trapped on this bed and she's wearing like a little child's dress and shoes and stuff like that. And Freddy's kind of coming to get her at this point, you know, and then he's saying about your mouth saying no, but your body's saying yes in this, and I, my fucking toes were curling at this bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't mind that they brought in this paedophile element. As you say, it was there originally and they just decided against it. In this day and age, realistically, be a bit hard pushed to, you know, think it was just somebody that just like killing kids. You know what I mean? I don't. I'm not any form of criminologist, but I'd imagine that in most of these cases there is a sexual element to these kind of crimes. You know? Yeah. I didn't have a problem with them bringing that in here, but this bit, it was all sorts of creepy, but it also seemed quite needless and a wee bit tawdry. Right, yeah. You know I mean, and he's got one of the kind of claws that he's kind of lifting the hem of this fucking dress and I'm kind of going, oh my fucking God. I hear my wife just a bit choking in the background of it, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Didn't like that bit at all. Thankfully, I didn't like it because it made me feel very uncomfortable. You've got this thing about anything happened to animals, child crimes. I can't handle, I've spoken about this before, films like Dolores Claiborne and Sleepers and stuff like that have yeah, yeah. very, very real effects on me. And this was starting to border on that. So I didn't like that. But I also just didn't like the way they executed either. If they were going to have to put it in, I thought it was quite crass the way they did it. Anyway, um, Quentin manages to bring Nancy back with a shot of adrenaline that he'd stolen from the hospital earlier to keep himself awake kind of thing. And... Uh, there is a re- relatively brief battle with him in the real world. Um, and he's just about to kill Quentin and uh, Nancy cuts his, cuts the hand off. You see him sort of thrust the hand forward and then the hand comes flying off. And he looks at it and, she, and we then get this, um, you're in my world now, bitch line. Yeah, yeah. She basically cuts him, slashes him across his throat. And that's the end of Freddy kind of thing. They then torch the place. Um, and get out and the ambulance comes and takes them away and that and then there's a final scene where we see um, Agrena James taking Nancy home and they get into the house and they're in the hall you know and Nancy's saying you know I appreciate that what you did you did for me to protect me you know and the mother bends down and she stands back up for Eddie's in the mirror behind her and the hand comes out through the mirror kind of through the back of her head and you see the, the blades come out the front of her face that bit was quite well done I've got to say uh-huh. Fucking needless. <laughs> well done. And you then he pulls her back through the mirror, which shatters, and then it all pieces itself back together, but with a big blood splatter up the middle of it. Obviously, this was in kind of homage to these kind of mental endings that we had in some of the earlier films, particularly the first one where she was yeah. through the fucking letterbox or whatever it was that she was <laughs> And I mean, I, I really hated that in that first film. Yeah. Um, and I. I just, I didn't see why they had to use that in this one. You know, they had a lot of the bits that I didn't like in the first movie they've done without. But why do that? You know, I appreciate 
all of the Nightmare films had this bit at the end. And he's not really dead. Look, I could live with that, but no, it, it just kind of it bugged me a wee bit. Uh-huh. And basically, that's the end of the film. Um, my general thoughts here in my notes. One of the things that they used a lot in this film was noise. Um, there are a lot of jump scares in this film, and a lot of them are triggered by loud noise. Yep. Um, and in that respect, it reminded me a lot of like Insidious. Uh-huh. Um, Insidious and Sinister. Uh, the, the, those two films, like me and my daughter, we, my hearing's not the greatest. Um, and while I have a sound bar, it's a relatively rudimentary one. I've not got the big 5.1 surround sound. So sometimes, depending on the way the sound's been put together in the film, I can struggle a little bit to hear the dialogue sometimes. So I sometimes it's not quite loud. And in those films, when you got the big kind of you know, bit for the fright, me and my daughter were just about going through the roof kind of thing. <laughs> and this film was a bit like that. Um, there is a lot more in the way of jump scares in this film. Um, yeah. there, I was kind of, I got a fright a few times during this. Um, and I don't think I've had a fright in any of them up until now, to my, to my knowledge. Certainly not any of the early ones. Maybe in New Nightmare, I might have got a wee jump or something in New Nightmare, but this film, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's a scary, scary film, but there are a few kind of cliched jump scares in it, which work. Um, and they weren't there in the early ones. Um, Freddy also, um, I've said, you know, he doesn't look like Freddy, and I'm never going to go over that. It's not Freddy Krueger to me, Robert England is Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Story. Uh, but his um, his personality is that all of the quipping is gone. There are a few little lines, but they are far less cheesy. The cheesiest yeah. one I think is we get a bit about how's that for a wet dream when she's kind of drowning in blood, and that's really the only one that has any element of cheesiness to it. There are other wee lines, but they tend to be quite nasty twisted little lines almost that he says you know there's a bit about just petting the dog you know and the dog's been slashed open and everything like that um, he, he, he appears genuinely quite malevolent in this film uh-huh. and I think Jackie Earl Haley needs to, he got to docked off the cap to that a bit he really makes Kruger a nasty character I've said right from the beginning I don't think Kruger a scary character he's comical more than scary in my uh-huh. mind Um not in this one. He is genuinely quite malevolent. All of this attempted humour's gone. He's quite vicious, you know, and, and really driven by like pure hatred. And I know he was supposed to be in the first films, but you didn't really see it. It kind of get drowned under the quips and the one-liners. Um, but not in this film. And I quite appreciated that. It didn't make up for the physical resemblance. But I did quite like the way he portrayed Kruger. I thought he did not a bad job at that. Um, other little things. There's no sign of Nancy's magic powers. That's good. Uh, we don't need that. Do you know what I mean? We just don't need that at all. Um, and there's quite a lot of the familiar tropes in it. And most of them... No, that's not true. Some of them are done quite well. I thought the classroom scene was quite good. Um, we saw the classroom scene in a couple of the early films, and I thought they handled that quite well in this. The body bag scene, which again we had in the first film, 
Um, it's a bit of a throwaway scene in this one. It's yeah. only been done, you know, so we'll give them the body bag scene. That, you can tell that's been the thinking behind it because there's a um, Quentin who's been studying up on like insomnia is, talks about this uh, micro-napping. Which yeah. he claims is what happens to people who haven't slept like for days and end. Like basically, your brain will shut down for a few seconds while you're still physically awake to try and recharge itself, and this causes these kind of waking dreams. And it gets this vision she has of Chris in a body bag gets written off as one of these. <sighs> there wasn't really, it didn't add anything to the film at all. There was no point to it, but I thought they did it quite well. There's a bit where she kind of stands up in the bag and she's kind of cackling and it, it was quite freaky looking. It, it was quite uncomfortable to watch kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that one, the classroom scene, I, I quite enjoyed them. I thought they were quite good. But on the flip side of that, you had the wall thing and, and the, the the levitation in the room bits. You know, and, and they were just god awful. Um, and there, there was no getting by that. Um, they couldn't top their own versions from 30 years previously, you know? Yeah. Um, the paedophile part of the storyline, um, it did make me feel quite uncomfortable, but I think, it's like I said a wee minute ago, I think in a modern film like this, they need to kind of flesh it out a bit more. And you basically, you, do, you get the whole story of Kruger in this, you don't get the whole bastard son of a thousand maniacs fucking nonsense. Yeah, yeah. But um, you get the whole backstory, who he was before it, what he did, what happened to him, and why he's doing what he's doing kind of thing. And again, I think that's because a modern audience... You know, if you if, if you did a shot-for-shot shot remake of that first film, nobody would take it fucking seriously now. Yeah. In, in my mind. People like the old one because it's the film they remember from their childhood and they relate to it and they enjoy it for that. And I don't, I don't have any kind of problem with that. But that, you know, we're just going to create this guy. They don't really need to know where he fucking comes from. He's just this crazy killer guy. You know that'll be fine. Audiences in the eighties would accept that. They won't accept that now. So they did flesh out this backstory. I quite liked it. I've got to say. Um, it made me feel quite uncomfortable at points, but as a kind of standalone encapsulated film, I thought it worked quite well. Um, my first watching of it, I was quite torn because the bits that I didn't like about this film, I really didn't fucking like. But the other bits, I thought, I kept kind of thinking back to what you were saying, I was like, I think everybody just hates everything about this film. And of course I'm aware, like I said before, I've not got the attachment to the originals, but I was like, I didn't hate this whole thing, and I kept thinking back to you booing it in the cinema. The, know, yeah. right I think it was one of my final tweets was, you know, well, I wouldn't have fucking booed it in a cinema. And there was, yeah, the, 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 bit that got, the bit that got the booing from me was when they started to put this idea that Freddie might be an innocent person. All right. Oh, I thought you booed like at the credits at the end. Oh no, 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 no! I boo during a movie, Buzz. I boo when I don't like something that's happening. Oh, thank God you've never done that when I'm there. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, right. Well, in fairness, I don't blame you for that. And had I been sitting there with you, while I probably wouldn't have joined in the booing because I'm a bit too much of a kind of 
I just don't do things like that, Duncan. Stiff upper lip and all that. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> respected member of the local community. Can't be doing it in a cinema, Duncan. Um, but I mean, when I'm sitting on my couch watching it, I was going like, oh, don't you fucking dare. Don't fucking dare make him out to be some victim in this. Thankfully, they didn't. I know you're saying you didn't really like the fact that they put that in. Like, it was kind of unnecessary. You're right, it was completely unnecessary, but... I don't know, I kind of dug it a little bit. I think possibly just the fucking relief that they didn't. You know, that kind of, oh, thank God. Like, that's okay then, and you kind of look back on it with rose-tinted glasses, because you know they didn't actually go down that road. You know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, they they could have done without it. Um, But when the prospect was there that that was the road they were travelling down, I think I was fully on board with the hate um, at that point. Uh, overall, I thought this film was okay. I thought it was okay. I don't hate this movie. I really don't. And my second watching, when I just sat, I just watched the film. You know, I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't taking my notes. I was just watching the movie. It's quite quite enjoyable film. Um, I think they could have done a lot worse. I think they could have done a lot worse with this film. Mm. What do you think of that? <laughs> um, yeah, I hate this movie. <laughs> I, know you do. I know you do. Um, I, for a lot of the reasons that you've already covered, I, whilst the makeup for Freddy is more anatomically correct in yeah. terms of how burn victims look. Yeah. I, I think he walks around looking like like someone from Planet of the Apes that's fucking wax makeup started to melt a bit. Mm-hmm. He looks kind of monkeyish. Yeah, I'm trying to think. He, he, he looks to me like uh, Deadpool. Oh yeah, uh, the, the, the Marvel character of Deadpool without, without the mask, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he kind of looked like what Deadpool should have looked like in that Wolverine movie. Uh-huh. It, it, it's just and it, like you uh, like you're saying it just doesn't look like Freddy Krueger and I understand you, you move away you try some new things but that's uh, like see when Freddy see when Robert England's Freddy did like an, a malicious smile or something like that you could see expression on his face you cannot see any expression with this makeup yeah that's true because his mouth moves very little even yeah. when he speaks so, so yeah, what he's saying is more sinister, and yes, he may move more sinister. And granted, he actually, his movements are more in line with how Robert England moved as Freddy, very light on his feet. Um, there's a particular sequence in the in the school, actually, in the school, kind of the dream world sequence, where he moves very, very much like how Robert England moves in the movies. You know, he's like got the mannerisms and the walk sorted and, and all the rest. But... There's, he, he can't emote because the makeup won't allow him to emote, and that's one of the things that I think made Freddy, like, especially earlier Freddy, really fucking creepy. Um, you don't, you don't have any of that. Um, I don't particularly like his dialogue. I think his dialogue is, and I'm not saying I preferred one line in cracking Freddy uh, at all, but Freddy Krueger in the very first Nightmare on Elm Street doesn't say a lot at all. No, that's right. Yeah, doesn't need to say a lot. He's scary killer guy from your dreams there's a lot of dialogue for Freddy in this movie and 
once again, this comes back to the not being able to... Emo- I, if he'd been able to do a, like a really sinister grin or something, you know, when he was saying particular things, some of that dialogue would have worked better for me, but I just... I think that... I don't particularly... I, this is an issue I have with a lot of modern horror movies and a lot of modern horror remakes is I find myself not liking any character at all in this movie. Like mm-hmm. any of them, I just I I have no one to, and it was the same thing with the the Friday Thirteenth remake. Like we've got a bunch of teens here. One of them is going to be our final girl. That's the one we need to rally behind. We on some level should want to root for that character, and I just don't feel like I want to do that in this movie at all. Nancy, do you know? No, I just See, I find, quite like Nancy in this film. I, I don't I don't put but I don't particularly like Nancy. I don't like Heather Langenkamp as an actress, so I don't really right. like Nancy in the first movie either. Yeah, yeah. As one of my criticisms of the original Friday the thirteenth eh, sorry, Nightmare on Elm Street, is that I don't particularly like the Nancy character anyway. But I don't I don't particularly like her in this one and I've the way it's the oh my god, it's the she's a troubled artist and oh pish, fuck off. And I don't I don't like that. I think it's lazy writing like i've said that before where in the 80s you could kind of get away with it because it was the 80s and it was quirky and all the rest but we're 2010 now like teens are not like this you know what i mean who and if if our teens are like this they tend to hang around with friends that are like this like similar interests it's a hodgepodge of people in here in the 80s it was more believable i think you know what i mean i don't know if that's you know i don't know if that's coming across the way I want it to come across, but in the 80s, I can imagine a group where there was a guy that listened to punk music and there was a guy who played in the football team and all the rest. In this movie, Nancy's such an introverted character, I just can't imagine her being friends or dating that Jesse guy for a start. That doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Um, you know, there's, there's a disconnect there, and I, I put that down to, like, lazy writing. Once again, we're moved on, and a lot of time has passed, and these sort of things should be tighter. This movie is about the same length as the original movie and they cram quite a lot into it like the first movie flows quite well because there's a mystery involving some people dying by the time Nancy really finds out what's going on we're very close to the end and then she takes down Freddy mm-hmm. and this movie about halfway through it everyone seems to be aware of Freddy and we're given this doubt as to whether or not he was guilty and that's halfway through the movie and then we've got another half in the movie we were doing all the rest and I feel like they play their cards too soon and a part of that is because they add this sub plot in here about is he guilty or isn't he guilty which is something the movie shouldn't even you shouldn't even fucking entertain that when remaking this movie Freddy is a villain you shouldn't even like bring in this idea of well maybe he was innocent you know or the kids think he's innocent or what that should never be done you shouldn't, you know like it's enough that this guy is killing you in your dreams for what seems like Revenge. You, we don't need to muddle the water, and I feel I, I kind of feel like they shove that in the middle, and it makes it a bit messy. It makes the story a bit messy. Um, I'm with you. I actually quite like the idea that they fully commit to the idea of him being a paedophile, because I think that's genuinely what makes him more creepy in this movie than any of the other Freddy portrayals. I think the idea of him, you know, like fully committing to when he sits, particular lines he says in this movie. When you take it to the the idea, the connotation that he would say this to small children makes my skin crawl, and um, it's, it's one of the things I think this movie does really fucking well. I quite like the fact that they do cram 
a, a chunk of the origin story into this movie. Most modern horror remakes or reboots, they will put an origin story because that's it's the same when they, they do uh, superhero movies and all the rest. You need your origin story and we need to condense it. So whereas Freddy's origin story and the original run of movies is really told over six movies, and this movie it's told over one, and I can totally live with that. I think that's fine. Um, I don't particularly like the ending. I think the ending's pretty fucking stupid. But like you, I didn't really like the ending in the first movie anyway. Uh, yeah, I watched it again this week. This is the third time I've seen this movie in the history of of its cycle of five years in the in the the viewing domain. And um, it's not the worst one. It's not yeah. the worst one, but it's nowhere near the good ones, I think. I still think there's so much, and I, I know exactly, the they kill off any possibility at the end of this movie of them making a sequel. How so? Basically, to me, the, the, the best... See, there wasn't supposed to be a sequel to the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, Wes Craven wrote it as a one-off movie. And that's why he took nothing to do with any of the sequels. Because they were uh-huh. like, oh, we've got a great character here, we need to bring him back. They do exactly the same here. The plan was to make it a franchise horror, thing like that. The end of this movie kind of negates that to an extent, you know, because they'd finish it like the first movie. Which, if you see the end of the first movie, you're like, all right, that's the end of the movie. You know what I mean? No, There's no... Like, at the end of Friday the 13th, Jason comes up and grabs you know, uh, the the girl pulls her out of the water. Uh-huh. So the next movie starts a Jason story mm-hmm. because Jason's now a character. We've introduced him. At the end of this, Nancy's the only survivor. So do we get another movie with Nancy? or You know you know what I mean? It's it's what do you do to take that into another one? And well, I can well, Quentin see... survived as well. Oh, sorry, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it, that's another thing that annoys me. Why does he survive? Mm-hmm. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, instead of a last girl kind of idea, just yeah, the like final a girl. single person, yeah. Yeah, why does he survive? Um, I just think overall, it just, it, there's a real, there was a real opportunity in this movie, aside from the, it's not Robert England um, argument, which I'm 100% with, there was a real opportunity to do something quite clever with this. The fact that they changed so much of the story in terms of adding, you know, the the paedophilia part in, which mm-hmm. wasn't in the original, even though it was an intention. The the subplot of the did he do it or didn't he do it. So they start adding things in, which is making it a fresh feeling film, but then feel the need to do nods towards the original movies in terms of the like you called it the Exorcist scene, which is surprisingly not bloody. Yeah. I mean, which you, you think to yourself, this is like 2010, if anything, there should be buckets of blood. But it's surprisingly not bloody and I don't particularly like how it's shot. The the sequence to the head coming through the wall uh, is, is awful. I mean, but, what, but why even do that though? Why, why even bring that scene back? You know what I mean? You're changing elements. You're making this movie your own. You're making your stamp. You don't need to resurrect scenes from the original movie. I'd much rather they just said, this is Freddy Krueger. You kind of know what he is. We're just gonna we're gonna put him in a different environment and tell a different story. That's to me how you remake or reboot something. You the the unnecessary nods. This is where the Friday the Thirteenth remake kind of. This is why I like the Friday the Thirteenth remake more than this because they really go out their way to. And there's some elements I hate about how they changed that, but at least they tried. You know, at least they were like. And there's very little in that first movie 
that is at all like the original. You know, the condensed things, yeah, he gets a mask, but the way he gets his mask is different. You know, the the, the, the setting's different. The underground tunnels, even though I hate them, is a different idea. So they really try and make that their own. And whilst I don't think it fully works, I appreciate the fact they tried to do that. I don't understand the logic in this movie of trying to make it your own, but feeling the need to put scenes which are inferior to the original movie in as a nod to people that are sitting in to watch the movie. I don't get that, because when I'm watching it, I'm like that, and you, here we go, you've no nostalgia to it at all, and you saw that head coming through the wall, and you're like, that That looks pish. Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. Right, so, I mean, if you're a filmmaker who's watching, who and this Samuel Byer guy is apparently a big fan of the original movie, you must be looking at that back going, right, that scene doesn't look good at all, and you just cut it out don't need to keep it in mm, mm-hmm. and you keep the exorcist scene right because it shows his supernatural powers and all the rest even though it's inferior you can keep that in but that that head scene like that, that was another I had to bite the boo eh, from coming out mad or boo like that <laughs> I fucking so so yeah I just I think there's so much about this movie which has potential and that's it's, be, it's before it kind of feels muddled, and the the story about this one was that basically, like the guys from the the film company were on set all the time, and there was rewrite after rewrite while the movie was going on. And I kind of see that in the movie, you know, I kind of see bits where I'm like, are you committing to this, or right, we're not committing to this, right? What what we're doing with this subplot? Oh, apparently we're doing nothing with this subplot, um, you know. What what we're doing with the paedophilia angle, right? You know, and it kind of feels like bits. It doesn't feel fluid. The first movie feels fluid. This one feels more disjointed. Like I say, not the worst movie in the franchise to me. That's reserved for the end of the show when I tell you what I think is the worst one. Uh, yeah. Which I think you could probably guess because I fucking hate it. Um, but coming back to it again, I, I just kind of... I, I didn't hate it as much, but I kind of felt disappointed. I kind of felt like there was so much opportunity here there's like so much and it'll be interesting to see what lessons are learned when they go and make the next one because they have seen the backlash to this movie and the points have been listed online as to why people don't the main reasons which are funnily enough the main reasons you have issues with this Baz mm-hmm. are, are the general consensus of the the, the vast uh, kind of horror populace it'll be interesting to see how much of that they try and take on board and how much they try and pander to what the fans want yeah um yeah it was just it's a it's a big 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 disappointment for me um and it did it made my top 10 worst horror remakes list um of all time and coming back to is it still in my top 10 probably not but it's probably sitting at 11 right yeah, I, 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 I really, I've got so many yeah, issues with. Your hatred is not as vitriolic as I was expecting, Duncan. Yeah, I, I think, I think the thing is, I had, had you said to me, had you defended this movie in the way you defended the Friday the Thirteenth remake, I would have teed off big time. But the fact that I vastly agree with most of the points you've said, uh-huh. it, it makes it difficult for me to go on my my soapbox and fucking start preaching to the pulpit Um, you know it gets to that point where I'm like yeah and the thing is every franchise that we tackle all these big horror franchises that we tackle um, most of them have a modern 2000s uh, era remake and my gripes with them are all pretty much the same 
They're all yeah. the same. And platinum dunes are involved with most of them. I don't like the the horrible kind of brownish greenish tint in this movie. You know what I mean? The, the, in terms of the actual film itself. Yeah, there's a kind of there's kind of like a greenish tint to the movie. Oh, it's like a slight greenish tint, but particularly when they do the dream sequences, it's not fully red. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of horrible jobby, <laughs> jobby brown <laughs> sort of wash over. It's like a, it's like a diarrhea sepia tone, which has been washed over a lot of the dream sequence areas, which I just don't like, and that plagues a lot of Platinum Dune movies as well. It's this visual kind of watercolour wash that they do over it that I don't like. Um, I think it detracts from it. But like I say, actually coming back to one of the big things that stood out to me is I don't actually hate Jack Errol Haley's performance as Freddy. I hate what they did to him. I hate what they did in terms of the, the makeup. I think the makeup is one of my biggest gripes from but I love the fact that he at least tried to do something with the character he at least yeah. tried to put his own spin on it uh-huh. it's like I say I, I really think he made Freddy Krueger quite malevolent and yeah. you know vindictive and ju- just evil which like I say was drowned under the fucking tsunami of quips in the previous films oh, God, I'm yeah. actually looking back through my uh, tweets there talking about the makeup I'm, I'm on board with the makeup we, um, what I actually said in my tweets was he looks like Spawn should have looked like in the Spawn movie exactly yeah um, in fact actually if I believe they're redoing the Spawn movie if they could maybe just take that prosthetic and use it yeah, that would be fucking amazing yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> Just doesn't look like Freddy Krueger. Definitely, definitely. Um, right, so um, we are going to take a short break. I'm going to give you a grade first, though. But when we come back from our break, uh, we are going to count down the order of our favourites in this franchise. And then I'm going to ask you a question, Baz. I'm going to pose a question to you, which I'll let you think over the break. Okay. What franchise do you prefer more? So you need to you need to put a bit of thought into that, and we will discuss it when we come back. Um, however, in terms of your grade, a, a storming review at the end here, and your backup as a as an A plus, my friend. Kaboom! Right back at the end, redeem yourself for for a couple of shoddy shoddy reviews in the middle there. I can't I can't believe that, Baz. You're, you're, I don't know. Anyway, we're going to take a short break just now. When we return, we're closing out the show right after this. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. They try to kill us. You ungodly warlock. <laughs> but we just won't stay dead. What's the matter? You can't hold your liquor, huh? The Midnight Horror Show. Internet's goriest and raunchiest horror podcast since 2008. Now live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at tmhsradio.com. Listen on your mobile device with the TuneIn app. Search TMHS Radio or download us at iTunes, Podomatic, or the TMHS Radio page. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And welcome back. So you've been listening to Baz V Horror 
on the podcast Under the Stairs. We have closed out our A Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Um, we were looking on this show at A New Nightmare by uh, the late great Wes Craven. Um, we tackled Freddy vs. Jason, finally putting both franchises to bed. And then we finished off with the Nightmare on Elm Street remake from 2010. Baz. Duncan. It's a second huge horror franchise uh, in, in the books, my man. It is indeed. It is indeed. Um, quite proud of that now. Yeah. I'm actually quite proud because, like, speaking to some of my friends recently that watched horror when they were younger kind of thing, there's very few of them have actually seen all the films in these franchises. Uh-huh. You know, they thought, oh, yeah, i seen Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, I know. Have you seen part five, man? No, <laughs> I don't think so. All right, have you not? Alright, I've watched them all now. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's a little source of personal pride as well, I think, to have got through the two of them. You know, two of the real big ones. Yeah. Uh, particularly Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, as I say, it was the one that was always talked about as a child around me. And um, Yeah, I can say I've done the whole lot now. Well done, sir. Well done. And, um, yeah, this is the bit that it always causes a bit of controversy because everyone has a different list here. Let's let's uh, let's rattle down these bars, um, yeah. and we will go from. Do you want to do them in reverse order, or do you want to do them in just standard order? Um, what are you thinking? Up to yourself, Tom. You're, you're the head honcho, mate. You decide. <laughs> Right, we'll do them in order of favourite to least favourite. Okay, right, we'll, we'll, first. Yeah, I'll go first. So my favourite, no surprise, I said it right at the very start, is um, the Dream Warriors Part 3. Right. Here comes the controversy. I know what yours is. Yours is a new nightmare. It is. I knew you, you fucking loved it. And I did. I, I did. love I the fact that, that you film. love it. I yep. love the fact that you love that movie, man. That, that makes me... That makes me very, very, very happy because I think Wes Craven did a lot of bold things in that movie and the fact that, you know, almost 20 years on from from when he did it, the fact that, you know, in fact it will be 20 years on from when he did it, the fact that you can recognise how ahead of the curve that horror movie was makes me happy. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's for those reasons that you've said. He really he had the stones to do something completely different. They, you know, they'd shat all over the thing that he created for so many fucking years they asked him back to save it and he just went totally left field and I, I loved it thought it was brilliant brilliant right so at number two for me um, is the controversial one it's part two I fucking love that movie I have a blast every time I watch that you know kind of closeted homoerotic sequences included I think <laughs> I think it I think it is a movie, it's probably the one I watch most in the franchise just because I can shove it on at any time and have a fucking blast with it. What's your, uh, what's your number two in the uh, list? Number two is part three, The Dream Warriors. Nice. Um, it, it's, it's a fun film, do you know what I mean? It, it's almost like the fucking Goonies at points. It's just bonkers. And I like the little... You know, I, I related to that thing, the Red Hand Gang, when I was a kid. This, this gang yeah. of teens bonding together with their stupid-ass dream powers. But it's funny, and it's... I don't know, you, you, you just get really endeared to some of these characters. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And the fact Big Patsy was in it didn't hurt either. Yeah, and that, like we said before, that scene where he's using the guy as a 
puppet using his veins is one of the fucking coolest kills in a horror movie ever, in my opinion. I think it's fucking fantastic. Yeah. Uh, right, so number three for me is the original part one. And number three for me, and I was, I've been swithering here. <laughs> um, commit, Baz, commit. Part two. Part two. Oh, yes, Baz. <laughs> Again, I, when we were discussing this and you told me why people didn't like that, I thought, nah, fuck you. That, that again, you know, they're trying to do something a little bit different there. Um, and it's like you said, they didn't like the way they changed his kind of MO, if you like, but it's like, you're one film down. Yeah. And the guy's a fucking dream demon. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Cut my bit of slack. But what I think that actually swung it for me was when you, when you reminded me that the whole homoerotic thing going on in that Oh, it's film, fucking brilliant. It's layers, man. Particularly the bit in that fucking gym shower room. There <laughs> So that's actually knocked one down. <laughs> yeah, I'm going for part two as number three. Right, uh, number four for me is Wes Craven's A New Nightmare. Um, I, for the reasons we've already discussed, I think it is... Uh, a really bold movie it has its flaws I've told you what I think those flaws are earlier on in this show but I can't take away from the fact that you can tell there's like a proper a guy that's invested with the project and a, a guy who was a, a pretty phenomenal horror director back at the you know at helming that ship um, and I think it's I think it's great so it's a number four for me and we know what your number four for us is because you just told us no I didn't did you not? Is it not part one? Nope, it's not. Oh, Baz, you're, I don't fucking know where you're going now. I don't know where you're going. For number four, I am going with Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. Oh, dear God. Oh, this, this is Friday the 13th all over again. It's <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's happening all over again. And, and it's for similar reasons as to why I put Friday the 13th remake where I did. Yeah. Although it landed higher, did it? It landed about second or something like that. I think it was second, yeah, yeah, because I think that was the bit I almost swallowed my tongue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm putting the remake in there. Um, Yeah, it's particularly on my second viewing. I enjoyed it, and and I think I can appreciate it more than folk like yourself and a lot of the listeners can, you know, for the reasons I keep saying, you know, I'm not as attached to these films. And, And just as a you know, I, I would quite happily sit down and watch that again, um, particularly with my daughter, because she quite liked the first one, but her being the age she is, she did not like the, the effects and stuff in it, and I think she would get a kick out of that film. Mm-hmm. Cool. Right, um, so at number five for me, and this one surprised me when I put it down on my list, Freddy versus Jason. All right. And I, I probably put it there... Not because of Freddy Krueger, but because Jason's in it. <laughs> I think Jason probably swings up quite high for me. Uh, yeah, I don't really... We're now past... After A New Nightmare, we're past my liking. Yeah, so, so really, yeah, we're really just ordering like shite for me. So uh, Freddy versus Jason tops that shite though. So um, that is number five for me. What about you? Uh, number five for me is the original film part one. All right. Yeah, that makes um, sense. yeah just not for any particular reason. It's just that those other ones got the position. The other ones that I've already given got their positions for reasons. 
and this is it's maybe a bit like yourself right out the rest well one is better than all the others um, and it, it kind of gets in there I think <laughs> things like the fucking Mr. Tickle Arms and that just really killed me a bit for that first film you know, yeah, I hate that sequence. It was only a, a month or two ago that I watched that. You know, I'm 42 years age. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> this is one of the greatest horror villains of all time. Do you know what I mean? Don't get me wrong, there's a lot in there that's good as well. But there, there was just a few kind of, what the fuck kind of bits for me. Do you know what I mean? And that just comes with the age and stuff, I think. So. Yep, yep, right. So, um, at number six for me is, funnily enough, uh, part six. Yeah. Um, it's got Alice Cooper in it. Alice Cooper's quite a lot of fun. Um, Johnny Depp makes a wee cameo. The story's alright until the 3D stuff starts happening and then it, it just becomes a clusterfuck of shite. Um, <laughs> but there's a couple of there's a couple of elements I quite like in the movie. I just don't like the movie. So yeah, it's that that puts it at number six on my list. What about you? Uh, number six for me is Freddy versus Jason. Oh. Um, yeah. Again. I, I was kind of pleasantly surprised at the way they worked it. It wasn't as fucking ludicrous as I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, the kind of premise behind it. And just basically, obviously, the three that I've not fucking picked yet um, are just diabolical and fucking levels of degradation. <laughs> um, and it's just better than any of them. Um like I think I said at the time when I was talking about Freddy vs Jason it had the capacity to be fucking dog shit yeah and it's not mm-hmm. and I think it needs a wee bit of props for that do you know what I mean you actually managed to pull that off like I spoke about these matchups you get in comics and nine times out of ten they're utter guff yeah um, and this dodged a lot of the pitfalls there I think um, that it could have fallen into quite easily and yeah it was nice to see Jason back as well Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, at number seven on my list is the remake, which surprised me because I genuinely thought it was going to be bottom of my list um, until I went through them again. But watching it again, it it makes third from the bottom. Um, There are a couple of things in it which are quite interesting. We've just spoke about it. There's a lot for me that doesn't work. Um, So it lands there. What about yourself? Uh, what part are we at here now? Number seven on Number the list. seven for me is part four. Oh. Um, yeah. I can't really explain too much. Basically, obviously, I'm now left with the, so we had the original trilogy, if you like, and then the second trilogy, and they're the three that I haven't included yet. And for me, that they were pretty much a fucking downward spiral, mm-hmm. um, to be honest. There's some fucking dreadful bits in part four. Obviously, top of that being that dog pissing scene <laughs> is fucking horrendous. And it, uh, that was clearly just, we've got no idea how to bring him back, man, right? Just get get the dog to piss on him and we'll fucking see <laughs> CGI on this ZX Spectrum that I found lying in the room over there. <laughs> um, which they do. But that aside... It was not a great film by any stretch of the imagination, but that dog pissing bit aside, I don't think it's quite as bad as the other two. I disagree with that. Because yeah, my, my, my number eight on my list is part five, um, which means that, you know, where my worst one's coming yeah, in. Yeah. Uh, part five... I think part five... This is where I, we're going to technicalities for me. I think part five is a worse movie 
than part four. But I think part four ultimately suffers more for me because it follows part three. If you know what I mean. It's such a huge uh, drop off drop from part quality, yeah. Yeah, from part three, and I think that's what hurts that movie more. But anyway, part five, yeah, I don't think it I think part four is is marginally a better movie. I hate the whole it's a boy fuck off Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Um it's cheesy in a way which I don't even think I think even Robert England would have difficulty defending his role in that movie. Um I don't particularly like the story either. I think the story's pretty shit and trying to birth Freddy back into the world and all that nonsense it's um, fucking yeah, it's, overtone in the whole thing as well yeah I don't get it I don't get it at all so yeah so it lands at number 8 on my list what is it, number 8 for you sir? it's the same it's oh, well, five. Yeah, it's the only one we've agreed bang on about I think um, yeah that film fucking sucks for the pram and the picture of it mm. to the intrauterine fucking Freddy it's no, I, I did not like that film at all. <laughs> so the last one, <laughs> the last one for me, well, I've just said it's part four. Part four to me is such a colossal failure when you put it beside part three. I, I just don't know how you can go so wrong with a movie. The bringing back Freddy using dog piss is probably the worst thing in horror cinema in yeah. terms of resurrecting a character. I know what you're saying. It's like we, we don't know how to do it. Anything else is better than that. Like anything, anything else. Yeah. Like magic, magical fairy dust is better than that. Like yeah. someone rubbing a fucking lamp and bringing a genie, which brings them back, is better than that. Yeah. You know, I just Jason Bourne. He's kneeling over the open grave, masturbating into it. Would have been a better fucking. Would have been. Yeah. Would have been better. It's just terrible. I genuinely out with the waterbed death I don't like any deaths in this movie at all when you compare it to part 3 which has some of the best kills yeah. in the entire franchise the shark thing fuck that no. um, you're just like there's so much and I, I don't really like any of the characters at all in that movie I'd Like I, this is where I kind of start losing full interest and all, everything to do with it the pizza sequence fuck that the cockroach mm. sequence fuck that Part four to me is an abomination um, in comparison to part three, and it bottoms on my list. Yourself? Yeah. Uh, bottom of the pile for me is part six. Freddy's dead. Mm-hmm. I kind of wished Freddy was dead, but that's quite <laughs> fucking honest. Um, I think it, it took me a wee while. These last three, uh-huh. it did take me a wee while to get the order, and it, it ended up falling in a kind of chronological <coughs> order for them. This film, um, I mean, starting off the, the fucking Wicked Witch of the West thing at the start, oh. just about made me toss my cookies. I fucking hate that. <laughs> I absolutely hate that. It, it was embarrassing. Do you know what I mean? It, it was almost embarrassing to the genre, yeah. in my mind. Um, so that wasn't a great start. I didn't like the premise. I didn't like many of the kids in it. The cameos, with the exception of Alice who, as I stated at the time, I think is probably about the best thing in this film. Yeah. Um, but the cam is like sort of Zan Barn that. It's like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. Why are you here? Do you know what I mean? Johnny Depp, fair enough. That was a nice wee nod at the, the first one, do you know what I mean? But, um, no, there was just a lot in it. And then uh, the 3D bit, it's like we said when we were talking about this film, 3D technology wasn't there, so why the fuck put it in? It was so long after folk had been fucking about with 3D 
but nowhere near the kind of levels of 3D that you can achieve with modern technology, so why bother? It's like really, really missing the fucking boat and then just deciding you're going to swim after it. Do you know what I mean? Um, And on top of that, I think the one thing I really loathed in this was this um, concept of these dream demon things that came in at this point. Do you remember that bit? Yeah, yeah. And it was almost as if they were trying to say, oh, that's why he's so evil, because these fucking wee creatures live in him. Just get fucked. So, no, I hated part six. Hated mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't really, like, when we come at the bottom of my list, I can't really, I, I can't defend my choices and I can't criticise yours either, because I don't like any of them. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, we've closed I've almost. I've almost become more vicious about it looking back. I don't actually remember being quite as venomous about those films when we talked about Aye, them. But, but I think you just think back like, oh, what the fuck, man? Especially when you when you're put when you're writing a list where you're really looking at the best movies in a franchise, when you then start to physically compare them to the uh, ones that you didn't like, it is very difficult not to have that venom in your voice and say, you know, how could you fuck up something so simple? It's such yeah. a simple premise. Uh, it's, it, you just make the same movie over and over again. Don't do what they did, which was try and make Freddy the pop icon character that he is at, at a level where we'll just sell loads of Freddies. Well, mm-hmm. it becomes a it becomes a product. Um, so the last question I'll ask you before we start spewing out details before we we, we close out this show yeah. is. Um, of the two franchises we have done thus far, uh, Friday the 13th and A Nightmare on Elm Street, what one is your favourite and what one is your second favourite? Oh, God. Uh, since you told me you were going to land me with this question, I've been frantically racking my brains and I'm genuinely struggling to come up. Like I say, I think Freddy versus Jason, the film, Mm-hmm cemented for me that I think I prefer the character of Jason Voorhees yeah. to the character of Freddy. Um, there's a little bit... There, there's just a bit too much of something that's comical about Freddy to, to really work as a, as a horror film. Possibly the remake actually addressed that, you know, when all that was gone. Mm-hmm. I can kind of appreciate Freddy for that character, but that's not the franchise we're talking about. We're talking about the first fucking seven or eight movies, do you know what I mean? And seeing them on screen, I think, as I said when we were reviewing that particular film, I did find myself rooting for Jason. Mm-hmm. So I think that answered that. In terms of the actual franchises, the, the sets of films, if you like, it's close, it, it is close run because there's a lot in both of them that I'm very fond of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would probably come down on the side of Friday the 13th. Yes, Baz, yes. And it's, it's not by much, it's not by much, but I think what probably shades it for me is it. It's slightly less ridiculous. At the end of the day, these are supposed to be horror films. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just like... I know some of the later ones, but to me, it it took a few films more for Friday the 13th to really go off the rails. And, you know, like the... 
Jason Takes Manhattan and fucking Jason X and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. That really was the death throes of it. Whereas, to be quite honest, Nightmare is Nightmare Nails really loses the plot midway through the first six films, which is the, the core set of films for the genre. You know, the other ones are add-ons, if you like. But mm-hmm. of those core, it, it loses the plot in the middle. And even two and three are a wee bit bonkers. They're quite fun. Yeah, yeah. But they're a bit nuts. There's the, the whole kind of gay subtones in the second one. The whole kind of teen superhero type thing that's going on in the third. I'm not saying I dislike either of those things. I quite, but that was the two things in those films that I liked the most, really. But yeah, Friday the Thirteenth just held on to the notion that it was a horror film franchise for a bit longer. Yeah, and I think it kept its credibility a bit longer. Um, there's not much in it, as I say. There is a lot that I like in both of these franchises. There's a lot of dislike in both as well. But I think Friday just shades it for me. Cool, cool, right? Um, so. That's the end of that franchise, and uh, before I start hitting you with details of how you can like, subscribe, and follow our show, um, it is worth mentioning that the Baz is now going to take a well-deserved couple of weeks away from pot. Well, that's a lie. He's not really. He's going to be working furiously in the background. I'm going to be recording like a son of a bitch. You just won't hear from me for a while, folks. (laughs) Yeah, the next time Baz will drop a show for Baz v Horror will be on October 1st where we start Baz v Halloween. That's right, our annual battle uh, where Baz faces off against an entire month dedicated to horror. Um, Don't forget the incontinence pants, folks, because it's <laughs> going to be fucking terrifying. That first episode that we come back with will feature a movie review of I Spit on Your Grave, the original, not the remake. And the main feature will be the last broadcast so we're very much looking forward to kicking that off. Um, what better way to spend your Halloween than with the podcast under the stairs and the Baz? So Baz, um, once again, thank you very much for for dedicating the massive amount of time to tackle these movies. Um, you are one Pleasure. step you're one step away from complete horror nirvana, a state of horror enlightenment. And uh, we all appreciate that. We all appreciate that. <laughs> uh, the next franchise you tackle will obviously be Evil Dead for your end of year assessment, and then we'll put it out to the page to see how mean they are in choosing your future franchise. Um, but uh, there are a ton of ways to check out Baz V Horror and listen to the show. Um, you can listen to us directly through iTunes. If you do that, then we would appreciate if you take a couple of seconds to leave us a review. If it's five stars, the more of them we get, the higher up the charts we get pushed, the more likely people are to stumble across our podcast. You can check us out on Stitcher Smart Radio. You can also visit our webpage, podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com. We are a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. You can listen to through that and on SoundCloud um, you can be part of the the contributors to our Facebook page by joining our Facebook group um, to join our Facebook group you go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cast. Baz you're now responsible for our Twitter this is the point where you pimp that son of a bitch Yep, um, you can join us on the Twitter account, folks. You can follow us at at Um 
as I've said before, folks, most of my Baz V Horror stuff's going to be coming out through that. I'm moving away from... My, my own account is still there, and by all means, follow me, Hurl Abuse, send me dirty pictures, whatever you want. That's fine, that's at Punk Baz, but the vast majority of the stuff relating to the show is going to be done through the Teaputs, at Teaputs Cast account. Um, follow on, join in the banter. Um, Duncan does contribute to that as well, so occasionally you get tweets that are worth reading. Um, <laughs> and we're now at 180 listeners, uh, 180 followers rather, uh, which was my last check there just before I came on to record. And I have promised that number 200 will get a free finger banging. Oh my god. <laughs> Ding dong. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh my god. Uh, I just want to once again reiterate the thanks for all the contributions to our two year anniversary show, which was a storming hit. Um, yeah, I know- I, I've actually just managed to listen back to that, and I would like to thank the readers, um, the listeners rather. Uh, I know we were inundated with messages. Um, for the show in general, but I got quite a few wee shout outs um, and much love to all of you for that. I appreciate every last one of them. Yeah, you, you guys are fucking awesome. And um, I will be back uh, with another podcast under the stairs uh, very soon, actually, in a couple of days, where we'll be continuing our look at the nightmare on. Uh, no, sorry, continuing the look of the <laughs> nightmare. Forever continuing our look at the Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, we're just going to start from the beginning again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll be coming back with more uh, Christopher Lee versus Vincent Price, a top 10 countdown. We're almost finished that run of shows. It has been a whole hell of a lot of fun. Um, It looks like we've crowned a winner already, uh, but we're obviously going to play out to see if our... uh, if uh, Christopher Lee can bring it back towards the end and make it a respectable close or if Vincent Price will continue to stomp on him very hard Um, so yeah we'll be back with that in a couple of days thank you once again for checking out the show and all the support Baz would you like to say goodbye to the listeners please goodbye listeners and from myself this is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from the void signing off one two Freddy's coming for you Three, four, better lock your door. Five, six, grab your crucifix. Seven, eight, gonna stay up late. Nine, ten, never sleep again. So